episode 425, you're headed to the danger zone. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat, but it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers. And the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Sure the only talent. It's the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. I feel the need. The need. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the leftovers. leftovers. And Jake, we're the leftovers. Yes. I'm reiterating the fact that we're the leftovers once again, just in case people forgot from the initial announcement. We're still the leftovers, Jake. Yeah, I mean, people have short-term memory. I bet some people appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, who are they? Uh, oh, oh they told us again. Thank goodness. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Jake, I, let's just end this one right now. How's that sound? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in. Let's do it. This week has been a goddamn nightmare for me, Jake. It's been a goddamn nightmare. I mean, it was like it started off when I was like, okay, I've got the list of everything we're going to watch. It's like, okay, here's our list. Let's get ready to start the week. And then it's like fucking Disney just basically fucked me this week. They were just like, oh, here's a new Thor trailer. And oh, you, Brian, you forgot about Celebration, you dumb fucking cunt. And then they gave us all that fucking crap. And it was like, oh, my God. So this week, it was a goddamn nightmare, Jake. So I've made the decision because of this week, it just fucking, it really took a lot for me to be able to watch everything. And Netflix said, fuck you, and dropped Stranger Things, seven episodes of Stranger Things season four on me. Dropped that fucker in our laps this week. And so, <laughs> I, yeah, man. I, so, Jake, I think I've come to, I've made an executive decision. That we're going to be taking uh, next week. You're taking off next week anyway, and I'm going to be taking it off as well. I'm, you know what I mean. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Next week's just going to be me lounging around drinking my ties. That's it, Jake. <laughs> <As we should. laughs> you spoiled my joke by saying I already was taking the week off. I was going to uh, complain about you taking the week off. Oh, so I guess I can't. Oh man, God. Too bad I spoiled that fucking barn burner of a joke, Jake. <laughs> I know it would have been high comedy. High comedy. Oh my god! I think people would have they would have dropped their iPod devices, Jake, from from laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I got my core workout this morning. Uh, Jake just had my belly laughing from that joke. <laughs> I'll make up for it later. <laughs> I'm sure you will. So we're not alone. We've yeah. got uh, we've got uh, Tristan Brown, shifted Tristan back on the Shifting podcast. Tristan. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and uh, discuss all of this shit that dropped this week. And this is where the fun begins, dude. Dude, did it? Did it? <laughs> were you over? <laughs> were you overwhelmed? Were you as overwhelmed as I was, Tristan? Dude, I was overwhelmed by your by your list before all the news at <laughs> Celebration dropped. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty trimmed week, honestly. 
when I look yeah. back, I was like, ah, this is, I can handle this. And then all of, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Disney just said, fuck you. And Netflix is like, yeah, don't forget about us. And guess what? We're going to raise the prices again, too, bitch. So, and uh, commercials. Oh, my God. And you know what? We've got another guest. Uh, I've had this guy on uh, Patreon episodes in the past. He's been fantastic. But um, bringing him on, I called him up to the major leagues, Jake. We've got uh, Dre Moore. Welcome, Dre. Hey, welcome, Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcoming you're welcoming welcoming us onto our own show, Dre. You are a wonderful <laughs> guest. Guest slash host. I was just telling the audience that they are welcome for what's about to happen. Yeah, I can see you kind of backtracking on that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd try to correct it as well, Dre. Um, no, man. Happy to have you here, dude. Uh, we've had some great conversations over Patreon, so I wanted to get you on for a regular episode so our other listeners could be able to listen to what you can bring to the table. And so far, it's just been welcoming the two guys onto the show that they host. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for, seriously, I am truly honored to be on the show. So thanks for having me on. Thank you, dude. Um, first off, I, I want to say uh, R.I.P. Ray Liotta. Mm, yeah, that news hit me really hard. I love Ray. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jake, what's your favorite Liotta performance? I mean, it's it's got to be Goodfellas. It is. I know that's kind of the easy cop out answer. I mean, it's either Goodfellas or Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Or I'd say Field of Dreams, man. I mean, that's a good yeah. one. Sandlot, I thought about. Hmm. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that whole news was just so surprising to me. Did they ever um, talk about what the cause of death was or anything like that? He died in his sleep. Uh, he was filming a movie and was in bed with his wife apparently, and just died in his sleep. I I, I don't know oh, what the exact cause was though. Yeah, Sixty-seven. That's too young. Yeah, mm-hmm. very very mm-hmm. much so. Uh, I don't know, man. I it, you, you never know. You never know what what somebody's going through or whatever. I mean, we don't know his situation. I mean, my, overworked, bad heart. We just don't. You just don't know. I mean, sometimes it feels like a lot of these actors just. You know, I mean, you think back to Heath Ledger and what he had to do to keep going and stuff. And you think about other entertainers like Michael Jackson and what they have to do, you know, self-medicating and all this stuff. And it's really, I mean, Hollywood is a tough business and I'm not saying that's what happened to Ray Liotta, but 67 is young. Yeah, definitely. And I guess he's what, like halfway through shooting something that there's like a movie out there that's unfinished. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to, I don't even know what the movie is. I don't know how they're going to work that out, but yeah. Yeah. Christopher Plummer? No. Yeah, he, Christopher Plummer's not with us anymore, so you can't even do a Christopher Plummer anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's see here. Um, well, oh, yeah. I, did, I, did I tell everybody I'm taking? Yeah, I told everybody I'm taking next week off. Yeah, no new episode next week, but you can expect from then forward us doing episodes every week, Jake, right? Oh, of course. We've never taken another week off. People are thinking, oh, this is going to become a habit. And it's like, no, it's not going to become a habit. We're not going to take every week off. But this, this week really took a lot. This, really, this week really took a lot to put together and to watch everything. Not only to watch everything, but then also to do the notes and stuff like that. And it was, 
Yeah, it was a rough one. Um, got a contest. So when we do return, uh, we do have a contest that I'm going to start this week. And in two weeks, I'll be able to go over the winners for this this contest. Uh, it is for five digital codes for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The world's favorite blue hedgehog is back in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Now available on digital in this next level sequel, Sonic and Tails must save the world from Dr. Robotnik's evil plans. Sounds so much different from the first one. Very different. It's because Tails is there. And Knuckles. And Knuckles. That's true. That's true. And Knuckles. Uh, buy Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and watch it today. Rated PG from Paramount Pictures. I loved this movie. I actually liked it more than the first one. So uh, I might be in the minority there, but I thought it was fantastic. Wish I would have been able to see this one in 3D. It was so fucking good. But I did see it in Dolby Atmos. and incredible movie. It was a real family friendly fun sonic the hedgehog movie and i loved every minute of it so yeah we'll be giving out five digital copies for this one so feel free to enter the contest all i'm gonna do is send out a tweet on twitter and a facebook post uh about sonic the hedgehog 2 all i need you to do is share the facebook post or retweet my tweet and screenshot that you did send it to contest at popcultureleftovers.com with the title sonic the hedgehog 2 and in two weeks, I'll go over the winners for the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 Digital Code Contest. So, yeah, enter now. Um, I also want to thank uh, listener uh, Chris Christofiak for a donation that he made this week to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. It really means a lot. Helps us fucking, like, uh, rent these movies. Helps us pay for these streaming services. It really goes a long way in helping the show. So, thank you, Chris. Yeah, Chris. Thanks a ton. Um. All right, I you know what? No bullshit this week. No silly stories or whatever the fuck. We got to dive right into this stuff. I feel it's no fun this week. No, it's I feel like you know it's I feel like that teacher like the day before. You know she she fucking showed you slides from her stupid fucking vacation and you acted like you were interested so she wouldn't talk about whatever the fuck you were talking about that day crustaceans or whatever the fuck she was yammering on about. And so the next day she's like, well now we gotta double down and we gotta we gotta really hit the books hard this week because we're behind. And it's like it was your fucking fault, bitch. Nobody cared to see you and your fucking husband on this dumbass vacation. And and so it's your fucking fault. Anyway, so now we've got a Jake. We got a jump. <laughs> now we got. I think you broke Tristan. <laughs> Tristan, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, yeah, every every teacher does that. Yeah, it, it, it happens. I don't know why. I I don't know why my why this like triggered that memory for me but it did anyway we, yeah now now we've got to just jake we gotta we gotta hit we gotta hit the hit the grind here we gotta grind this out man we got this yeah anyway let's talk about uh <laughs> let's talk about the we got the, a new thor love and thunder trailer and um we might rate these things, these uh, trailers and such that we're going to be talking about today. And if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. Uh, let's see here. Tristan. Um, 
I want to know what your. Th- yes. I mean, is this is is Thor: Love and Thunder one of your most anticipated movies of this year? Is it up there for you? It's up there. Yeah, it's definitely up there. I'm a Marvel head, so yeah, it's up there. And but um, I'm gonna say just without hiding anything that you know, as far as this trailer is concerned, I felt the time proximity was just a little too close to the teaser, and so it just didn't really do much for me. Like I enjoyed it, but I felt the teaser was a little better. Um, I enjoyed seeing Gore, the God Butcher, and all that, but I felt that this trailer just didn't add too much to what the the teaser gave us. Um, not saying it's a bad trailer, but yeah, just a middle of the road tasted trailer for me. Didn't it feel like it just, J- Jake? I think you're doing some shifting on your end, buddy. No, that's not me. Okay. Um, let's see here. I did. I feel like this one kind of reiterated a lot of the stuff from the first trailer that we've already seen. It just yeah. gave us like that, you know, Korg story time to the children scene, and then a, you know, more uh, definitely. Um, more Mighty Thor, and then we got our first introduction to Gore the God Butcher. So I'm kind of right there with you, honestly, Tristan. I'm at a middle-of-the-road taste it, too. I'm not saying that the movie's not going to blow me away, but as far as, like, yeah, how close this is from the last one and then, like, how much more we see in this one, I wasn't too, like blown away to be quite honest with you so yeah i'm also going to give it a middle of the road taste it for this one and i want to dive into this one i don't really want to reiterate a lot of the things that we talked about in our first uh thor 11 thunder trailer breakdown which i think we talked about that one was that i think it was episode 421 i mean we're on episode 425 jake i mean it's only been a little over a month since we got the last one so, but I mean, this is the closest to the movie actually premiering. Like when they, when they dropped that first teaser trailer, it was the closest to like the movie opening to a teaser trailer coming out that they'd ever had before. So I feel like they're just having to get these things out there. Otherwise they're going to lose track of time here because the movie's coming out July 8th. So, um, Jake, what did you think about the trailer? I have like all the same exact shit written down. It's a middle of the road taste it for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited for the movie. It's one of my most anticipated movies. But this trailer really, other than giving us a look at gore, didn't bring much new to the table. And it, yeah, it, the proximity being so close to the last one, it just didn't feel like an event when it really came out. So, yeah. And to what you were saying about like, how close it is to the movie coming out. Like I've seen audiences react to that. Like when the date comes up, you can kind of see the murmurs of, Oh shit, that's really close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting strategy that they're doing. I think it's just, I mean, is it, is it just because Marvel has so much content right now with that? They're not trying to compete against themselves. I mean, we just got Dr. Strange. We, just had Moon Knight. I mean, we've got... 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's got to be... Um, yeah, it's basically them wanting us to have our focus on a certain project at a given time. So it's like, you know, once Moon Knight and Doctor Strange are out the way, they go full force in the next batch. And and sometimes that just leads to a marketing campaign that's that seems a little rushed, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they don't want their trailers to be competing. They love those fucking stats. They love those numbers, those YouTube <laughs> millions and all, you know, how many people watch it within the first 24 hours. So they didn't want it to compete with like, they wanted to give time, a little time, maybe a little over a week for the She Hulk trailer to breathe and blah, blah, blah. 
So, yeah, Dre, what did you think about the uh, Thor, the new proper Thor Love and Thunder trailer? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give this one um, um, middle of the road tasted as well. It was entertaining, to say the least. It definitely accomplished that goal. It gave us the reveal of gore, which is one thing that I think everybody wanted to see was how is he going to look. And clearly, since the trailers come out, that's kind of been the major point of conversation, more so than anything, is his look in comparison to his comics and his comic look. And that appears to be, uh, I guess, people have mixed emotions or mixed feelings about that. Uh, personally, I don't have any issue with his appearance, even if it, even knowing that it does uh, differentiate itself from how he typically looks in the comics. But it didn't add anything new. It didn't increase increase my hype for the movie any more than where it already is at currently. I'm excited to see the movie. This didn't do anything to change that. So yeah, it's a middle of the road taste for me. Good trailer, entertaining, but it doesn't move the needle either way for me. Okay. Yeah, I think we're all kind of around. The, and, and I don't think this, like, this doesn't dampen my overall excitement for the movie. I'm going to be seeing this on opening day, and hopefully I'm going to love it. I loved Ragnarok. So I'm just saying, you know, as as far as the art of the trailer, it just what it didn't wow me over the first one, you know? And even the first one wasn't just mind-blowing in my opinion. So um, maybe they're p- holding back on a lot of things. I got to imagine that they are. I mean, they were holding back on, on, on the villain in the first trailer. I do want to talk about the look of Gore the God Butcher, but I'm going to save that uh, for the rest of us for a little bit later. I do want to kind of like break this one down. Um, I'm not going to be, like I said, I'm not going to go through everything in the trailer, but I did want to go over what I thought was the most important things in the trailer, as well as talk about what we get from Gore in this one. Uh, this trailer starts out on that same planet that we saw in the first trailer with the blue people. And um, Korg is telling the kids of the planet the story of the space Viking, talking about Thor, the god of thunder here, and telling these kids uh, his story. Do we think? Do you guys think that this is going to be in the movie? Or do you think that this was just for the trailer? That's been something that people have been discussing, is how Marvel does put things in trailers sometimes, and then we don't see them in the actual movie. Do you think that this actually fits within the movie? My gut tells me that this will be in the movie. It could be, but I just don't know where it would fit in. I think we're seeing both things at the same time. We're intercutting... Uh, Korg telling the story to what actually happened back and forth is the way I kind of see it playing out. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I think that, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just, I didn't know if anybody else had any thoughts on that. Um, I, I'm thinking that it'll probably end up in there. I'm just curious as to how they're going to, because I don't think what we're seeing on the screen when he's telling the story is necessarily what we're going to be seeing when we actually watch the actual movie. Um, but we'll see how that, that scene plays out. Um, we don't know exactly what this planet, what the planet's name is. There are a couple of possibilities. Um, a lot of people are thinking that this could be the planet where Yandu is from and, with you know Peter having such an attachment to Yandu, and of course, um, you know being you know being a part of Yandu's Ravagers for so long, if if his planet was under some sort of you know attack by a a more highly uh, technological group of 
aliens, then, you know, maybe the Guardians would show up to protect this planet because of Yondu. I, I don't necessarily, I can't say that, I can't necessarily say that, yes, this is Yondu's planet. I mean, Yondu is just so much different than the people that we see here. And I'm not saying that every person on this planet is exactly like the people that we see here. These people look like they're just in a tribe. They don't have technology. Um, do you see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so it, Yeah, it's a thin line they're drawing. It's like, oh, these people are blue. It's Yondu's planet. Like, I, I don't really get the logic behind yeah, it. I, mean, and, I guess it could be, but, I mean, fuck, it could be the Smurf planet if that's all your logic is. I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, just because Yandu's blue doesn't mean this, these are his people. And he maybe he was taken, like Peter, and by someone else from, you know, this tribe, and he became a Ravager or whatever. It's just like Yandu's very familiar with technology. It just seemed, He just seems so different from the people on this planet. I guess we'll see. I... A lot of people are thinking that it could be um, a planet that was seen in the comics, Endegar. It's a planet where – and this makes more sense to me. And I'm not saying it's Endegar. They might change the name of the planet. They might change some of the things here. But um, it's a planet of atheists. And there is one child on that planet who prays to Thor. And then Thor shows up to that planet and then blesses the planet with rain. And – Thor gets to talking, you know, with the people on this planet, and and that's in the that's in the comics where he finds the dead gods, and that's the that's the start of like you know trying to find Gore the God Butcher. Maybe he'll end up on this planet, find out that they don't believe in gods. They now they see that Thor shows up. That's why Korg is telling the story of you know um, Thor, you know the the god of thunder. To kind of give them a lesson on the gods, because this is a planet of atheists, possibly. And, you know, maybe maybe Thor will be wondering, like, why their gods didn't answer any of their prayers. And through that investigating, he finds out that their gods have been slaughtered by gore. Um, that's another take on this planet. Uh, I think this planet might be very important in learning that gore has been going around slaughtering gods. Um, this might just be a new planet altogether for the movie. I have no idea. Um, but uh, I do think they're going to have this planet in there. And um, for a reason, I think that reason will lead to Thor finding out that Gore has been slaughtering gods. So, um, there's, I think there's some credibility to that. Because if you look back through the trailer, at one point where um, uh, you see Thor, where he takes off his, uh, I guess, whatever hoodie or whatever he was wearing and the if you see the people who are behind him one of them almost looks like he's like a chieftain type character like in terms of it like his outfit he has like some sort of uh headgear or headpiece that's on and there's a couple other people behind him who have on something like that so perhaps they are um people who may have been like you said were um praying for some sort of rain or something of that nature or just could be uh, basic tribal people who are in need of something of some sort that Thor may be uniquely uh, qualified to give them. 
I think, or, uh, well, I mean, the Guardians and Thor are showing up, and they're definitely fighting a battle for them, because we yes, see yes, lasers. There's destruction in the background. It yeah. So maybe, the, maybe they've been praying for, you know, some sort of a, um, maybe they're a peaceful planet, and they don't believe in, in war, they don't believe in weapons fighting, um, and... Maybe they've been praying for some sort of a solution, for some help, and Thor shows up, and Thor wonders, like, why nobody else came sooner, um, and we find out that the gods have been slaughtered. I don't know. I mean, there's so many different ways this could go. We could, I could be totally off in all of this. It's, that's what's crazy about these Marvel movies is when you finally watch the final product, you're like, oh, my God, we were way off on that. And sometimes we were right, so it really just depends. Do you think uh- – do you think the Guardians being there lends any more credence to maybe it is Yandu's planet and that's why they're coming to help? Uh, that's why I brought that up earlier. One reason yeah. I said that earlier I said that one of the reasons I thought that, that you know, Quill would go there is because of like his love for Yandu. And, and, you know, if he knew that his people were in trouble, he would want to do it for Yandu. Um, so... Yes, I mean, we can make that connection. Okay, yeah, yeah. That makes it make a little bit more sense when you kind of add that piece in. Right, right, exactly. Was so. the MCU Yandu, uh, the fin on top of his head, was that a biological thing or was that just a no. construction? Oh, the, in, the, in the comics or in the MCU? That, it's a, I know in the comics it's, it's his actual fin, but... Yeah, in the, yeah. in the MCU it's something that he made, because remember he switches it out in Volume 2 with the original... Okay. Yeah, that's right. So they can theoret- theoretically be the same species. Yeah. Um, and then we see that uh, Kraglin is in this movie. He's part of the Guardians now. He's wearing Yandu's long fin on his head now. Mm, right. So he's using it. Remember at the end, was it the end of volume two where he was volume pra- two, I think. He yes. was practicing with it. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's actually wearing that now. So um yeah, we get a more another shot of Thor in his uh Star Lord Ravager look. Uh we see more shots of new Asgard now, um with their tourism that's booming and there's there's more gold structures being made, so they're making it look like the the old Asgard. Um, we see Thor's flying boat uh, being pulled by two goats. Um, these goats are in the comics, uh, Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder. And um, he also had goats fly um, a boat in, in real North, uh, Norse mythology. Um, somewhere along the way, Thor gets dropped off by the Guardians to pick up Korg on Sakaar. So I'm thinking they're going to be teaming up here to find out who's been killing the gods. And so this is where we say goodbye to the Guardians. And Thor is going to try to, you know, reunite the Revengers and get, you know, Valkyrie and Korg. And and then we, they'll be joined by Mighty Thor. Um, we get more shots of Thor training here. So we get the, you know, him using the chains. And then um, I think that we're definitely going to be getting, like, a training montage uh, set to music like a Rocky movie here because we see a new shot of him pulling the Guardian ship, the Benatar, behind him with a chain. So I think we're going to get a bunch of training montages before he does the final reveal that we see. Mm-hmm. In what the song trailer. do you think is going to be playing? I, I, dude, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, impossible to say. Yeah. 
Um, if you had to pick a song, what would you put to it? Oh, man, it'd have to be uh, Hearts on Fire or something, like fucking like a Rocky song, right? I was going to say Eye of the Tiger, uh, so like uh, same page. Uh, I was going with Maniac. <laughs> I like that one. That's that's the song right there. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Korg is telling the story to the kids about Thor reclaiming his title as the one and only Thor. And uh, as he's saying that, uh, we see the shot of Mjolnir flying to Thor and then immediately darting away from him into the hands of Jane Foster, who is now Mighty Thor. And um, when you look at Mjolnir now, you can see that the pieces of Mjolnir haven't reforged, but they've only reformed together. It still has the cracks in it from when Hela broke it. And um, it glows like blue. You can kind of see like that blue glow between the cracks. Um, But with that reveal that it's not completely reforged, but only reformed, it also comes with a cool new power because later in the trailer, we see Mighty Thor fighting off some of Zeus's army and she swings Mjolnir and the pieces break off and then hit multiple soldiers. And then it can come back and form back into Mjolnir. So it's got a cool new power along with it. So it's like, even though it's broken, it's, it's a little bit stronger now, which I think yeah, is it's like really when, it's cool. It's like when you play Contra and you hit the spread. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I still think that in this movie, just like in the comics, she will be suffering from uh, cancer. She'll be diagnosed with cancer. I think she's going to be taking a trip to New Asgard, um, probably one of like the... You know, that she's probably on a tour, and I believe that Mjolnir will either call to her or it'll just come to her at one point. And um, because Thor's going through kind of like this weird identity crisis, this midlife crisis that he's going through, he doesn't know, he's like, I don't want to be a superhero, I I don't know who I want to be. So I think uh, Mjolnir will be like, okay, well. I got you, sis. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We then get a cool shot of Valkyrie riding a Pegasus inside. It looks like she comes out of the sky or out of a portal into this ancient hall. And then we see a shot of Mighty Thor, Jane Foster, in that same hall. And if you look behind her, there are these statues. And one of the statues is of... It's the three heads of the living tribunal. And then... The statue behind that is of Owatu, the Watcher. So we're getting more. We're getting more Living Tribunal. We got the mention. That's awesome. We got the mention in the uh, first Doctor Strange movie. We got to see uh, a statue of the head in the Loki series, and then in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, while they're traveling through the different dimensions, through the different multiverses. Excuse me. We saw some heads of the Living Tribunal that they passed, uh, America Chavez and Doctor Strange. So another shot of the Living Tribunal here. I think that, I mean, I, I, th- I think that we might get the judge. We might get the Living Tribunal showing up in I, one of these I movies. I think so, too. Like, if you, if you do it once, it's an Easter egg. But now it's, like, the third time. So yeah. I, I think it's definitely foreshadowing something that we will eventually see. I do too. I think it's going to be a big part. 
At least, yeah, I think it, it might be a big part of Marvel. I think, I, what do you think, Jake? I, I, my bets are on we might get, we might even see the Living Tribunal in Loki Season 2. Yeah, I would think that would be the next place. If we don't full-on get them, it'll be more Easter eggs, I bet. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, the, just oh, a quick question. Uh, the yes. Living Tribunal isn't connected to the Celestials or anything, is he? Living Tribunal is basically like the judge of the universe, you know? So Right. Yeah, it's it's. I don't think that is. Would you consider? I don't think he's a celestial. I think he's more powerful than a celestial. Hmm. I need to Google it. I always thought he was a celestial as well. I oh, thought. I thought Aramesh the Judge was the judge of the celestials. I thought the Living okay. Tribunal was even over the celestials. Yeah, I still don't know the hierarchy here. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out too. Yeah, <laughs> and they could change that in the MCU as well. See, I was just wondering. I was only asking because I was wondering if the, whenever we do actually see a reveal of the Living Tribunal, if it could possibly be in the next Eternals movie if it gets a sequel. <laughs> the Living Tribunal. Yeah, this is from the uh, MCU wiki. Um, they're saying is a powerful cosmological entity known for exacting impartial yet brutal judgments. Um. Yeah, not a celestial. Not a celestial? Yeah, powerful cosmic entity, but yeah. not a celestial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reading all this history makes me think that uh, Secret War is probably going to be the first time we really, really use the Living Tribunal, right? It, maybe they're going to do the stuff with the Beyonder potentially killing him. I think you got to kill him. I think yeah, even the Watcher, if they're going to introduce anything with the Watchers, you know, I mean... Um, the watchers. That'll really make the multiverse invaders seem like a fucking threat when yeah. they're taking down the living tribunal yeah. and the watcher. Yeah, and the watcher if you can take if you can take down the watcher. Yeah. I I just think that Aramesh the judge is like the judge of the celestials, but like over him, maybe even unbeknownst to him, because the living tribunal's been around for so long that that the ultimate judge over the multiverses, over everything is the living tribunal. So, and I could be taking some leaps in logic there, but that's what that's what I that's what I would guess. Um, okay, yeah, we well, they definitely have their work cut out for them as far as trying to figure this all out and make it palatable for the general audience. Right, I mean, we're into this stuff, and we're still trying to figure out who's more powerful than him. Than who you know it's well, uh, it's not clear it's not clear it's it's not it's not clear i mean dr strange multiverse of madness introduces certain things you know like we we've, we've got timelines we've got variants from like loki series and endgame and all this stuff we've got the snap we've got blips we've got incursions now it, it's getting i mean comic book readers have it worse but we're getting to the point now that we're like, what, 28 movies in? That the MCU, if you don't really get strict with these rules and lay them out firmly, the MCU could get real fucking messy here, guys. It could get real fucking messy. I mean, you, you and- even saw it in Loki when it's like, you know, the time variance authority and 
And the way they get around the whole end game thing is they say, oh, well, the Avengers were, were supposed to do that. <laughs> you know, that's why the time the TVA didn't intervene, because the Avengers were supposed to go back in time that time. It's like all these kind of like rules being set up, but they're also breaking their own rules. Yeah, they're letting Captain America go around and return yeah. stones and all this stuff. And he's not, yeah. you know, breaking the sacred timeline, those things. So that's supposed yeah. to happen. So, OK, yeah. all right, yeah. I'm, just, I'm going yeah. with it. Time to put out an encyclopedia or something. Well, oh, they got it. you shouldn't have to. I mean, the movie should explain themselves. We shouldn't have to look for other forms of media or wait for quotes from Kevin Feige to figure this stuff out. The movies right. should agree. explain this shit. Marvel had I, I, a I creative retreat like a couple weeks ago, I think. Two or three weeks ago, they had a retreat, I guess, just to discuss where they're going creatively. So. I'm pretty sure in that meeting they were just trying to figure everything out and hashed out, you know, uh, mark down all the rules that everyone's going to follow from there on out. Yeah, but it's like you have to have another movie to explain these rules. And you get, yeah. I mean, how many, you know, I don't want to leave one movie hoping to get answers into the next movie about something that maybe that movie should have been able to explain. Because I really do feel like, you know, I guess minor spoilers for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I really do feel like the incursion stuff was kind of confusing. Like, do incursions only start with the use of the Darkhold? Or, you know, can an incursion mm-hmm. start just from being in an, you know, in another multiverse and for an extended amount of time? Because there was the moment where, you know, um, um, Rachel McAdams' character... Uh, says something about, you know, he, well, Dr. Strange says something like, oh, you could stay in our universe for a while. And she's, she says something about like, that would be one hell of an incursion. Incursion. Yeah. And, you know, but there's other lines in that movie that make you think that like, you know, incursions could only be started from, you know, tampering with the dark hold. And yeah. You know, that's, yeah, I think your general audience leaving um, Doctor Strange has no idea what an incursion is. And, you know, us, you know, when we do our homework afterwards, we kind of figure it out and get the rules down in our heads. But your general audience, when they come back to these films, I think are just going to be lost unless you just keep reiterating what the rules are over and over again. Do we do we honestly know what like can we nail down exactly what causes an incursion? Not I don't really. think it's been cemented in stone, no. We can all have theories about everything and how it's going, but there's nothing definitive where you can say this exact thing is it. And yeah. between incursions, variants, multiverse, timelines, and yeah, the the ran, the general casual viewer can be very overwhelmed and confused by all of this that's going down. I mean, even conversations I've had with friends who are not, who are much more casual they were getting confused just by the multiverse parts of it, just between Loki, Spider-Man and Dr. Strange. Just that alone, they were, that was starting to throw them for a loop just of like, okay, when did all this multiverse stuff start? Yeah. The first 10 years were pretty simple for a general audience. It was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. there's these five important stones and don't let the purple man get the stones. (laughs) Dude, (laughs) basically that's why I thought, you know, that those first three phases are just perfect. I mean, there's, I mean, you've got some movies that aren't great in, you know, the first three, you know, phases, but I think as far as like just completing that story arc, they did it beautifully. 
I mean, that was one of my things when we talked about, um, was it, yeah, it was last week. I think it was last week where I was basically explaining how some of these Disney plus shows, they're introducing like important elements. And I think it's people that aren't watching it. I don't want them to be left out by the time we get to like the next end game for these upcoming phases. I don't want people to go into that movie and feel like they didn't get as much out of that as they did with Endgame because they didn't watch WandaVision or they didn't watch, you know, the whatever series, the Loki series or Loki season two or whatever it may be. I, I think that's kind of like, I mean, we all love the Disney plus stuff coming out. We love getting the content, but like Stephanie said last week, it's becoming homework for her. And I'm kind of right there with her. I don't know if we really need to be, I would like to see them just use maybe Jake, Jake, maybe just more street level characters for these kind of shows, as opposed to introducing big elements into the, into the MCU and in, in some of these shows. Cause I'm really worried yeah, about th- would, this I next. I would rather them, yeah, I would rather them just continue to have new characters being introduced, but not try to make everything um, connected to the overall narrative. You know, see, I agreed these... with all of that until I saw yeah. Moon Knight, though. Yeah, yeah, but at least Moon Knight's. At least you don't have to watch Moon Knight to enjoy this these next few phases. I at least I hope not. Yeah, I don't think you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing about it is the way if you go down that route where you try to have everything as interwoven and interconnected, you raise the barrier for entry for people who want to go, who are just the movie watchers. Like, for people who wanted to go see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it was almost required that you almost, it wasn't required, but it was pretty important that you watched WandaVision beforehand. How it important pretty- is it when you're when the director of the movie didn't watch it? <laughs> I was going to say to say the same thing. He didn't watch it. I, I but, was- but no, no. I'm not, I'm here's one thing I'm going to say. Sam Raimi, for as much as I love him, should have fucking watched WandaVision. Yeah, he's been a little bit misquoted on that stuff because he was shown all the scenes that that mattered. Like he's it's not like he watched none of it or had no idea what happened in that show. Like he did watch the important Wanda scenes that tied into his movie were shown to him by Kevin Feige. That's I just feel like to me because we you know, you put you do so much preparation before you take on a position and you would think that just watching five hours of content is is doable for him. Well yeah, and he's working with the actor. He's working yeah. with Elizabeth Olsen. It would have been yeah. a nice for him to kinda of like get more of a feel for you know, her character as opposed to just watching, you know, the Cliff Notes YouTube versions of whatever important stuff happened in that series. So it um, goes both ways. You hear a lot of actors and filmmakers talk about when they take on a project that's like a continuation or a remake. They specifically don't watch the thing before because you don't want any of that to kind of seep in to your artistic vision that you're going to do. You know, I definitely I, get that. But mm-hmm. it just seems that the MCU is just so interconnected that. That if you like try to just do your own vision without any connection to the past, like you're going to end up with something that feels a little disjointed, a little bit. Yeah. yeah well, he didn't write mm-hmm. it. I mean, the writer yeah. watched yeah. WandaVision. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you, that makes sense. I, I I really wish that he would have been able to have just you know watched the five hours just to get a feel for the character a little bit more because, and then you know, I I did have a. It was so weird that like. 
in that movie, like she's trying to get back her kids, but she couldn't look for a multiverse where her brother and Vision were still alive too. It was like so. Was that the dark? Right. I mean, is that is that? Am I crazy for thinking that? Because it's like, why can't you? (laughs) They were actually real. Your children never were. Maybe, I mean, they're just swept under the rug. Pietro and Viz are basically Vision are just swept under the rug in mm-hmm. Multiverse of Madness. And it's, I don't know. That movie. Yeah, I, it, is, it, it is bizarre that she accepted their death so cleanly. But the disappearance of things that didn't even exist, she just yeah. can't fucking comprehend. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe different universes. I was going to say all these different universes. There wasn't one of them where they were orphans. Yes. Then it took those two. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they made it seem like there are so many different versions. Of she that. said she that there's 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 infinite multiverses and there's infinite cures for infinite like for diseases and all this stuff. So there's not a version of these kids that don't have a mother, and there's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can. I I guess they got to make a movie at the end of the day, right, guys? I mean, so yeah, pretty much. And the father I, was like a deadbeat dad in every universe. Yeah. <laughs> but we can poke holes in it, though. I'm not saying that like don't make your movie, but I'm just saying like you gotta you gotta make. Sometimes you, with Marvel fans, you gotta make it airtight because we're gonna figure out some of these flaws. Anyway, let's get back to this trailer. We get a shot of Mount Olympus. Um, Remember last trailer breakdown, I said that I believe that uh, Thor, Mighty Thor, Korg, and Valkyrie were headed there to warn the other gods about gore. And I still think that that's the case um, when, we, when we see this trailer. I think it's going to be the case when we get into the movie. Um, I also said that I think that Zeus, played by Russell Crowe, is going to be overconfident and not heed their warning. And I believe he's going to be killed by gore. Um, I think the trailer might even back this up later uh, when we see Valkyrie. Um, using one of Zeus's lightning bolts as a weapon against Gore, so I think you know he dies, and she's going to take she's going to take one, that lightning bolt, and that's going to be a weapon that she's going to be using going forward. Um, we then get our uh, we get a first live action look at Gore the God Butcher finally, not as a as a toy or that figure leak that came out, and yeah, um, I for one. I will I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk about the look. I'm not a fan. I do like the comic accurate look more, but I'm going to go into this movie and watch it for the performance and the way that Bale plays it and that could change my mind. <laughs> but as as it stands right now, it it definitely does not look as cool or as menacing as the comic version, but that's, I'm not going to like leave the movie and be like, fuck that movie. Cause he didn't look like the comic gore, but going in. Yeah. I'm a little upset. The comic look is so much cooler. And I still think you can pull off that performance. Even if you do have the prosthetics on if you have the makeup and all that stuff, I mean, I still think you can pull off the performance. I don't think that you have to have him look exactly like Christian Bale throughout this, but I bet it comes down to some of these actors just don't want to be fucking covered in makeup all the time. That's why you got to applaud fucking Batista for putting up with, you know, sitting in that chair for hours to get the makeup on. So, um, yeah, uh, Tristan, what'd you think about the look? 
Um, as far as the look is concerned, I, I didn't have a problem with the look, and I can see why they did it because uh, they really w- want to make this guy a sympathetic villain. I can tell, and by having a humanoid fa- face, a face that's recognizable and not something that's too foreign, I think people are going to be able to relate a little bit more than the comic accurate version. And also, you know, you get Christian Bale; you don't want to hide his his emotions and and facial expressions and all that stuff. I know they're. I, man, I get all the emotions. I get all the emotions out of Grogu when I watch an episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> Grogu, yeah. I, I think I think if this was a different actor, uh, they probably would have went for it. But I feel that they're really trying to capture Christian Bale in this performance. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think at the end of the day, if he's a great villain, I'm gonna love it anyway, and I'll get past it. But yeah, I mean. Gore has a fucking badass look in the comic, so... Oh, it's a great look. I just think that they're going to try to make him one of those villains that you empathize with, and, and, you know, you can see the hurt in his face when he loses his family and all that, and and I think they probably felt that the comic-accurate version's not going to be as relatable because he looks so menacing. I wonder if they did do a test of him looking comic-accurate and if they felt like... He's coming off, and he's looking a little too much like Voldemort. Oh, I could see I could that. See that. Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if that's I, I, it, it, that may sound silly, but when you look at how that character from the comics might translate in live action, it might come off looking a lot like Voldemort, kind of like you know. So you're not, they you're they not wrong at all. Yeah, so maybe they were just like, uh, guys, do we really need Voldemort memes? You know, <laughs> yeah. and so I, I mean, even Thanos, you know, I mean, very comic accurate looking, but you could still get they did like the the uh, Mark Ruffalo face capture, you know, with the Hulk. And they made they even made Thanos have like the facial expressions of of uh, Josh Brolin. And, and that was really cool. But um, I yeah, still definitely th- didn't. Yeah, by the time we got to Infinity War, he didn't look the same as he did in that turnaround moment right. at the end of Avengers. Very true. They even changed the color. So yeah, they didn't have Josh Brolin. I don't believe. No, no they, they didn't he, he hadn't been cast yet. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Jake, what do you think of the look? Yeah, I agree with a, a lot of the stuff you guys are saying. I mean, it's hard to make anything live action look anywhere near as cool as a Assad Ribic designed bad guy. Like, that's just a tough task. So I can kind of understand why they did what they did. Um, I also do agree with Tristan. I, I think they want to make this character sympathetic. Um, I hear where you're coming from, Brian, with Grogu. But I, I think it's a lot simpler when people are already sympathetic towards, like, the Yoda character in general, and he's a good guy. Like, when you've got a villain that you want audiences to feel sympathy for, I think you really do have to kind of play on that human emotion for it to work a lot of times. And maybe that's the decision they made here. But, um, yeah, it could just simply be Christian Bale didn't want to be on all that makeup. It could be the Voldemort thing. But w- whatever the reason, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's just going to be so hard to translate such an amazing Assad Rubik design, uh, you know, an iconic one like that onto the big screen and, and not have everyone get upset. I don't know if it would have worked. Uh, I'm just glad that Marvel's getting out of their comfort zone and giving us a sympathetic villain. <laughs> <laughs> it is curious. I, I do. It does appear that he is going to undergo some sort of changing 
and at least a slight bit of, it, of uh, in terms of his appearance throughout the film because if you see him earlier on in the trailer when he mentions the lot of I guess it's time for the gods to die or something like that he looks pretty much very full human just basically white and it looks like complete Christian Bale whereas when you see him later on in the film when they're uh, basically like in the black and white aesthetic when he's I guess getting towards the final battle you see his body looks much more uh, scarred up with the scars across his head and his arms and all this stuff and uh, wearing around his eyes and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if that's maybe an effect of the, uh, what is it, the, the necro yeah, the, sword? It's or the, all, that he's... the all black necro sword. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm wondering if that's an, a, a side effect of that, if that tends to uh, somewhat alter him or change him or just like, you know, warp him to a certain extent by the influence of that sword. It's again, I mean, it's almost like it's almost like Wanda with the Darkhold again. You know, it's right. I mean, yeah, it's these, these dark forces that yeah. people harness change them physically. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, we saw her fingertips turn black. And I mean, so, yeah, um, Gore in the comics was he was he was an alien, lived on a planet. He was praying to the gods for rain. Uh, gods did not listen, answer his prayers. And his pregnant wife and his child died. And uh, in that moment, he promised that he would get vengeance upon all the gods, and he found a sword. It's the all-black necro sword, and started going around and slaughtering gods. Um, in the comics, uh, the sword was originally owned by Null, who was the first symbiote. And um, in the first trailer, when we see Mighty Thor at the very end during that battle, which I believe is taking place in New Asgard, she, they're fighting creatures. And at the time, the rumor was that they could be symbiotes. And I thought, <clears throat> I mentioned that I thought this might be a problem since symbiotes are owned by Sony. Um, you know, we do know that they were introduced at the end of uh, No Way Home, but still, that was a Sony movie, guys. And um, it doesn't mean that Marvel has free reign to just, you know, bring symbiotes into the regular MCU as far as like their own Marvel Studios productions. Um, but from the shots that we see in this new trailer of them fighting those creatures, you can see that those new creature, those creatures aren't symbiotes. They're, um, they look like they're giant insects. So, um, I wouldn't, Chitauri now. I wouldn't place too much. Now, I don't think that's going to be the final battle, like a Chitari thing. Um, no, no, I agree. It's, I, I think that, uh, I don't think that they're going to tie in symbiotes. I'll be really surprised if they tie in symbiotes with the Necro Sword. No fucking way. I will be and really surprised. 0% chance in my mind that that'll no. happen. Um, I don't think it'll be revealed in this movie, and if it ever does get revealed, it'll definitely be like a retcon, and they'll try to fit it in. But I don't think at this point in time, with, with Sony owning symbiotes and only allowing it in that, so in that Spider-Man No Way Home movie, I, I just don't I don't see them being able to play around with symbiotes in this movie. So um, I don't see the need for it. No, I think they treat it just like some sort of mystical artifact that contains, I guess, the unique power to kill gods. Yeah, yeah. I bet I bet <clears throat> they do. Uh, I bet they do introduce the concept of the god bomb in this movie, though. I bet that's like Gore's final plan. I, I would not be shocked at that at all. Yeah, yeah. The god bomb arc. Yeah, they could definitely do that here. Um, we hear in the trailer Gore say, "The only one the gods care about is themselves." And you'll notice everything that uh, that's around Gore, like his environment, turns gray. Um, 
it's it's like the the all black and his and this new power that he has sucks the life out of everything around him. And uh, the only thing uh, with uh, color in those scenes are his glowing orange eyes, which a lot of people are pointing out is the same glow that Heimdall had in his eyes. Heimdall had those orange eyes and Heimdall could see souls and people are speculating maybe Gore now has that same power to where he can see souls. And now he knows where the gods are. He can see where the gods are. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go that route or not. I, I, I feel like whatever that orange is in his eyes was brought upon by the necro sword. So, um, until the movie tells us anything else, uh, that's what I'm going to assume it is. Um, I don't know his his eye, that's I think that might be his natural eye color because again, earlier on when he gives the original line where he still looks mostly human, his eyes are that color. Uh, yeah, well, they Marvel likes to play tricks and trailers too. I mean, they true. also showed us Thor had both eyes. Um, yeah, very you know, true. In uh, that Ragnarok trailer, and by the time we watched the movie, he'd already had one of the eyes, you know, fucking taken out by Hela. So. Don't trust oh, Marvel in eyes. Can't, yeah, I can't trust Marvel. Uh, we see Gore destroy a moon by stabbing it with the Necro Sword. Um, do you think that this moon could be a god itself, or or be harboring a god within it? I think it could. Possible, like like Igor the Living Planet or something. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you say Igor? <laughs> What's his name? Ego. 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 <laughs> yes, Master. I'm a living planet. Yes. <laughs> it's a. It's that hunchback planet over there. It's the planet that's got the big bump on it. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Brooks directs that scene. Yeah. Yes, Master. <laughs> uh, we see Thor captured, fighting off uh, Zeus's soldiers in another scene. Uh, we hear Gore say, you're not like the other gods I've killed. Um, that is a line straight out of the comics, by the way, by Gore. Uh, we get a shot of Jane and Thor holding hands. So they're alluding to the love and thunder there. Um, oh, I, I did forget to bring up. There's a scene where... Yeah, Jane and Thor are talking and trying to remember how long it's been since, they, since they've seen each other. Jane says, what's it been, like three, four years? Thor says eight years, seven months, six days. And that's probably a reveal that Jane was involved in the snap. And for her, it was three years and add another five, and it was eight for Thor. I also yep. took that as her just not missing him and not knowing how much time has passed as well. I think it means both. I think you get that from Thor knowing the exact day count, but I also agree that it's a nod that she did get blipped. Yeah, Thor has missed, definitely missed her a lot more if he knows the exact year, month, and day count. <coughs> and for her, it was probably, yeah, I think she's been blipped. Yeah. Um, and then we get uh, the scene where we've got naked thor and they blur out his ass and did you everybody caught the loki tattoo on his back right mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah it looks it it looks like it's going to be a fun movie but uh i just uh i'm gonna have to go in and and see what what taika does with this one i i know it's gonna be funny i know we're gonna laugh but uh 
I think it really does come down to, you know, they're introducing Mighty Thor and they're introducing Gore. So, yeah, July. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared about it a little bit. I, I love Taika. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. But I feel like Gore's the type of villain that I've yet to ever see from Taika. Like, I, I, I don't want Gore... To, shaking like shake weights and doing like Taika Waititi type jokes like that just doesn't seem like fitting for that character so I'm a little bit nervous at how cool of a villain he's going to end up being I don't think he's going to make him jokey by any means but yeah how menacing on the flip side is he going to be able to make him because yeah Taika doesn't come off as like the guy that gives us a really dark villain and this guy uses a fucking sword called the all-black necrosword. He's a dark villain. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like, I, I love Taika, and I, I'll be there for every movie he makes, but I, I just don't know if this is his wheelhouse. I, I'd love to be proven wrong, though. I'm pretty sure the, the emotional heartstrings that he's going to pull, as far as Gore's family is concerned, is going to play very well, just given you know the way he did that so eloquently with Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. God, uh, we are not far off from this one. Oh, my God. Are we, like, less than two months? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A month and maybe a week. God. Oh, wow. We are super <laughs> close to this movie coming out, and we're just getting the second trailer. Hopefully, they'll be able to pull back on some of the big reveals in this one if there are any huge reveals because i feel like yeah doctor strange and the multiverse of madness kind of spent its wad there like in the week going into the into the movie by showing everybody you know oh and this is what we have too we have this as well oh you want to see this we've got this you know <laughs> so it's we'll see it definitely did <laughs> yeah it did so we'll see we'll see what happens i'm, I'm looking forward to thor Love and Thunder. I can't believe we're finally getting it. Like from like the remember like the first announcement of this movie and we're finally 2019. Yeah, dude. We're finally fucking here. I mean, we were supposed to watch this thing last year. Right? It was supposed yeah. to be last yeah, oh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This delay fucking hurt. It felt like a punch mm-hmm. to the gut. I was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's jump into um uh Obi-Wan Kenobi. We they dropped the first two episodes. Did they? I, did they drop them at nine o'clock on Thursday? Correct. Yeah, I was. I didn't know, and I was in bed like a little bit after that. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that I'll wait. I'll watch it in the morning. I'll watch it in the morning or when I have time the next day. I'm not one of those people. That, I'm not going to stay up till the wee hours of the morning anymore trying to watch this shit. I'll just... No, I agree. I agree. I saw Top Gun at 10 p.m. Thursday night, or I would have watched Obi-Wan Kenobi before I went to bed with it coming out at 9 p.m. Oh, I didn't know it yeah, came but... out at 9, so I was still up, yeah, didn't realize it. that it was out. I, it's not. I'm not getting on Disney Plus and checking. I was just figuring, they're, okay, the earliest they'll drop it is midnight is what I was thinking. So I was like, I'll watch it tomorrow morning or, or, or you know, later on in the day. and. I'm not I'm not one of those people that just goes to Disney Plus and constantly checks to see when shit's coming out. I've got yeah, no idea. What's that? I was going to say, do you also kind of get the sense, too, that as far as Obi-Wan is concerned, there's not going to be anything so groundbreaking that you've got to see it at midnight type thing is going to happen because they're so um, restricted in this little pocket of time, you know, and it's not like... You know, it's not like one of those things where I got to watch it at midnight or else I'm going to be spoiled type thing. It's not you like know? you're going to find out that Obi-Wan Kenobi died. Oh, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Do you think Definitely they not last in the first minute? Couple. Do you think they last minute got scared of Stranger Things? Is that what happened here? No, I think that they dropped it since they. I think what happened is they um, showed it to the audience at Celebration two hours prior. And they were just like, I'm sure that some of this stuff is going to get out on social media. Let's just drop it now. Mm. That makes I sense. could see that. Yeah. And it also makes a little bit more sense to me because, I mean, if you drop it at nine o'clock, it's like it's going to be an event that night. Right. As opposed to when you drop it at midnight, it's kind of like just diehards are there. You yeah. Know? It's just like a. It's not like everybody's watching it at midnight. So yeah. it, it would seem that the social media traffic and all that would be more beneficial if they drop it at a reasonable time on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's probably there's they probably they probably definitely had their reasons. Um Yeah, we could talk about the first two episodes. I don't know if you guys wanted to to rate it first. Um yeah, I'll, I'll start with the ratings. Uh, Dre, what did you think about... Uh, I mean, you can rate both episodes or you could rate them both collectively. It's up to you. Yeah, um, I'll just rate them both collectively since I pretty much watched them all back to back. The first two episodes, I'll give them a... I'll give them a, a strong taste it. They were... Fair, it started off fairly slow for me just in terms of them establishing, you know where Obi-Wan is at in his life right now and what's the state of other such things going on in, in within the, the within the world at the moment. We didn't get anything, at least not to me, that was super revealing of that nature, but it was entertaining for what it was. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how much we're going to dive into spoilers about this or if we're just going uh, to just try to... I'll let people know right now, yeah, you want to watch Obi-Wan Kenobi before you listen to our review because we are going to be spoiling this. Okay, cool. So that being said, um, the first episode to me was, yeah, was kind of slow. It, things definitely picked up more in the second episode once, we, once uh, Obi-Wan goes on his mission to rescue uh, Leia and... So the second episode, I enjoyed much more. So if I was to rate them individually, I'd give maybe episode one a taste it. Episode two, I'd give that one a high taste it. Um, some things I kind of didn't particularly care for was, well, I, not even a whole lot of things. One thing in particular I didn't care for was um, the Inquisitor. I can't remember the name of her her character, but the main the one. Third that's sister. Yeah, the third sister. Yeah. Her name's Reva, the third sister. Yeah. yeah. Not so much her character. Her character, but the performance of the actor just kind of didn't work for me. It kind of felt like she was kind of trying too hard or overacting a bit in terms of trying to be intimidating, which kind of was throwing me off a little bit. Um, but outside of that, it was entertaining. It, um, it didn't particularly wow me, but it did hold my attention good enough. Um, the little girl who's playing Leia, she was tinge annoying at times just because she refused to listen to Obi-Wan and it was just like just just snatch her up and go because <laughs> <laughs> like she's just to be you know the precocious little scamp that, was she supposed you know, to be 10 years old I think so roughly she looked 10. like she was like five 
She 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 ran like a toddler. She ran like a toddler, didn't she? <laughs> that too, yeah. And yet nobody could catch her. She was always ahead of them. I could not nobody understand that. This little girl. That made no sense to me. She she did not look like she. I'm like I don't. It's not like I I, I couldn't tell you where. Like I you put a bunch of kids in front of me. I can't tell you who's fucking four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know. But she did not look ten. She looked like she was five, and she ran straight up like a toddler. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, I I enjoyed her character in the sense that she did kind of. She still showed that little bit of that uh. Uh, rebellious nature that was kind of a bit of what Leia was so she kind of had that that essence of it so they did good in terms of portraying that and showing that you know that little bit of a rebel type nature has always been inherent in Leia from the very beginning I appreciated that part but then again at the same time once she was in danger and she's just running and grown adults nobody can catch her there's one part in episode (laughs) two where she literally runs right past obi-wan and he does can't even be bothered to reach his arms out and grab her in 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 the star wars wiki page it says that leia is like a greased up piggy (laughs) 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 it's like it's like you could take her to the county fair and it's like trying to catch a greased pig it's it's impossible to catch this child (laughs) yeah like i said that's me. I'll um I'll give episode one a taste it. I'll give episode two a high taste it. Um, I think this one, it's, it's got potential. It, it has enough to hold my interest to where I'll tune in. Again, admittedly, I'm not the super diehard knows all the minutia Star Star Wars fan. I'm just I've seen the movies. I've watched uh, Mandalorian and Rogue One and the shows that have come with it. And that's pretty much the extent of my Star Wars fandom. Okay, yeah. So it's like you're not you're not watching like uh, the Clone Wars animated or Rebels animated or anything like that. No, no. I started. I tried to start with Clone Wars, but didn't get hooked into it or finish it or anything. But no. So yeah, I'm probably about as casual as it gets when it comes to Star Wars. Okay, okay. I enjoy it, but yeah. I'm not yeah, not deep into it. I, one thing that you said about Reva, you were talking about Reva. I I think my biggest problem with the third sister right now. Is why is she so? And they need to have a flashback episode with her character um, because. Well, let me start off by saying this: at the beginning of the show, we see Order sixty six, and we see Jedi fighting off clone troopers protecting the younglings. Mm-hmm. The first youngling that we see in the shot of the younglings is a little black girl who's a Jedi who's training and I believe that that's going to we're going to find out that that's Reva yeah I think so too but why is she so dead set on why I mean I understand that she's now an inquisitor and I understand that inquisitors are you know slightly force sensitive they they hunt Jedi I mean I watched rebels I get it why is this character so dead set? What happened? Why is she so angry at the Jedi? What from and specifically Obi Wan? It seems and like. specifically Obi Wan. Is it is it just the fact that she wants to get Obi Wan to bring him to Vader because now she's just like a, you know, she wants to please Lord Vader. I need to know because she is acting very kind of uh, just angry for no reason and 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 but she's very take charge she's very strong-willed i just want to know where that i want to know what that motivation is where that's coming from and maybe then i'll understand her character a little bit more that's my biggest problem with her so far is that 
they haven't given that to us. And I think that they will. I'm hoping that we get a flashback, yeah. mm-hmm. we get that reveal, and then I can put that to bed. And now I can understand this character a little bit more. Because, like, that's where I'm, you know, it's it's a new character. I'm not familiar yeah. with her. So, yeah, maybe maybe that's it, too. Maybe just me seeing her being so hyper-aggressive without knowing why is maybe why it comes off is like she's overdoing it to me. Well, we've seen this in that. Star Wars so many times and it's it's you know, you've always got like somebody trying to get ahead. Uh we, we saw it in, you know, in the sequel trilogy between Hux and and Kylo vying for the attention of Vader and here we're seeing it I think again between the Grand Inquisitor that we have in this series and then Reva the third sister. They're vying against each other for, you know, um to get in good with 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 vader we we even see you know this grand inquisitor try to take credit for like you know bringing in obi-wan kenobi after she was the one who set up this whole plan that he was against the entire time mm-hmm. we've seen this a lot in star wars and sometimes it's like sometimes we see it too much and sometimes you know d- will, will it work at the end of the day i want this to work at the end of the day i just think we need to know more about reva um yeah yeah, and I'm trying to reserve judgment too because I feel that this is her story's going to be unpacked over the next few episodes. Yeah, but but yeah, similarly, like I feel that they should have done something more in that Order sixty six scene um, to give you some kind of backstory as to why she is so bent on getting Obi Wan Kenobi because you know for two episodes you just watch her have this blind rage and yes. we don't know why yeah, exactly. You know? Ex- yeah. Exactly. I, I 100% agree. Yeah, Tristan, go ahead and and give us your thoughts on the Obi-Wan series. Yeah, actually, I'm going to um, be uh, given a rating like um, Dre, but like it's going to be flipped, though. I actually like the first episode more than the second. And for me, the first episode, I'm going to give a high-tasted. Um, and that's primarily because... Just the look and feel of that first episode, it had so many moments that I felt, you know, were not necessarily, um, you know, just movie quality, but they felt very cinematic and it felt like Star Wars. And that score, I really love the score. The score was 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 one of the best scores I've heard on a TV show recently. I really, really enjoyed the score. And just the look of Tatooine, as, as much as we're tired of that planet, I felt that the scenes on Tatooine, for some reason, felt a lot more cinematic than some of the other scenes. I felt some of the other scenes in like Alderaan and that other planet that they go to in episode uh, two. Dayu. Dayu. Yeah. I, I felt they looked a little TV to me. And whereas when he's in Tatooine, it, it looked a little bit more in the, in the the vein of Star Wars. And that's maybe just because yeah. it's more familiar. Dayu felt uh, like it was like we were watching. Honestly, Dayu felt like I, I was watching a sci-fi original yeah, program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and exactly. and Tatooine felt very much like this is like budget. We've we've put a lot into making Tatooine look like Tatooine. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably due to the fact that they have all the you know the sets and all that stuff already to begin with, and 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 also just seeing a new Star Wars aesthetic is always a little jarring. I think whenever you see anyone that's different, um, and I kind of felt as much as I did enjoy. Um, I felt that the performances were just a mixed bag. Like I felt Hugh McGregor was great. I felt that Jimmy Smith was great. I felt that, um, um, uh, um, Lars, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh Joel Edgerton. Uh, Joel Edgerton was great. Did you uh, notice uh, that we didn't get any, uh, Aunt, um, Aunt Varu because the actor 
they showed her in like the you know the um the beginning previously the previously yeah but the actress she was involved in that whole nexium scandal oh that oh i didn't know that was mm-hmm. she the one that got arrested not 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 Allison Mack, but she was involved. She was part of Nexium. She she was actually I think she was in Nexium before Allison Mack. Um, if oh. you watch the Nexium documentaries, there's one I believe on stars, and then there's the other one. I think I can't remember. The other one might be on Hulu. HBO. HBO. Right. Yeah, the HBO one. That's where they have uh, the, her, her name's like Bonnie something and she's she's in she's featured in that documentary so she was part of that nexium group and i i don't think that we are gonna see her in this she's not that important though you should just recast her yeah yeah i agree yeah but i was basically saying that you know the um, performances are a little mixed because i think those those guys you know edgerton and and jimmy smith and and um ian mcgregor i thought were kind of acting in a different movie than some of the other actors and i felt like a lot of them just i, I, I hate to say it but the young princess leia i felt i felt they could have got a better actress they should and have got that fucking uh that girl from game of thrones that mormon girl well she's oh, yeah, a little yeah. old i think she's now. older now yeah i yeah. didn't think of that but she might have been able to play young yeah, um, but I feel you know I think I, I see child actors you know like Jacob Tremblay and Dakota Fanning and like she's not one of them. You know? It's like she's not one of those kind of kids. And I feel that Star Wars would have had access to some of the best child actors, and I think they could have done a little better. I mean, she you know was cute and everything, looked like a young Leia and all that. But I just felt I felt like I, and maybe it's because there I was something kids. in the delivery sometimes where it felt like yeah. you could feel her just reading the lines, reading. Yeah. 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 And yeah, like a constant eye blink that she was doing. That was annoying me. But like, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't know if she looks like a 10 year old. I, I mean, I've lost touch with what a 10 year old looks like. But like she, she looks like she's five to me. Yes. <laughs> she just, she just she, looks like. Do you think that's just Hollywood? Because Hollywood yeah. always ages up everyone. So that's just kind of what you're used to seeing on TV. Because she's nine in real life. Oh, so she's even younger. And so when they filmed this, she's probably was what, like eight? Eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I just wonder why they didn't get a, a little bit more of a seasoned actor for that because I felt, I felt she was a little not ready for this, if, if that makes any sense. I, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I can't deny it either. I, I, there, I thought there were times where she was very, very charming and cute and fun, but, uh, and I liked seeing, you know, like, you know, what we know of, our Leia kind of like bleeding over into her, but um, <laughs> it did feel like she was very much reading lines at some points in, in, in the yeah. episode. So. <laughs> we talked about the running. I mean, that was just ridiculous to me. <laughs> just grab this kid. I mean, there's no way this kid should be out running, you guys. <laughs> running like she has like a bottle in her hand. But, um, but yeah, like overall, um, I did enjoy the show. You know, the score stood out for me, the cinematography and the strong performances. Um, I felt, I mean, uh, Flea didn't work for me as a villain. I mean, he felt a little CW to me. I, I, I don't know if it's just the fact that uh, I'm just being too harsh, but like a lot of the performances I just felt could have been better cast. And, and, and it seems like it's like half of it knows what it's doing and half of it is still kind of struggling. Like, uh, like they don't have all the departments firing on all cylinders. But overall, I, I enjoyed it and I, I'm looking forward to seeing episode three. 
Yeah, you tell me that Flea's going to be in this. That actually gets me excited because I actually kind of like I like what he brings to certain movie projects sometimes. Like yeah. Back to the Future 2 where he played Needles. That was a fun character. And, yeah. you know, that was a fun character working with like the older Marty and shit like that. And I liked it. It didn't work here, though, sadly. I agree with you. Um, Jake, what did you think about Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, I mean, I, I love this show. I, I think I have blinders on when it comes to this show. I mean, it started with a 10-minute recap that involved nothing but episode one, two, and three footage. So I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, I just had a hard time really seeing any faults in this show. Like, it was the first Star Wars property since the prequels that felt like I was back to watching prequel stuff. And, I mean, even, like, some of the bad performances, like, to me, that was that's just prequel-era Star Wars. I mean, you're not going to have the greatest performances. Um, yeah. yeah, I loved it. I loved Ewan's performance. I thought it was great. Um, I actually really liked young Leia, too. I thought she was fantastic. I, I bought into it immediately and didn't, you know, question it ever throughout the next episode. Um at first, I had a problem with uh, Kumel Najami's character. Like, I I actually believed he was a Jedi for, like, 10 seconds. And I was like, ooh, they're making this way too comedic. They're kind of ins- – but then once yeah. the re- reveal happens, I'm like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense why he would deliver the way he was delivering when he was doing the Jedi mind trick. I was like, oh, this is an embarrassment to Jedi mind tricks. This is the worst one I've ever seen. And it's like, oh, that's – that's the point. So I kind of really dug that reveal. Um, yeah, man, so far, this is honestly my, my favorite star Wars television project easily. I, I fucking love this. I would have watched the next four episodes right then and there. If I could have, um, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with, uh, Hayden in future episodes. I, I actually really do like the third sister character. And I, I do agree that I think we're going to get her flashback. And I'm, I'm very much excited for that. And man, I, I, it's just one of those things where I just I see no wrong in this whatsoever. Like I know it's there. This is the most I'm, biased review I've ever listened to <laughs> in happened, my entire life. I, 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 we've all done it. You included, Brian. I know I have. Like yeah, I just I can't help it. I they gave me prequel era Star Wars, and it feels like it, from that mold. And I, I agree with Tristan. Like the score was just absolutely fantastic. Like Williams hit it out of the park with that new Obi-Wan theme. And then the rest of the score was very, very good too. And uh, yeah, I'm completely biased with this show. I, I, I don't know what it can do wrong at this point. Jesus. Um, yeah. I, my reaction is just because uh, just, just how biased you are. I'm just blown away. I, I know. I, I, I can't help it. I, I was like 15 minutes in and I was like, this is my favorite thing ever. Okay. <laughs> I, and like to call it the, I don't know. It's, I don't, I, I don't even, I don't think this can compete as far. I, I'm going to get into what I think about it, but I don't think this comes close to the, the level of what we got like from the Mandalorian. I just think, I think, I think most people would agree with that, but I, I, it's just, Oh man, I, I love it so much. I do like it more than either season of Mando. That's insane to me. That's absolutely insane. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold back on that. That is insane. <laughs> I agree. I mean, to each their own. On it. I just like, I, I've never felt the emotion swelling inside my body from Mandalorian that I felt here. Mm, okay. One thing I have to add is that recap in the beginning for uh, episodes one, two, three. It made those movies look very epic. <laughs> you know, just showing. Yeah, it was that, fucking awesome. Yeah. It made them look a lot better than they actually were. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. I'm saying I was watching that flashback like, damn, maybe those movies weren't half bad. <laughs> yeah, we all need the we need the Topher Grace cut of all those movies. You guys have heard about that, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah he if you haven't, cut. Topher Grace made a cut of the uh, of the Phantom Men. I think he made a cut of all the movies where uh, and screened them for his friends where like he left out you know a lot of the shit that you know he felt that should be left out and made a more streamlined movie and everybody douchebag no 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 i i want the topher grace vision over the original lucas vision (laughs) yeah there's not a single scene i would cut from phantom menace you're out of your mind (laughs) <laughs> you're out of your goddamn mind even, even the trade federation scene with the accents i love it <laughs> <laughs> i cry like a baby when fucking jake lloyd is leaving shimmy oh That's a good god scene. uh jesus christ anyway um i i uh i i love the first episode it's an absolute tupperware for me uh i thought it was fantastic i i love the the stuff on tatooine and I'll give the second episode a high taste it though. Um yeah. Kumail was fine. I, I you know, I and I kind of picked up early I think that he was like a fake Jedi. Uh, you know, just just the way he was acting like right from the get and like talking over the, you know, communicator and and doing a a, a Jedi mind trick over the communicator. I'm like this can't be ha- this has got to be a setup. Um but uh yeah, I, Tupperware the first episode. I really loved it. I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic. I do have issues with uh, with young Leia. I, I don't think she was the best choice, uh, but she's serviceable. So I'll let it slide, and hopefully we don't have to. She won't be like a huge part of this series. Maybe she'll bounce out by, you know, episode three or something. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Let's just get it. I guess we'll just get into like the the nitty gritty of this episode of these episodes and like what you guys want to talk about, what your big takeaways were from the episodes. Um, I did love the fact that even I think like the title card would piss off Anakin because it's made out of sand. And I was like, that is a beautiful touch there. Um, yeah. So we've got the, the villains here. It's, it's the fifth brother. The third sister in the Grand Inquisitor, I think, is it's the fifth brother, right? Played by the 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 actor from the, yeah, the from Fast and Furious. Um, oh, Han, yeah, yeah, Han. Um, yeah, the leaks were right that uh, Benny Safdie is in the series and he played a Jedi named Nari. So those leaks were correct, and he was the one that was hung, and so that leak was correct. Um, the toy that Ben gives to Luke. Uh, when you watch Star Wars A New Hope, there's a scene where Luke is sitting down and talking with C-3PO, and he's got, like, a little ship that he's flying around in his hands, and it looks exactly like the same one that Ben gives to Luke here that Owen gives back to him. Um, I wondered if it was the same ship. Now, yeah. oh, go ahead. I saw some side-by-sides. It's the same ship, yeah. Yeah. Uh I thought it was interesting that we got uh, Obi-Wan trying to communicate with Qui-Gon. But I, since he's not close with the Force now, and we kind of saw that displayed here in, this, in the first two episodes, that you know, it looks like he's kind of rusty. He 
you know, he, he kind of put away the force and has been forced to live like a, just like a regular, you know, person on Tatooine. And um, he's put it behind him and he's trying to, he tried to talk to Qui-Gon, but I think that by the end of this series, we're going to get that Liam Neeson force ghost. Hundred oh, percent, totally. Yeah. I thought the uh, the previously on really drove that home for me. Like by the end of that, I was like, "Oh, there's no way they showed us all that footage, and they're not going to pay it off." Oh yeah, yeah. especially yeah. when they specifically show the line where Yoda says, "You know, <laughs> while you're away, training I have for you to communicate with Qui Gon." So, you know, you don't put that in the flashback if there. We shouldn't put that in the flashback if there's not going to be some sort of payoff on that in this season or in this in this series. I did think it was cool that. Leia did the exact same trick, the the decoy trick that her mother did. Padme, when she yeah yeah that was yeah. awesome yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, um, please guys, less reactions when I say things. Um, Sorry, I had mute on. There was a bunch of kids screaming. No, everybody else too. I just everybody else go on mute as well because that would be that makes for great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, we. <laughs> <laughs> we see uh we did get to, uh, a shot of c-3po and r2d2 in this at that uh, event in alderaan and you actually hear c-3po talking to a couple people at that event in alderaan and then there's another shot where you get to see r2d2 so i thought that, that was very cool um yeah. and i did like i kept wondering how you know from the trailers and from you know the leaks and stuff like that they're talking about how Obi-Wan's going to go off planet. I, I kept wondering why would Obi-Wan go off planet when he's supposed to be watching over Luke. And I think that they found the perfect way to get him off planet. I thought that that was, that's about the only way to get him off planet. It, it totally made perfect sense to me to have Leia kidnapped and for Bale to contact him. And that's, what's going to get him off of Tatooine and leave Luke unprotected. I, I agree. And he physically showed up, too. I, I think it wouldn't have worked if it was just a phone call. Like, he actually had to physically show up to get him off that goddamn planet. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised to see him in there. <laughs> yeah, me too. One of the big questions that I had, and I brought this up on, on Discord, I, I can um, – and I've come to terms with it because I, I do think it's possible. But – I did have issue with it at first, and I still do have somewhat of an issue with it. And you can talk yourself into believing it or talk yourself out of it. It's however which way you go, you're not wrong. Leia never meets Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope, but he's mentioned quite a few times. And in her message to Obi-Wan Kenobi, she says... You fought alongside my father in the, you know, you, uh, in the Clone Wars. Um, not, you, oh, God, I'm messing up my quote. Um, you served my father. You served my father. Fa- thank you. I'm like yeah. fucking up my words. You served my father in the Clone Wars. That's what she says. So it's like when she says that in the hologram message to Obi-Wan... She doesn't say, and I know she can't say, you rescued me when I was 10 years old and we spent that time. <laughs> I know that that's not possible, but 
does it make sense for her to the way she says it it's almost like there's only a connection with her father like i'm a le- like i'm i'm his child and you knew my father it's not like that quote there's nothing in that quote and and there's nothing in the sequels it's not like after a new hope ends and and they and they win she talks with luke or whatever and they talk about ben and like that she knew him from before we don't hear about the fact that she knew you know obi-wan in empire we never hear anything in um we, we don't even hear anything in the in the in the in the sequel trilogy from her character she's not she's no. not too beat up in a new hope when luke comes back without him and they, you know, they do the escape trip. Right, you know, Ex- exactly. She's excited to hear that he's there with Ben Kenobi when 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 Luke first shows up as dressed as a stormtrooper, which I also appreciated. She's very judgy when she first meets people that are supposed to be things because she says to <laughs> Obi Wan, "Like, aren't you a little beat up to be a Jedi? Old? <laughs> aren't you a little old and beat up to be a Jedi?" And when she first sees Luke, she's like, "Aren't you a little too short to be a stormtrooper?" And I yeah. did appreciate the writing for for young Leia. Anyway, I guess it's like it, it feels like you could make the argument that. In the original trilogy and in the sequel trilogy, it never you never get a feeling that she'd ever met Ben before. And this, not that it's retconning anything because they never actually see each other face to face in A New Hope, but it's never mentioned. So it's kind of like they just kind of like leave this door open that it could happen. And then you could also make the argument now. Now it really makes sense why they why her and Han named their child Ben. Yeah, yeah. The, the way I interpreted it was when she reached out to Obi-Wan in A New Hope, you know, sending that hollow message to him saying, you know, Ben, you're my only hope. The, the fact that they're showing this rescue of Leia from her childhood, the way I looked at it is that's how she knew. That's how she knows of Ben Kenobi in order to so that in uh, in A New Hope, when she reaches out to him, why she would even think to reach out to, of all people, Ben Kenobi is because of this thing that happened in her childhood. She remembered, oh, when I was a child, you know, he's the one who came and rescued me. But so she doesn't say that. Yeah. She doesn't her, say I, I, that. I know she doesn't say it. I'm just saying, like, you think that you would make the personal connection as opposed to basically saying <laughs> You served yeah. my father in the Clone Wars. That's basically that's her. When you were, if you were to say, if I were to, um, if I were to know you, Dre, personally, right, right. Mm-hmm. and I needed you for something, and when I sent you a message about needing to have you work with me on whatever it is, but I bring up someone else that I worked with that knew you, like you know what I mean. <laughs> It, right. You would think that yeah. if I'm sending a message to you, like you'd be like, hey, I know you're a Jedi. You rescued me when I was a kid. I need you again. Not like bringing up somebody else that knew you that you worked with or something. It's it's it goes from being like mm-hmm. something personal to something like. You know, you're we have this adjacent relationship because of my father, Bail Organa. Right, right. I, I get your point, I, and I agree with that. That that's how it would be. But I, and so I believe that there is a bit of a there's some retconning happening 
with this uh, rescue of her as a child. I just took, took it as the rescue. The fact that he rescued her as a child is why she thought to reach out to him as an adult when she had been kidnapped again. Obviously, yeah, they don't have the foresight back in 79 yes. when they were making the movie to do that. But they're doing this now as a little bit of a retcon, as a little bit of going back and, you know, putting some meat back on the old bones. As to, you know, why would she think to reach out to Ben in the first place? Oh, because of this thing that happened when she was a kid and she got kidnapped and he's the one who came and rescued her. That's just how yeah. I looked at it. Yeah, it makes um, it definitely makes the attachment between Leia and Ben uh, a little bit more understandable, given the fact that they have this history. But it, I mean, for me personally, it does seem a little problematic that you don't first say, hey, I'm the girl that you rescued five, six years ago. Or whatever. Yeah. Was, you know, as opposed to saying, hey, remember that thing you did 30 years ago? Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, my father. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, motherfucker, you know me. Exactly. She, she's in pure <laughs> diplomat mode at that point. She's not going to bring up pure personal experiences. <laughs> and I mean, and she really has no, like, A New Hope really alludes to the fact that it's Obi-Wan Kenobi because there's no other fucking choice. Like, at that point, the only Jedi left are Obi-Wan and Yoda. So, you know, at least to her knowledge. Unless at the end of this series, Bill Organa says, make sure the little girl is mind wiped. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> And that, yeah, I, uh, I, and you know, like, it's not like she would, she was so young that she'd forget him because she's a really sharp kid. And yeah, I just, if I, I met you and McGregor when I was 10 years old, I would never forget it. No, there's no way she'd forget this. Plus this is her first time ever being off world. You think that, that like, you think that like in a new hope that, you know, like, once everything's all said and done and she finds out that, you know, Ben died, that she'd be like, you know, that there'd be a discussion like, oh, I'm so sad that Ben died. That man <laughs> saved me when I was 10 years old, you know, another, after I was thing I didn't think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Think her and Luke would kind of bond over it a bit. Like, right. I completely agree with that. Like Luke can be like, oh, I didn't know him very well. And she could be like, well, you know, I did. And he, he did a lot for me when he didn't have to and try to ease Luke in the whole situation. And you'd think that if Ben actually, you know, yeah, you think when Ben fucking heard that message, the hologram message, that he would have been like, Oh, I served your father in the Clone Wars? Don't you remember when I fucking saved your fucking ass from Flea? <laughs> you almost got me fucking killed multiple times? You ran away? I had to, you, you fell from a fucking building and I had to fucking pull the force out of my ass? For the first time in 10 years? In 10 years? To save your ass. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's almost like one of those what do they call those those people that uh that they they, they they get they they bring they those born again virgins or something you know <laughs> yeah that was probably oh, what yeah. you're talking about that was a deleted scene him cussing her out in the kitchen. no him God, using him it, kidnapped again jake his, him using like he's he was like a force virgin again and he had to fucking use his force virginity again lose his force virginity okay, again after you. 10 years yeah that's it was a bad joke jake fuck you um <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know there was a born again virgin i'm sorry i thought you were talking about something for real no it's a thing it's a thing it's like no you can't be a born again virgin that makes no sense Anyway, um, let's see here. I'm trying to figure. Oh, I like the scene where Kenobi was, you know, he's not using the force. And that whole fighting scene between him and those two guys, very well choreographed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
they did a good job of uh, they did a good job of showing him being rusty and probably subverting maybe some people's expectations. Like some people probably thought that oh he's back in the fold, he about to hop right back in it, he about to be force throwing yeah. and countering and doing this shit and whipping out the lightsaber. And it's like no, he he's rusty. He's out of practice. He's gonna get hit. It's gonna hurt because ain't nobody stole on him in a while. And they did a good job of conveying that as opposed to you know giving people the red meat that they probably wanted <laughs> right off the bat of you know him back in full Jedi mode. No, instead we we have to. They're they're saving that for later on in the series, or you know, yeah, know that he he has to get back into the groove. So you know, this episode you saw how hard it was for him just to channel the force, just to barely save her from falling. Whereas you know, Prime Obi Wan probably would have just snatched her right off the cable and put her back on the roof like it was nothing. So. They need to call this how Kenobi got his groove back. Is what the hell of it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was no. even struggling to catch a toddler running. That's what I was going to say. It's like, you know, back <laughs> when he was using the force, he could have force ran, you know what I mean? But now he's got fucking, you know, toddler-legged Leia running away from him. He could barely keep up with her. It felt like it was like I was watching, like, it felt like I was watching the, the two burglars in uh, Home Alone, Joe Pesci and, uh, <laughs> and Daniel Stern, try to catch that Macaulay kid. You know, it was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Obi-Wan gets lazy quick. He already forgot how to force run by the end of episode one. They all stopped for force running. They, and fucking Anakin forgot how to force jump when he had the high ground, you know? So it's like, whatever. Yeah. Um, I did like... Uh, um, oh, no, no, no. Um, I was going to talk about the Reva scene where she kills the Grand Inquisitor. This is not the same Grand Inquisitor from Rebels, then. Because, like, this is a completely different Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, the guy just dies over and over again. Well, I mean, it can't be the same guy. It has to be a different Grand Inquisitor because that Rebels doesn't happen for another five years. Yeah, unless this character is not dead. Yeah, he can easily be repaired or something. I was wondering the same thing. I mean, it looks like they based the design on that character. Looks like the Rebels. same. It's the same design. It looks like the same. He comes from the um, same, you know, race of alien that the grand inquisitor is from so i bet it is the same character i bet he's just not dead i mean yeah, since I mean, when does anything like that kill a character in star wars okay yes. yeah. yeah it does seem like yeah a bit much for like a simple shank to the gut and that's all it's a wrap for him meanwhile anakin got sliced all the way in half and he's still out here kicking ass and that's what i'm saying yeah they're just gonna throw him in a back to tank okay put him in a back to tank yeah i guess it could be the same guy it's wild. I thought it was crazy when Third Sister cut off that civilian's hand and she like was just gone from the shot. It's like she completely vanished. There was no like after he, screaming well, or audience reaction. Yes, you didn't hear anybody. You didn't hear her screaming afterwards. I thought that that was super weird too. It's like, okay, I guess it. I, I understand that it's a lightsaber. It cauterized the wound probably immediately, but you'd still think that. The entire time when they're talking, there'd be a woman screaming in the background because her hand got cut off. Or more of a crowd reaction or just, yeah, it just felt like everything just got pushed into a vacuum the second she cut her hand off. Yeah, I noticed that, too, when I was watching it. Um, and then we get uh, the final shot of uh, Anakin in the back to tank, which that was that was leaked. We talked about that uh, a couple months ago, Jake. Yeah, yeah, that was super cool. I, and just finding out that seeing Obi-Wan's reaction to finding out his apprentice is still alive was really heartbreaking. Yeah. Yep. 
It just feels like they're playing with canon a little bit here because wasn't Anakin's connection to Vader like a well-kept secret? And how would Reva know this? Or is this just her connection to Order 66? Okay. Uh, are you – she – Reva was able to look through the archives to find out that Kenobi had a relationship with Bail Organa. Right. Um, but you're asking how does she know – I mean – Vader probably like it's not yeah, it's not common knowledge that Anakin's Vader at this point. Remember, like, I, I mean, if you're going by the canon that they're setting up, I mean, even Leia, it wasn't even known that she was his daughter until the aftermath novels. Um, hmm. What do you think? What do you think, Jake? Yeah, but, but <clears throat> Leia doesn't even know who her father is in the first place. You know what I'm saying? It's it, she didn't even find out that she's a Skywalker until Return of the Jedi. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I wasn't too bothered by this. I, I mean, I don't think she. Well, was we know to... you weren't bothered by anything in this ep- in, in these in these episodes, Jake. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> what was there to be bothered by? You just love you loved everything. I have to say, I have to say though that I kind of chuckled when they showed the uh, the Jedi that was hanged. Because <laughs> Disney didn't want to actually show a proper hanging, so he was just like kind of dangling there, like a child that's in one of those carriers that's on your chest. I laughed at that too. Like they must have killed him some other way, and then just strung him <laughs> strung up. Strung him for up. Display. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Let this be a lesson to you. Yeah. Strung him up for display with not a wound on his body, but he's dead. <laughs> He was a good-looking guy. He wouldn't want to scar it up. It would have been more effective if they just showed his feet dangling. Yeah. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, yeah, uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, we've got four episodes left, and uh, hopefully they can uh, – hopefully it will all come together. We're going to see more Vader. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I think we are getting into – you know, I think you can get into discussions of like how it's going to uh, um, affect the original trilogy and retcon certain things. And I guess you're just going to have to like, you know, come to terms and, and make these arguments in your head to try to understand that these things are happening. So that's just something that we're going to we're going to have to have leaps in logic when it comes to watching well, some of these. That's still Star Wars, though, right? I mean, that was what the whole prequel trilogy was. I mean, like making leaps in logic, um, you know, where uh, the stuff that Ben Kenobi was telling Luke and and A New Hope was kind of finagled to fit the, the stuff that we saw in the prequel trilogy. Yeah. And then we had to learn about midi-chlorians as well. So. Yeah. Not only yeah. is the force this, but it's science. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Anyway. Hopefully it's good retcons. I mean, sometimes retcons bring along really cool shit. Like, I mean, Winter Soldier wouldn't exist in the Marvel Universe without a crazy ass fucking retcon. And I don't think anyone would take that back at this point. No, I would. Yeah. I would say in Star Wars, the, the best one that they've pulled off so far is the retcon in um, uh, Rogue One, where they kind of. You know the Death Star plans and and oh uh, yeah, where they actually didn't make it stupid that they would have an exhaust port that you could shoot a fucking missile into to blow the whole thing up. Like, exactly, it was very nice that they gave us a very logical reason why it was like that in the first place. Yeah, I, I think that really works. But some of this stuff is it's like a you know 
you've really got to do some mental gymnastics to make it work. Like this whole Leia Ben thing, Ben Kenobi thing. I mean, well, I think the bigger one is just going to be Vader and uh, Ben Kenobi's uh, last meeting, too. And just kind of making sense of that Mm -hmm. and and, and tying that into what he says in A New Hope. Yeah. um, Somebody did point out that when you when he when when Vader takes off the mask in uh, Return of the Jedi, he's got like a scar on his head. And that scar is not there when we see him in the back to tank. So he might get that scar in their next battle. Oh, cool. So, yeah, we will see. Let's take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that Andor trailer. Sounds great. Hi, I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight in Dan and yogurt, and the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit, that freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that popcultureleftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient, just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. All right, hey, we are back. We are going to be talking about uh, the trailer for Andor. It feels like we've been hearing about Andor forever. And I think when the announcement was first made for Andor, it was like, oh, my God. Like the guy's dead. We saw him die in, in fucking Rogue <laughs> One. Why are we getting a series about Andor? And honestly, from all the hype and everything that I've been hearing, um, I'm thinking this might be a really, really good series. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. I'm still in the why do we need this for Andor phase. Like, I, I want it to be good. I want to eat crow, but I, I'm having a hard time shake the we don't need this. Man, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I, I, I like the trailer quite a bit. It's a high taste it for me. I like the trailer quite a bit. I, so, and I, I, I think this one could get, uh, there's something about just seeing, like, we, we saw a very cool, um, kind of like, uh, Ocean's Eleven type Rogue One movie where the you know the gang gets together and they try to pull this you know pull off this huge you know not heist but like this this they have they have this big goal that they have to do and it, it's just it was kind of cool seeing that movie I I am interested in seeing how these all these different people that are that are oppressed are coming together. And I think that that made Game of Thrones really interesting when you when you see Daenerys kind of like bring all these people together to fight against 
you know, this, this evil. And I think that's what we're seeing here is we're seeing, um, and, you know, Cassian Andor being inspired by, by people in his life, seeing things, traumatic things when he is a child and being inspired by other people. And then, you know, being handed that torch himself and, and running with it and freeing other people that are oppressed and, Starting this rebellion, I, I, I think it could if they do it right, man. This could be a really, really great series, and that that's kind of like where I am with it. I give it a high taste. It, I, I, I do want to break it down a little bit more, but maybe maybe what I've written for this is better in my head than what we'll see. But that's what I get from this. That's what I get from this because I always like in Game of Thrones. I always liked how, you know. Daenerys would add like a different piece to her army and, and get that army stronger, you know, from where she started to where she where she ended up. You know, you even see it in like movies like Braveheart and shit like that. You know, it's just like it's really cool to watch people kind of that are oppressed band together to fight like a greater evil. And that's that's what I want to see this series do. Even though we know what happens, I, I kind of want to see them do this in an interesting way. Um, mm-hmm. Tristan, what did you yeah. think, man? Yeah, so um, I'm going to give it a high taste as well. Like it definitely uh, increased my my uh, hype for the show by watching this. I love the aesthetic. It looks very Rogue One, and and um, you know we're just kind of talking about like the Obi Wan visual effects for some reason. I don't know if it's just for the trailer, but this this feels a little bit more lived in. It looks it feels um, the stagecraft seems a little bit more seamless here than it does. And in, in the, the Obi-Wan. I don't even think they're right using now. stagecraft in some of this, man. I think they're using real set yeah, locations. Looks like they're at, yeah, it looks like they're on real locations in some of this stuff. And, you know, I prefer that. And, and yeah, I was never hype for this show to begin with just because we know how things end but it you know there is some beauty as far as looking at the journey um that a character is going to take especially a good character like that so and i like the fact that it's going to take place far away from rogue one so that you know that has a lot of possibilities as well because at first i thought it was just going to be like a a damn near prequel to rogue one yeah but it's going to take place yeah let's let's i want to pause here real quick because this series um it's going to be broken up into into two parts or, or two seasons, however they're going to call it. But the first season takes place over one year, and it's set five years before Rogue One. And then the second season takes place during the next four years leading up to Rogue One. Mm. So that's where kind of where we are in the in the timeline. Yeah. yeah, Gilroy said it was literally going to lead up to the scene where he shanks the guy for info in Rogue One. Like the next moment that happens for Andor is the first moment you see in Rogue One. So it's going to end with the shanking. That's awesome. Like, and- yeah, well, it, it may not end with the shanking, <laughs> but it, it's going to end right before that. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that um, this is going to be a 12 episode season two and they also <laughs> renewed it for a second. So there's basically going to be 24 episodes. So that's encouraging because they must feel like they have something good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and they're dropping a two-episode season premiere on August 31st. Um, the showrunner's Tony Gilroy. This is the guy that took over Rogue One after, you know, Disney Lucasfilm parted ways with Gareth Edwards. Um, even though Edwards got final director credit 
we all know that Tony Gilroy was the kind of guy who did he did the rewrites and uh, took over as director at the end of uh, of that. And, and you can see that displayed from a lot of the scenes in the original trailer that didn't make it into the final movie. You know, there's that whole scene of like, you know, the rebels running on the beach never made it to the movie. So they took a lot of story elements out, added some stuff. And I can't believe they pulled off Rogue One uh, with that kind of uh, Frankenstein, you know, you, you just Tony Gilroy just made it seem seamless. It, it wasn't like it was like the first part of this movie was directed by Zack Snyder. And then we get Joss Whedon. Like you could definitely see, you know, those two directors bleeding into one another in Justice League and it's just a mess. This just Rogue One felt pretty seamless to me. And so for Tony Gilroy coming in here and being the showrunner on this one, that also has me excited because I loved what he did with uh, Rogue One. Go ahead, Tristan. I was just going to say that Rogue One could have been a complete disaster given the way that things turned out, but it was like one of those it was like happy accidents where like they were like, yeah, we meant to do that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it, it, didn't, it didn't start out this way. That script was completely different. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you give it a high taste of it as well. Uh, Dre, what did yeah. you think about the uh, Andor trailer? Um, honestly, for me, as the very casual one, when I first heard about it, I thought Andor was a location. So I was like, Okay, where are they taking us in this? I had no idea that it was connected to the character from Rogue One. I didn't realize that until afterwards when I looked it up and I was like, oh. And then I thought it was set afterwards. So hearing you say it now that it's it's a prequel to Rogue One itself and that it's a, uh, I guess this is supposed to be like the uh, somewhat of the genesis of the rebellion or the very early infancy of it, I guess. Well, okay. Vanity Fair had an article that Andor, and yeah, I, you kind of confused it with Endor, it sounds like. Yeah. The, uh, probably. Yeah. I, I heard Andor and I thought it was a location. I thought they were telling us a, like another, like some elsewhere story of like, you know, this other location. That's initially what I thought of it. I had no connection. I didn't, didn't connect any dots of it to, um, to the, to the Rogue One. But now that I'm hearing you guys talk about it and discussing it, it actually piques my interest a bit more yeah. now. So, Van- Vanity Fair had an article that Andor is going to be a refugee story starting with the destruction of Cassian Andor's homeworld and that his adopted home will become the base of our whole first season. And we watch that place become radicalized by the Empire. We see a lot of that here in the trailer. But go, I, I, and I do want to open it up and break it open and, and discuss the trailer here in a moment. But, um, yeah, Dre, what are the rest of your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, hearing that, uh, like I said, piques my interest a little bit more because, yeah, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a lot to be told there about the, the, the genesis of the rebellion and some of those early days of how these people went from just being, you know, downtrodden and basically just in servitude to just deciding to actually rise up, especially some noteworthy characters within that. So in that regards, it, it piques my interest. So I'll give the trailer, uh, you know, rewatching it with that context to it. I'll give it a taste. It, I'll, it seems like there's, um, there's, there's, there's some meat on that bone to, to, to be chewed on, you know? And I think this, uh, trailer kind of makes me think, kind of gives me the impression that there that this could be 
this could be something uh, interesting. I'll say. I agree, man. I, I really get the feel like this is going to be, you know, we're going to be watching the rebellion kind of like get formed, what it took, the sacrifices that they had to make. Uh, I mean, throughout the trailer, we get to see the backs of all these different characters. And I think that these are going to be main characters. And I, even though we know how Cassian dies because of Rogue One, it doesn't mean that these other characters are off the table and they can't die. I, I really feel like we could get attached to some characters here and it could be like, you know, they could take some of these characters out in this series that we feel very fondly for by the end of it. This is not just Rogue One where we get one movie. We're going to have a series, like Tristan said, 24 episodes. I mean, we could really get attached to some characters here that mm-hmm. that are killed. Yeah, I was very happy to see that they have a big cast because it's going to get a little tedious knowing that nothing happens to Andor. So, yeah. yeah, we're not we don't know what happens to these others. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm also going to give it a high taste. I was a little bit confounded about how much I enjoyed this trailer. Right? Like like I said, I'm still in that camp like why do we need this? Especially why do we need 24 episodes of this? But I was I was blown away at how well shot and cool of a trailer this was. Uh, you just brought it up, Brian. One of my favorite moments is that like low behind the back shoulder camera that we see for all the different characters walking forward. And I just thought that was so cool. Like it felt like something that was shot just for the trailer and i i just loved that and and yeah like man i really hope this show is good but um i don't know i just can't 100 percent mentally get behind the concept of it yet i still need to see like an episode of this thing to know how much i'm really gonna love it but this does give me hope it looked really good yeah yeah i think the high episode (laughs) count does potentially bode well for it because even though we, they are going back in time and we do know the ultimate outcome, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you can take us on a good journey through the story that you're trying to tell us, even if we do know where the finish line is. And the fact that they're giving us, like you said, what, 24 episodes in total, mm-hmm. apparently, of this series? Yeah, that makes me think that there's a, they're going to spend a lot of time investing in these and uh, getting us invested in these characters and making us care for them yeah so that way when we do reach the the finish line that we know is coming it still has an impact on us because we spent that time excuse me with those characters and you know building that connection to them it'll be interesting to see like what missions they go on what things that they have to you know what pieces they have to move how the empire is going to counter that what they're doing and i mean i'm just hoping that i'm really hoping that they're not stuffing this with filler episodes i really hope that every episode counts that's what i'm really hoping for you know it's got a higher there's gonna be lots of flashback episodes too well you get that you get well you get that immediately from the trailer you get that immediately from the trailer um yeah let's dive into this because i you know i I do want to talk about some of these flashback scenes um, the first shot we get is we get a, a shot of a man hitting a hammer onto a big metal bell. And um, it could be Beskar. This could be taken. This could be Beskar that was taken during the Siege of Mandalore. Um, when you have the close captioning on uh, the man that's hitting the bell, they call him the time grappler. And so it looks like what he's doing is he's basically um, uh, hitting that bell. It's almost like it's a it's like a. 
he's letting people know what time it is that it might be curfew time because there's a light on at one moment and then when he hits that bell you see the light go off so um it might be kind of like uh yeah lights out it's curfew uh, i feel like the town this town has been um taken over by by the empire uh, we see a tribe. We then see that this is a flashback, in my opinion. We see a tribe of people by a river watching as a ship is uh, crashing down onto the planet, and the screen focuses on a young boy. This is probably young Cassian Andor, and this is his homeworld. And we know from the Vanity Fair article that it will eventually be destroyed. Um, we then, so I, I think that we will see <clears throat> flashbacks. Definitely see Cassian Andor as a child and probably get to see the destruction of his planet. And that's probably where his hatred of the empire comes from. It's probably the empire that destroys his planet. Uh, we see an old shipyard where it looks like, um, the people of this planet are forced to build ships for the empire. So that's what's happening here. It's like they're taking over these planets and they're oppressing these people, basically enslaving them and making them do do work for them and, and, and build ships. And, um, and there's also an, a facility we see it, inside a facility. They're making parts. These, these guys are dressed in all white and there's kind of like an assembly line and you see these robotic parts laid out. And if you look at the parts that they have, they match up to the K-series of droids, the same series that K-2SO was in Rogue One. So Cassian probably gets into this facility trying to free these people that are uh, being forced to work here in this assembly line and, and make these droids. During that time, he probably reprograms a K-2SO uh, a K uh, a K series droid, which will be K two S O, and that'll be like the origin story of how we'll we'll get to see how Cassian met K two S O, very early on in the series. I guess they're gonna surely on that comic book. Will come in well, one of right? one of the time guys, Jake. I was gonna say surely um, Tudic will come in to voice the character too. He has a really good relationship with Disney. Oh yeah, I think he is in the series. It's K2S, so um, what were you saying, Tristan? I said it looks like they're going to retcon that comic book that explains the origins of K2SO. Oh, <laughs> did they do that? I, I don't remember yeah. that. How do, do you remember yeah, how it went in the comic? comic? That, that deals with um, Cassian and K2SO right before Rogue One. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Legends now. <laughs> yeah. Um, we see the Empire landing on a planet where Cassian and his rebels are then – we see them – the Empire's landing on the planet. We see the rebels hiding their weapons. They're covering them up. There's another man who rings a bell to alert the others. So it looks like they've, the, unbeknownst to the Empire, they are building an army. They're, they're, they're doing what they need to do to eventually, you know, take on the Empire. But when the Empire shows up, they try to hide everything from them. So, um, that's going to be I think those are I think that'll be really cool to see if they can uh, get away with uh, get away with that. Um, we get shots of Imperial officers in a meeting. Um, we get a lot of shots of Coruscant. Uh, we see Genevieve O'Reilly return as Mon Mothma. Uh, Mon Mothma. We saw her 
play that role in uh, Last in Revenge of the Sith, and we're going to see her again in this series. Um, Stellan Skarsgård has now joined Star Wars. Uh, we remember him in the Marvel movies. He played Dr. Selvig. He's going to be in Star Wars now. He's going to be playing a rebel leader named Luthen. And then we get a lot of shots of people doing forced labor for the Empire. And like I said, I think a lot of this series is going to be about Cassian and other rebels kind of like banding together and, and freeing people from oppression from the Empire and, and, and rising up against it. We're going to see them build the, the rebel uh, army here. I, I, I think that could be very interesting. Um, we get another shot of a character holding up a metal weapon against four clone troopers. And at first when I saw this, I was wondering, like, number one, it's, it's 100% of this is a flashback scene because these are clone troopers. At first I was thinking, like, could this be, you know, them showing up on Cassian's planet, his home world, and this is his father trying to fend off these clone troopers and then Cassian sees his father die. And then I was thinking, Oh my God, that's Django and Boba Fett all over again. But watching the trailer, one of the shots that we see at the end is a new character of Marva, who's going to be played by uh, actor Fiona Shaw, who it sounds like she's going to be a leader in the rebellion who Andor really looks up to. I think this is a flashback of her when she's younger and she probably kicks their asses because we, we know we see her older. So I think this is a younger Marva here at the end. So um, that's what I have for the breakdown. Jake, did you have anything to add? No, not in particular. I, that was that was really good. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm really interested to see like how they're going to deal with the formation of the rebels. And that, that could be done really well. I also thought it was interesting to see, um, I forget the actor's name, but he played a uh, Kyburn in game of Thrones. He's the guy that created Franken or Mo- mountain. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looks like he's playing a very similar role. Like he definitely seems like some kind of Imperial lab bad guy. Yeah, we saw we saw wasn't he that one of the imperial officers in that meeting? Yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Um I got this from Dark Horizons. They said uh Andor will have some big Star Wars canon surprises. It says, following on from its overall franchise story a few weeks back, Vanity Fair has published another article. This one's solely centered on Tony Gilroy's Andor TV series starring Diego Luna. Uh the basics of the show are known with the story set five years before Rogue One and four years after Obi-Wan Kenobi as Cassian becomes a true believer vital to the rebellion. Uh, there will also be flashbacks to his childhood as his adopted home planet becomes radicalized in response to Empire rule. Gilroy has teased that fans of Star Wars should get ready for some shakeup to canon of events leading up to those in Rogue One. Quote, there are certain events that happen in these five years that are important and need to be paid attention to. There are certain people, characters that are legacy characters that the audience, the passionate audience, really feels that they have an understanding of and know. In some cases, they're right. And in some cases, what we're saying is what you know, what you've been told, what's on Wikipedia, what you've been telling each other is really all wrong. It's upside down or it's sideways or it's the opposite of what you thought was true. Or it's way more interesting than you ever th- ever had thought. 
or that's a lie and there's a reason for it. I would say that there's some surprises in store. Do you think he's talking about Mon Mothma here? A hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. Mon Mothma, that is the legacy character that there's probably information in novels and comics and Wikipedia that I think he's totally going to shake up. I I think we're going to maybe see that she's not the perfect person that they've always kind of alluded she is. I agree. Yeah. Uh, How Star Wars fans react isn't clear. One thing that is quite clear is that Andor will have the longest first season of the Disney shows with 12 episodes compared to The Mandalorian with eight, The Book of Boba Fett with seven, and Obi-Wan with six. Genevieve O'Reilly's Mon Matha also plays a key role in the series, her character reportedly leading a major subplot and not encountering Andor until the second half of the run. So, yeah. That's very Game of Thrones-like. <laughs> I mean, like a pivotal character like that, not even meet up with your other title character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely. I'm getting Game of Thrones vibes from this, as far as, as far as like you know, how I feel about kind of like the rebellion kind of forming here. I, you know, it's gonna. I think it's gonna start off very small, and it's gonna be, you know, things that you know, basically whispers and people, you know, hearing things about people that are starting to rise up and then other people wanting to join and and um very very secretive you know we see it in, in the trailer with them covering their weapons and stuff like that they're they're not in a place where they're ready to be known that they're trying to rise up against the empire so yeah i'm really looking forward to this one if, if they can pull it off right i think tony gilroy is a guy to do it too he pulled together rogue one guys yeah, I have high hopes for it. Um, I'm wondering if the if the 12 episodes are going to be 25 minutes long, though. Yeah, I wonder too. I I just want them to make them as long as they need to be. If one is 25 minutes and the next one's 42, just as long, you know, just just make them as long as they need to be. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if these are going to be like live action rebel episodes, basically. Hmm. Rebel episodes I feel like they're going to be long of- episodes. I think they have a lot on the plate here. I, I can't imagine they cover all the story that they have laid out that they've told us we're going to get in even 24, 30 minute episodes doesn't seem like enough time for what they've laid out to me. I think they're going to be pretty yeah. long episodes. That's what my gut says. I hope so. Yeah, but it, it looks exciting. As I said, after watching this trailer, my interest for it definitely peaked. So, yeah. like, it's, uh, it, it did its job, in my opinion. Yeah, me too, man. Me too, very much so. Um, they, did, uh, they didn't release it to the public, but you can find it online. Jake, we watched, like, a TikTok feed on it. Somebody had filmed the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer and uh, dropped it online. Tristan, you never got a chance to see it? I didn't get – no, yeah. <clears throat> I, I clicked the link, and it was already gone. So I'm trying to find it now. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You can you can find it online. Uh, I mean, basically the gist of it, Jake, is that like Grogu talks in this one. Yeah, yeah, um, that got a big reaction from the audience. Um, I thought that was the coolest thing about seeing it was getting to see the actual raw footage and hearing what people ooed and awed for. Yeah. Um, I was surprised at how big of a reaction Bo Katan got in the trailer by the audience. Oh, I mean, you know. People have been following that character in the animated stuff. And, um, you know, I think it was expected that she was going to show up in the season. But, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. It wasn't like a shock or a surprise to see her. So I just think it's kind of treated it. 
I think it's just the, one of those things where, you know, you got a bunch of Star Wars fans together and you I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's a, there's quite a few of them out there probably cosplaying as her. You know, it's it's you know, and and you get to see that that first reveal of her in the shot and you just get all these fans together, they're just all they're all very excited. So That's true. It's definitely the right atmosphere for that kind of reaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anytime you show somebody a familiar character again, then you're going to get a reaction from an especially a diehard audience. Oh yeah, yeah. The people there at Celebration <laughs> are definitely fans, and I think like the big takeaway from this trailer is, uh, you know, the armor talking to the Mandalorian. She says, "You are no longer a Mandalorian. Redemption is no longer possible." And. Um, uh, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Here's IGN breaks this down. Let me read what they have here. They, they go on to say, we then follow Mando and Grogu as their travels take them to reconnect with their ally, Grief Karga, played by Carl Weathers. As Mando and Grogu approach Grief's compound, a pack of Kowakian monkey lizards uh, like Salacious B. Crumb are perched in a tree snickering at them. Grief is decked out in a pretty impressive outfit, complete with a red robe. He seems to be doing very well for himself, like he is perhaps in a new high-ranking position of power. He meets Mandu and Grogu warmly. The sizzle reel includes a myriad number of atmospheric shots of sets and a sequence where Mando and Grogu are being chased in their new N1 ship by several enemy ships. We see Rebel X-Wing pilot Captain Carson Teva uh, and Rodian meeting with mechanic Pelly, played by Amy Sedaris. Uh, there are also quick glimpses of galactic scientist Dr. Pershing. Grief looks like he's about to get into a quick draw duel with someone. We also see Mando and Grogu uh, floating along in his hover pod, exploring what appears to be the minds of Mandalore. There are also shots of several different Mandalorians. So yeah, that's the thing. It's like in order for him to... Um, be a Mandalorian again. Uh, he has to go back to Mandalore and go to the mines of Mandalore. What do we know? What he has to do? I can't remember. In particular, what he has to do is it some? Do you remember Jake? Something with water. Right? I don't. Is it something like a baptism or something like that? Almost. It had something to do with the body of water. Yeah, yeah. I felt like it was almost like a baptism type of thing. Um, but it's the buildup to the return of Sackhoff's Bo-Katan that hints at the conflict looming between them in this up in this uh, coming season. Mando walks down a long hallway and finds Bo-Katan sitting on a throne. She's not exactly pleased to see him. Bo-Katan says his cult, a reference to the children of the Watch, had given up on Mandalore long before the Purge. Where were you then? Mando tells Bo-Katan, I am going to Mandalore so that I may be forgiven for my transgressions. As you may recall, from the end of The Mandalorian Season 2, Mando had beaten Moff Gideon in combat and taken the Darksaber from him. And although he had offered it to Bo-Katan without any strings attached, she refused. She had taken the Darksaber before without winning it in combat, and things didn't exactly turn out well for her. Now Mando has a greater claim to the throne of Mandalore than she does. At the very end of Season 3, season uh, Sizzle Reel, we see a fully armored Bo-Katan in action where she says to Grogu, did you think your dad was the only only Mandalorian? And that's where the preview ended. So, yeah, too bad that wasn't released. Um, I don't know if they'll ever release that trailer the way that we that the way that they saw it at Celebration. I mean, the trailer that we get 
in the upcoming months, they might leave some stuff out. They do that sometimes. So, yeah, if you can find that trailer on TikTok or on YouTube, I would watch it now before they try to take them all down. So, But, yeah, isn't it coming out February of 2023? That is correct, February 2023. And, yeah, I agree, Brian. I think the next time we see a public trailer, it'll be a completely different type of thing. This was definitely just like a convention exclusive. Yeah, I feel like this was for the audience there at Celebration. So, um yeah, and they probably showed it to the shareholders and stuff like that as well. Yeah, we got a Willow trailer. I'm not. We can't break that one down. It's just a lot, a lot of imagery. Um, are you looking forward to the Willow trailer, Jake? Oh, Willow, the Willow I show. I, I am. It's a beloved movie of my childhood. I just watched it recently, like maybe a couple years ago. Um, I thought it really held up. Um, yeah, I got goosebumps seeing Warwick Davis again. I thought he looked great after all these years. Um, you know, not, not like we haven't seen him in a lot of movies, but he's usually, usually has a lot of like prosthetics and makeup and costume. And Willow was really the one time, like he got to be an actor without any of that stuff really going on. And I, and I thought he just looked great. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was cool seeing the crooked wand again. And, uh, the, the, people even tinier than willow himself and i want to know what's going on there and yeah i I thought this was a really good trailer i'm gonna give it a high tasted i it made me very excited yeah i'll give it a high tasted as well just being back in the world of willow and be interesting to see how they explain mad mardigan i i probably probably character died would you imagine yeah i i'm hearing mixed reports about whether or not val kilmer is going to make an appearance hmm yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, Tristan, were you a fan of Willow growing up? I was actually, but I have not seen it in a long time. I just remember the imagery. Um, but yeah, watching the trailer, it was it, it definitely is a high tasted for me. Um, it's similar to Andor. I'm more interested now than I was before, which is the job of a trailer. So yeah, like I, I give it a high tasted. Um, to piggyback on what Jake was saying. Um, it's nice to not only see work Davis without prosthetics and all that, but also to hear his voice because usually it's not his voice or, you know, his natural speaking voice in the roles that he's playing. Um, and that was very nostalgic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Dre, did you Mm. grow up watching Willow? Um, I remember seeing it as a kid, but I have little to no memory of it. So this is one of those things I'm going to have to reconnect myself to and then see if, before to try to even dive back into the the new show that's coming about i remember it as a kid and the but it's kind of blurred in with all the other 80s fantasy movies that came out around that time so like i don't remember it uniquely by itself so i don't have as much of a connection to it as you all do i remember the arcade game too (laughs) what there was an arcade game there was an arcade game, yeah. Jake, do you remember this? I don't remember this. I had the NES game. I never knew there was an actual cabinet. Yeah, I had the I mean, NES game where you could throw the. Maybe confusing you the, with that. Yeah, you threw the ac- like you had the acorns. It's a good game. It's a, it's yeah. the same team that did the Chip and Dale's and Ducktales games we were talking about. I'm pretty sure it's a Capcom. Yeah, I used to play the NES game all the time. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Willow. Um, do we know who's in who's who's doing the series? 
No, I um, Ron Howard is just exec producing. Sure. I, I saw the showrunner's name, but I didn't recognize him for anything. I apologize. Oh man, I was hoping that they'd get Bryce Dallas Howard to come in there. You know, with that her, would be fucking awesome. Her connection with her father. I and I've really liked what she's done with the Mandalorian, and I was really hoping that they'd be able to work her into this series. But um, guys, let's uh, let's move on into uh, good pop, bad pop for this week. <laughs> For more leftover reviews with Good Pop, Bad Pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things of the previous week and or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things. You are familiar with our rating system. Toss it, taste it, Tupperware. So let's dive into the first thing that I want to talk about. And that is Top Gun Maverick finally landed, no pun intended, in theaters. (laughs) In theaters, uh, this is a movie 36 years in the making. And, I mean, they've been talking about a sequel for this for, I mean, ever since the first one came out, people were talking about a sequel for this one. It did. You know, it was rumored to happen in the 90s. That never happened. Then it just went away. I thought we'd never get it. And finally, 36 years later, it drops in theaters. And um, I'm a a huge fan of the original movie. And... um, and so this movie had a lot to live up to. Anyway, we'll get into it. After more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him. Um, that synopsis doesn't tell us a lot about this story, but we'll dive into it. It's directed by Joseph Kaczynski and written by Aaron Kruger. Eric Warren Singer and Christopher McQuarrie from a story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. It serves as the sequel to Top Gun from 1986. It stars Tom Cruise uh, as Pete Mitchell, Maverick, uh, alongside Miles Teller as Rooster, um, who's the son of Goose from the original movie. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Lewis Pullman, Ed Harris, and Val Kilmer. Uh, it's set 36 years after its predecessor. It follows Maverick's return to the United States Navy Strike Fighter Tactics Instructor Program, also known as Top Gun, where he must confront his past as he trains a group of younger fighter pilots, among them the son of Maverick's deceased best friend, Goose. Um, yeah, man. Uh, they uh, He's got to train these kids for this mission that is almost an impossible mission. And um, we'll talk about that mission. Yeah, I I do want to kind of get into a little bit of the specifics on what they have to face. But uh, we have uh, on the podcast right now, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know, Dre, I didn't know that you were a Top Gun virgin, too. We all know Jake's a Top Gun virgin, Mm -hmm. had never seen the original. This movie somehow for 36 years has gotten past Jake. This movie (laughs) somehow had gotten past you. And so you were a Top Gun virgin. Tristan, tell, please tell me you're not a Top Gun virgin. No, I'm not. Thank but God. Thank God that fucking Tom Cruise took your breath away 36 <laughs> years ago. Um, no. Yeah. No. What, what is your history with Top Gun? I don't. OK, so I don't have a huge history with it. It's one of those films that I didn't see uh, um, until like maybe like 20 years ago or something like that. But like I'm not a Top Gun virgin, but I also wasn't like someone who watched it religiously as a kid growing up, you know. See, this is why originally I had asked Kevin Shanks to be on this episode because he's a huge Top Gun fan, but he couldn't make it onto this one. 
So it's like, I'm the only diehard Top Gun fan on this podcast as of this moment. Who experienced it in its prime. Yeah, in its prime. I was listening. I was listening to the Top Gun. Every time Danger Zone comes on the fucking radio or on my Spotify, I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah, I love it. I fucking love it. I really get into the music. After this movie, after watching this one, I fucking had the soundtrack on <laughs> driving home. Um, but um, uh, I guess, yeah, I want to hear from you first, Tristan. Um, we're definitely hearing from Jake last. I, I want to hear from him last. But Tristan, I want to yeah. hear from you about your experience with uh, Top Gun Maverick. Well, you know, like a lot of us, I heard the glowing reviews going into it, but like I watched it and I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, it's a Tupperware for me. Um, I expected to like it, but I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, especially knowing this is a movie that was supposed to come out like a couple of years ago and kept getting pushed back and pushed back. I can see why they weren't um, ready to drop this on streaming because it's a really well-made film. There's a lot of nostalgia for their original but at the same time it's modernized um so it still has that feel without feeling dated um if that makes any sense and um i thought some of the callbacks to the original were a little um forced um but it wasn't too much of it it was it was just like heavy member berries like in a couple scenes and then and then the rest of it was kind of standing on its own which i i liked um the uh cameo from val kilmer was very unexpected um, you know, the way I, I knew he was going to be in it, but I didn't know how he was going to be portrayed. Um, I thought that was pleasantly done. If I have any, um, knock on it is that I wanted the soundtrack to stand out a little bit more, but, but otherwise I, I thought it was a really well-made movie. The soundtrack worked for me on every level, like from the beginning where it starts off, like it's just like the old fucking Top Gun movie all the way to the end when we start hearing Lady Gaga at the end. I'm just like, this is just, I fucking love it. I loved all the music in this. It was, it worked for me. Um, yeah, this is like, this is the highest of Tupperwares I can give this movie. I think this is my favorite movie I've seen all fucking year. I've seen it twice now in IMAX. And if I didn't have to record tonight, I would have been seeing it again in IMAX. If I didn't have to watch Stranger Things and Obi-Wan all day yesterday, I would have watched it again (laughs) in IMAX. This is made for fucking IMAX. This is – it is so fucking incredible, the – the dog fights that they have in this, the, 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 the way that they lay out the mission. There is a mission that they have to go on to destroy this uranium and – they they lay it out to you and they show you a visual aid kind of like you know when you're watching a new hope, a new and, hope. and they're showing you know the the pilots there uh you know the x-wing pilots what they're going to have to do to destroy the death star they show you this plan so many times throughout this movie that when you finally get to see these young pilots pulling off you know doing this mission You've seen it so many times, you're, you're comfortable with it. You know what they have to do, and it's so well done, and it's filmed so well. And I love all the new pilots that they introduce in this, all the young pilots. And you've got um, this new guy, uh, uh, Glenn Powell plays Hangman, who's kind of like an amalgamation of both Iceman and... Uh, uh, Maverick. He's like, 
it's like they take the worst traits of both of them, you know, like the ultra cockiness of Maverick without like the, the, the without his charming side, because he's always rubbing people the wrong way. But he's also very he's also a really good pilot, just like Iceman and kind of like the villain like Iceman. But he's not Iceman. Iceman is very by the book and not reckless. And yet Hangman is reckless and and doesn't look out for his wingman and shit like that. But also just a great kind of like foil to like Miles Teller's rooster. And um, he's a great character. Glenn Powell is fantastic in this movie as Hangman. I was thinking to myself, like, this guy, they ought to get this guy to be like Cyclops in the Marvel movie or something in, in, in the MCU. They need to get him in the MCU somehow. This this kid is really fucking good. Um, just... Oh my god, the sounds in IMAX when you hear these fucking F-18s and and them flying around and and when you see the young kids trying to learn this mission and and um Maverick's back and forth with like his new commander uh Cyclone played by John Hamm how he's battling this guy and and this guy is like you know, this is how they're going to run the test runs here when you're training them for the next three weeks. And Maverick is like, I want to bring them back alive. We need to lower the hard deck. And the hard deck is basically they won't let them fly below 5,000 feet. And Maverick's like, in order to do the mission, they have to be flying 100 feet above the ground. They need real kind of like they need a real environment to where they can do this mission. And they're fighting back and forth. And there's I, uh, I I can't I gush about this movie. There's just so much I love about this movie. I this is the best thing that I've seen all year. It is uh, it it is the perfect movie to see with a big crowd. I, I saw it on the Tuesday night early screening. It was almost sold out. My audience, diehard Top Gun fans, you could tell everybody there paid you know their twenty dollars to get the ticket. And people were laughing at all the same spots. The nostalgia and stuff, Tristan, you brought it up where they, where they, you know, they kind of bring up some stuff from like the first movie to really, you know, drive it home that this is the sequel. And, and you feel like, for me, it was like, yes, I can take it as it's forced, but I love the nostalgia so much that it didn't bother me. And it also, like the flashback scenes and stuff like that, just reminded me of stuff that we would get in the Rocky movies where they'd give us a whole montage of Rocky meeting Adrian again and fighting other yeah. fighters. And it's like, I've seen this in other movies and I loved those. So, um, John, uh, is it John Kaczynski, the director? This guy needs to fucking direct the Rogue, the Rogue Squadron movie. Joseph Kaczynski. This guy, this guy needs to be our fucking Rogue Squadron director. I was thinking the same thing. Holy shit, man. Fucking Disney. Rogue Squadron? Give it to Joseph Kaczynski, because this guy fucking knows how to uh, film air battles and dogfights. Just incredible. I, I, yeah. I, I, I loved it. I, I, this is uh, Tupperware all the way, and I can't wait to see it again in IMAX. I might see this another two, three times in IMAX if I can. Yeah. yeah. Just to piggyback a little, little bit on what you're saying, um, the I felt that one thing that this movie did superior to the original was you always understood what was going on. And I feel that, that the original lacked as far as some of the action and mission plans, like you can get a little lost in it. But yeah. like I felt like, like in this one, as you mentioned, 
like the entire audience knew like the steps of that mission yes. and what was going to happen next. I agree. Um, I think the, I think they, they pulled back a, a lot of like the romance in this movie. I mean, we still get it, but uh, they pulled back on a lot of the romance to give us more of like the action. I think fans were kind of craving out of this one. So, uh, Dre, what did you think about? I want to hear what you thought about the original and what you thought about Maverick. All right, so yeah, um, Thursday night I watched the original Top Gun. Ironically, almost I think at the same time that Jake was watching it himself, I think I was watching it as well. And the first one was enjoyable. I had to remind myself that it was, you know, filmed in the '80s, so it and it definitely oozed every bit of that '80s nostalgia that we um, that we know all that we all know and love. From the 80s movies it had the the cliche romance story it had they pretty much ran danger zone and take my breath away into the ground in those movies pretty much every time you saw tom cruise with uh his love interest from the original take my breath away was playing anytime they were doing uh aerial training danger zone was playing so it was a good i enjoyed it i was very much impressed by what they were able to accomplish with the uh with the with the dog fights and the and um uh all the flights the flight training stuff they were doing at the time so i enjoyed that one for what it was and it was good and i did get um a bit excited in the end when they had the the finale and the the big hero moment of of maverick taking out the uh the the migs and they all celebrate back on the boat so i was like okay i i see why everybody loved this movie i see why it was the hit that it was back in the 80s and so going into this one i did not watch any trailers or anything before it so i went into this one pretty much blind and i'm right there with y'all this one was an absolute tupperware i excuse me i loved every bit of it from start to finish i thoroughly enjoyed this one from the beginning where it started off when it was almost a rehash of the opening from the original Top Gun, giving you that full um, nostalgia factor to transitioning into the new one. Um, my audience was very much into it as well. Uh, there was a few times where the my audience um, audibly cheered and clapped at certain scenes, like uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, after um, the part where Maverick gets grounded and decides to take matters into his own hands and, and run the uh, the course himself. And everybody's sitting there watching and seeing if he's going to make it. And when he actually does make it within the allotted time, my theater goes nuts over him making it. And there was the Val Kilmer scene. I didn't even, I did not know he was going to be in the movie. So when he showed up, man, I... I got emotional. Yeah, I, I thought it might just be text messages and then that picture of him. <clears throat> I, I had no idea we were actually going to see him doing a performance in this movie. And right. I don't want to spoil that scene or anything, but it's powerful. Like if you, it's very, it's extremely powerful, especially if you're, especially knowing the condition that he's in yes. nowadays. Especially if you saw that uh, the documentary that Val. Out, what was it? Uh, it was called Val or something like that. This yeah, year. Val. Yeah. yeah, seeing that one and which that was a phenomenal documentary. But see, within the context of that, knowing what, you know, his current uh, health condition is and seeing him uh, muster up that performance for this movie, man, 
I was wiping tears away. No bullshit. So there was one part in the movie where I thought that they were going to kind of jump the shark a little bit, where I thought, you know how movies kind of they yes. give you the, like, the false climax where you think, oh, this is it, but then yes. they hit you with that, but wait, there's more moment? Yes. Yeah. There was that where I thought, oh, man, are they about to go ridiculous on me? Are they about to go over the top and just kill it for me? But they kind of played it up comedically, which worked, and then they gave you a, basically like a second climax, which absolutely got me right back into it. Dude, I'm telling yeah. you, it's like they, they it's like they I think they gave audiences everything that they wanted. Like there was things I was yeah. like, are they not going to give me this? And then they're like, oh, dude, you thought you weren't going to get this. You got it. And I love right. it. And it's just like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I was uh-huh. fully, I, yeah, fully satisfied with it when yeah. they got back into it. And then you hit that final climax. I I physically fist pumped at the end where um, when they were saved. I physically fist pumped and was. Let's not let's cra- not spoil the movie, Dre. I know we're excited. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to elude without saying, but yeah, yeah. At the at the ultimate climax, I physically fist pumped at it, and my whole theater cheered and uh, thoroughly loved it. One funny point um, that happened while I was watching the movie was at the end when the uh, when the, when the movie's over with the credits are rolling and people are getting up and leaving. And there's that song that's uh, playing at the end that when that song hits a uh, when the singer hits like, uh, I guess, the peak and then stops. Everybody who's walking out the theater with me stopped and turned around and looked back because that moment of silence tricked us all into thinking that there was a post credit scene. Oh, yeah. I stuck around just in case there was a post credit scene. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, there wasn't. But, uh, yeah, let's hear from you, Jake. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on. T- oh, I'm scared to hear your thoughts on. <laughs> I'm, what, I'm, do you, what do you think I thought about these movies? I think I think that. Uh, you know, even hearing a high taste it out of either of them, it it it. I still it won't take away from my love for these movies, but it's just like I wish that you know I, I going into your review. I if I don't hear you know Tupperware Tupperware, I there's a part of me that would wish like man, I wish you felt about these movies. I wish we could connect on these movies the way that I love these movies for what they are, and. So, yeah, I'm a little worried about that. I think that you'll be like, well, oh, I love seeing Val Kilmer. That was great. But I've got problems with this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And so that's what I'm really kind of like not worried about because it won't take away from my love for these movies because I – you can't get me out of the theater to to not see this again in IMAX because it's – they just – they don't make movies like this. Like you don't, I just, this is something I don't see all the time. I mean, I, I mean, I love the Marvel movies, but I, you don't get these high octane action movies with, you know, fighter pilots and stuff like that much in the theater with this kind of sound. And, and, uh, this is high octane, just adrenaline pumping action for me. And it's, it's a different, I, I, I love the Marvel movies for what they are, but man, this is a different kind of experience. And I love that. I, I love, I love seeing all movies. And so I want this movie to do really well. I want great. I want really good word of mouth because I would love to see Top Gun three happen and not wait another thirty six years when Tom Cruise is ninety. So this was a good. 
This was a good breath of fresh air. It really was. This this movie's doing well, isn't it? Like, it's making quite a lot of money. It is. It is. And I I think the the positive reviews, and I think word of mouth is going to go a long way with this one. But yeah, Jake, here we go. Moment of truth. Yeah, I think we're going to be okay here. Well, I'm going to start with Top Gun. And right off the bat, I'm going to Tupperware Top Gun. I I actually did not expect to like this movie very much at all. (laughs) Um, But, man, it felt like just an 80s time capsule that I dug up out of the backyard and I'd never seen before. And it was so fucking cool. (laughs) Um, Not a day has gone by since I've seen it that I haven't thought about it. Um, It was just so crazy seeing everyone that young again, seeing Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer and Anthony Edwards and fucking – Scarrett and Ironside. Ironside, yeah. Scarrett and Ironside. I, Jester. I gasped. I gasped when I saw fucking Principal Strickland from the Back yeah. to the Country yeah. movies. I was like, oh my god, this is so fucking cool. Um, I adored the music. I just thought it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Dre kind of made fun of how they always brought Danger Zone back during every like sequence, but I actually <laughs> thought that was super endearing, and it just made me fall in love with the movie even more. Um, I didn't really know what was going to happen in this movie. I got to be honest with you. I did not know the spoilers even after all these years. And my favorite character through the first half of the movie was fucking Goose. And I was crushed when, you know, I can spoil Top Gun 1, I assume, right? It's it's on the table to spoil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. (laughs) But I was crushed. And that's when I when I talk about how I've thought about this movie every moment since I've watched it. I think the writing and the filming of goose's death is so fucking brilliant and i still can't decide like he gets cleared by the court that it's not his fault but as an audience member i still can't decide who's at fault or who's at wrong or if it's a combination of everything and i think it's so well written and ambiguous that you're supposed to think that way and it's really haunted me since seeing it it was such a crazy moment i've always just taken it as a uh, as a mechanical failure Mm -hmm. and that it and that they did everything textbook, but it was like one of those – it was like a mechanical failure. Yeah, I feel like the movie – they put such an emphasis on getting the most points and being the head of the Top Gun class and that that, that kind of cloud is going over it. And I feel like the pressure of wanting to be the new point leader – does cloud decision-making moments while they're in that training exercise. I feel like with, without all that pressure of wanting to be number one – that accident wouldn't happen. And um, I read a bunch of Google articles about it just because I was just so like enthralled by that scene. And I was really saddened to find out that the stunt plane driver actually died during the scene that Goose died in the original 1986 Top Gun. He actually yeah. entered the same spin that they entered in that they you know they were able to get out of it, but he never was. And actually, they never even found the plane or his body. Well, and uh, he's like one of the most famous Hollywood plane stunt drivers. I guess he did all this shit for uh, one of the Indiana Jones movies. And I, I, I'd never heard the story at all that like during one of the most famous scenes from one of the most famous 80 movies, like a stunt plane driver died. And that just goes to show you like we need a bit more respect for these stunt people. Yeah, there needs so the, much for these movies. The Academy needs to acknowledge uh, there needs to be a stunt category. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Like what other like I not too many grips have died while filming a fucking movie, you know, like let's let's give these guys some fucking credit. Right. But yeah, I I couldn't believe how much I like Top Gun. Like I, I 
I was just like, oh, my God, that was fucking great. I guess Brian was right, and I should have watched that nine years ago. <laughs> but uh, it was a fun experience to see it right before seeing the new one. Um, I guess the new one is where we may disagree. I thought it was a great movie. This is the high-tasted for me. I Visually, the audio, everything was so stunning. Like, I see why they wouldn't release this on a streaming service, like – if you've seen Top Gun 1, you have to see this in IMAX. It's as much of an experience, I think, as fucking Avatar as far as, like, you have to see this in IMAX with that sound, with that screen. And they pulled that part off, like, phenomenally. But I couldn't get over the member Barry stuff. And I, I feel like if I would have watched this movie when I was a kid, it would have made it a little bit more tolerable. But, like, seeing it directly after the first one, it some of it was just downright fucking silly to me. Um, I think the most, like, eye-rolling moment of the whole movie for me was instead of the beach volleyball scene, they do this dumb fucking shit where they have two footballs and they're playing offense and defense at the same time, and there's not even a fucking score. Like, I was like, this is fucking dumb. This is like (laughs) vampire baseball twilight fucking dumb that we had to force this scene in. Um, And I I don't think anyone else is going to agree with me on this, but I did not care for Miles Teller at all in this with goose being my favorite character in the first one and seeing it right before i saw this i thought miles teller had zero percent of the charm and likability that that goose had like and i get he's supposed to be cocky and upset and with what's going on in the story but it was like he was cast to look exactly like young goose but just had nothing else going for him and i i thought that character was was pretty bland and i'm here to praise Um, his acting i thought he was fantastic in this movie i mean yeah like i said i i I don't think other people will agree but for me he was kind of glaringly bad after just watching top gun one i mean it's a it's a totally it's a totally different thing here i think you know maverick was uh at one time a, a father figure for him and you know we're we're down this path of of trying to mend that relationship and I think it comes full circle and we really get to see that kind of bond that he had with his father the moment they're uh, on the ground together. And remember when Tom Cruise pushes – I'm not spoiling anything, but there's that scene where they push each other and they're yelling at each other. And and then he's like, well, you told me not to think when I'm up there. And he's like – he's like – He's like, uh, Maverick is like, oh, shit, I did say that. You kind (laughs) of caught me here. And then he's like, well, it's it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. And I was just like, this is like this is the start of that 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 bond happening between these two characters. This is where they can connect. And this is where we can see that, because before it has been a lot of pent up anger on Rooster's side. But you did see him like with the group um you know at the bar earlier playing the piano and getting along with the with the people that not not hangman but you know phoenix and 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 bob and uh and fanboy and and payback you know there was that connection that they had as pilots and and i really man i i i thought miles teller was I thought it was great in, as opposed to, to the first one where he was really tight with Goose. And, and in this one, they've got kind of this looming uh, thing from their past where Rooster can't let go of 
what Maverick has done in his life that it's affected him. And I, I thought it, I thought it worked. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I'm glad you guys liked it. It just, for me, it, it kind of rubbed you the wrong way. I thought the love interest story in the second movie was nowhere near as good as it was in the first one as well. Um, I think it would be funny if they did Top Gun three if Jennifer Connelly just completely disappeared and then there was a, a third love interest. That would be the way I would go with it. She's um, younger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I you know, I I was just like I was so excited to see this movie after the first one and I, I saw most people seem to be saying that they think this is a better movie than the original one, so I was just prepared to just really be smacked in the face and was a little bit disappointed that story-wise they they went the way they went. It, it wasn't really what I preferred. But that being said, it's still a very, very high taste and a must-see on the biggest screen possible. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I couldn't be polar opposite uh, of you right now when it comes to, to that. I think it's a better action movie. Um, and uh, in many ways, it's superior to the original. I don't think that it's going to... Uh, it, it won't make the impact that the first one... The first one just was... It came out at a different time. The soundtrack is just iconic. Um but I think as far as sequels go, I don't think you get much better. Oh, no. I don't think you could ask for, mu- for a much better movie than Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, this Did is... They... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I ask one quick question? Did the LG on the plane at the end of the movie stand for Lady Gaga? <laughs> Probably. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought that was a little silly. What were you saying, Tristan? <laughs> um, I was just going to say that like, as far as the way that these action scenes were shot, like, I felt real danger for them. You know, it was, I thought it was very well done. Mm-hmm. Where you actually thought, like, even when they were in that, that one maneuver, when Tom Cruise was in that maneuver, was it Hangman, the, the Cobra thing? Oh, uh, the where they, co- the, they're, the, they're doing yeah. the swirl around each other. Oh, yeah. Like, even, even <clears throat> that shit just had me at the edge of my seat because it just looks so realistic. Almost like as if, you know, any of these actors could die just if, you know, they make the wrong move. I mean, they were showing... Things like birds and all kinds of shit that, yeah. that make everything so unpredictable. Um, but yeah, this is this is to me um, a movie. I feel that if it came out twenty years ago, this would like be in the zeitgeist of like greatest one of the greatest films of all time type thing. Yeah, man, it feels I'm, like a a really good movie that's that's not of this time. It's it, yeah. It, it, I mean. I there's so there's so many scenes that I absolutely loved. I mean, you 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 hear about this mission so much, you see them train for this mission so much. By the time you actually see them, you know, do the mission at the end, finally getting to see these these SAMs, these missiles, these satellite aimed missiles, you know, as they're flying a hundred feet above the ground, and you see like on these you know ice capped mountains, you see these gigantic missiles and they're flying past them it's menacing it's scary it's like if if they track them like these missiles are going to get fired and then like once they do start firing off those missiles it's just like holy shit they're being they're being they're being uh tracked by these missiles these missiles are going after them and the next thing you know now they got to go up against these fifth gen fighters and they're in f-18s and they're it's like, and I love like they're like it comes down to the man in the box, and I'm just like, oh my god, that's why you got fucking Maverick, and I'm just, he's the best. It's like yeah, it's such an adrenaline. It run. is like, the mission. Once the mission starts, it's like it's go time, and you're going 100 miles per hour. 
throughout that entire mission. I just there till the end. It just nonstop. It is. It's nonstop adrenaline action, and it's like, oh my god! I've seen it twice now in the theater, and like both times, I'm just like, oh my god! You know, it's. I, I love the fact that it's all these cocky young pilots go into this program and, and um, then, then they see what a real pilot can do in Maverick. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I love fucking, you know, hangman being uh, shown up, you know, like on the first fucking day, like this guy, Mm -hmm. he drove me fucking nuts. And then when Maverick fucking put him in his place on that first day, I was just like, I, I, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. And, just to see that character's arc from the beginning to the very end, it was very much reminiscent of watching Val Kilmer, uh, his Iceman, at the very end of the, the first movie. And it, all the nostalgia and all the, the things that kind of like mirrored the first movie, they, 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 it worked here again in this one for me. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I would argue that um, Glenn Powell arguably played an even better heel character in this movie than Val Kilmer did in the first one because at least in the first one, Val Kilmer, he was a bit of a heelish type character, but you never got the sense that he didn't care about the others. I wouldn't you say know, he's like, better. I just say he's a different kind. He's a different heel. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, but like I said, the way I, what I mean by what I mean by better heel, I just like he felt like more of an actual heel to me than I Val agree. Kilmer. Like Val Kilmer to me in the first one, he was heel-ish. But at the same time, he didn't. He never really came off as like a real bad guy to me. And you always got the sense that, even though he may have not particularly cared for Maverick, you always still had this. He always maintained the sense that he still cared for the mission and he cared for everybody else. Always had that, like the line they say in the movie, "We're all on the same team." Mm-hmm. I never got that sense from Val Kilber's um, in the first Top Gun that he didn't that he ever lost sight of the fact that we were no like if if you're going out there like i would if if you had to choose between hangman or iceman to be your wingman i'm choosing iceman like i right you you can't trust hangman right whereas hangman in the second one to me he kind of at points seemed like he lost sight of the fact that we're all on the same team he Mm -hmm. seemed much more selfish and self yes just wanted to be the glory hog for himself yeah, so that's what I mean when I say what I think he was more of a heel. No, and character. that's what I mean by he's just a different kind of heel. Like, right? Yeah, I think as far as like if you're gonna pick the 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 worst of the two evils, it's definitely Hangman. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I also got to say that um, I felt that Tom Cruise did a really good job of aging up Maverick too. Like, I I didn't feel this was just as in my character transferred over to top gun like there there was a real distinction like a a bit of a immaturity like that was that was still there showing in in maverick a yeah little bit. and yeah and so i felt he did a really good job of really um connecting those two characters where he's the same guy but you can imagine that you know he's gotten a little more mature and he's and he's a little more seasoned in, in 30 years i like john ham as cyclone yeah oh who yeah. was who is the oh, oh my god I really like the um who is the guy that kept saying to uh uh to to Maverick he's like I don't like that look on your face he's like oh that's the only look and Maverick's like that's the only look I have that's the only look I got Hondo yeah. Hondo I loved him I love that guy. I love that guy. The entire cast was strong. Like, I I really felt like it was a very well put together cast. There's a scene where like, you know, some dire things happen 
and you're watching the reaction of them all back in the control room and you they get that shot of hondo and you see that tear come down his face and i'm like oh my god like i i just i loved it i loved it this it was oh this movie's so fucking good i can't i'm i can't wait to see it another two times i'm at least going two more times because i mean i and and both times are going to be an imax i cannot not see this in imax it's just the best way to see it yeah when i mentioned the soundtrack like i one thing i did love about the original was was the fact that they kept having that callback to uh danger zone you know and i and i really wish there was something that they called back to a lot in this film that kind of drove into your head yeah but i like the lady gaga song it's just I, there's I, I don't know maybe just because i've only seen it one time but there wasn't anything that i felt is going to be a song that lives on for years and years if that makes any sense yeah it's it's it's, it's a good song but it's not like an yeah. iconic song and i think it's you know because it came out in 86 it's of the time and it is yeah you know so yeah that's top gun maverick guys uh you've got to see it in the theater highly recommend let's move on to um i don't really this this show i don't really want to talk too much about um I'll just come out and say it. I watched the first episode of Joe Pickett on Paramount Plus. Mm. It's based on the book series of the same name and led by the showrunners John Eric Dowdle and Drew Dowdle and Red Wagons Entertainment, Doug Wick, blah, blah, blah. Follows a dedicated game warden played by Michael Dorman and uh, his family as they navigate the shifting sociopolitical climate of a small rural town on the verge of economic collapse. When a murder victim winds up on Joe's doorstep, a large conspiracy looms and the pickets find themselves in, a, in the crosshairs. Uh, without the support of local law enforcement, Joe alone must decide what it means to be a good man and a good father in a world on the edge. Um, I didn't really care for this. I thought this was trash. Um, <laughs> I didn't care for this at all. I was excited to see that David Allen Greer was in something. And other than that, I really didn't care. And I like Michael Dorman. Um, uh, I think he's excellent in uh, For All Mankind. I just did not care for him in this role. I don't care about following this game warden around. And I don't know. Somebody else can talk about it because I toss this. Yeah, I want to jump on the toss it train. This felt like a show that came out 20 years ago and would air at 9 p.m. on CBS that my grandparents would watch. Yeah. Like it had that like two-camera feel. Like it, I haven't seen a show that felt like a 20-year-old TV show that was brand new like this in such a long time. And I, I found it to be really distracting. Like You can do that kind of thing and have it be like stylistic, and that's your goal. But it just felt like cheapness here. Like The entire episode felt so fucking cheap, and they couldn't afford more than two fucking handheld cameras. And uh, yeah, this show was absolute fucking garbage. The only part I liked was like the overdramatic wine drinking mother. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tristan, what did you think about uh, Joe Pickett? I was actually pleasantly surprised by that. <laughs> I gave this shit a high taste. <laughs> but um, I was drinking at the time. But like, yeah, it was like, a, it was like one of those shows exactly like she said. It's like a show that would come on like, like right after like Hercules and Xena or some shit. You know, like it was like a show that basically looked like it was stuck in the 90s. 
No, oh, it's like it's like my aunt just got done watching the commission. Now we're stuck watching Joe Pickett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I really like the um, I really like just the, the the main character. I like the fact that they made him kind of like this guy who's not like a perfect guy, but like he has a great heart. He's just like one of those old school heroines, and and the cast itself, like he he has like this weird ass support system where like one of the other games wardens like a sex freak and there's like a scene where they're just having a conversation with a guy has like no pants on like it's like weird shit like that going on but it's 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 veiled and and to be like a serious thing but like you're looking at it and you're just thinking this is a fucking ridiculous show um but yeah overall like i i, I watched like three episodes I enjoyed oh my god i got through the first one and i was like okay i'm done that's it <laughs> Yeah. Next. It was one of those shows where I was just I was just relishing in the campiness of it. It's different, man. You're not going to see another show like this with a character with this profession. And, you know, I mean, we get lots of stuff with detectives and reporters and stuff like that. You don't see many shows that deal with, you know, somebody in the wilderness that's a game warden. So, yeah, it's. It's definitely different. Glad you enjoyed it, Tristan. I'm glad I put it on the list for someone this week. Um, <laughs> Dre, what did you did you watch any uh, of Joe Pickett? I watched two episodes of it, and I'm gonna give it a low taste. It it was very bland and pretty much kind of paint by numbers to an extent to me. Like, like there's a guy who wants to be a good guy, but he has some trauma in his past, but they don't really dig on it too much but they keep on a flashback to it in the show but it doesn't really carry forward at the present that much and then okay there's a mystery to solve and let's see somebody's gonna get in his way who is it of course it's the sheriff and nothing about it stood out to me nothing about it really held my attention and yeah after the second episode i was just like yeah i don't care for the mystery i don't care for it being for them solving it or any of this it was just very dull and bland and yeah low tasted i think uh, for me you know like characters that have trauma in their past that are doing like a, a job like this where you have to follow them i think like for me the bar was kind of set and you could disagree but i think the bar was kind of set with uh riggins in lethal weapon fucking like mel gibson's character was just i mean that was like that and they, I, you get the kind of same feel from this guy. There's a moment where he loses it in the first episode. And I don't really feel like, and I love this actor, but I never felt like I did when you would just watch Riggins go fucking crazy in Lethal Weapon. So it just never pulled me in. So I, I, I guarantee none of you thought I would compare Joe Pickett to <laughs> Lethal Weapon, but I just did. <laughs> So it just I think I think that Riggins character really sets the bar when it comes to like, you know, these kind of troubled law. Yeah, lawmen. Exactly. Exactly. I think I think I I think that Riggins character really set the bar and this just didn't do it for me. So that's Joe Pickett. Check it out on Paramount Plus. Tristan loves it. But you might want to drink. You might want to be drinking. (laughs) Drink a few first. Tristan. Yeah. What what were you drinking that night so people can enjoy the show? (laughs) Make sure you get black label. (laughs) 
the Essex Serpent. Tristan, you and I both watched this. It's on Apple TV Plus. You watched two episodes. I watched the first episode. Yeah. Uh, Essex Serpent follows newly widowed Cora, who, having been released from an abusive marriage, relocates from Victorian London to the small village of Aldwinter in Essex. Intrigued by a local superstition that a mythical creature known as the Essex Serpent has returned to the area. Uh, it's a gothic romance period drama uh, based on the novel of the same name by Sarah Perry, which came out, I believe, in 2016. Stars Claire Danes as Cora. Tom Hiddleston is uh, Will Ransom. He's the vicar uh, of, in the town. Uh, Frank Delane, uh, Clements Posey. And um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Cora's husband dies and... Uh, with her newfound freedom, uh, she moves to this town in Aldwater, uh, and uh, that uh, has this mythical sea serpent uh, mystery. And uh, she meets Will Ransom, played by Hiddleston, a vicar who doesn't believe in a in that creature. And the pair strike up an unlikely partnership as science and religion compete for victory. And um, I. Tristan, I like this one enough to give it a taste it, but not enough to really continue with this series with so many other things that are out right now that are just blowing me away. So um, I'll give it a taste it. I think it's an interesting concept, but it's just not enough to really keep me coming back. What did you think about the Essex Serpent? I'm in the same boat. I gave it a middle of the road tasted. It's very, very well shot and the acting's great. Um, Hiddleston and Claire Danes, they're acting their asses off. Uh, you can tell that Apple really put some money into this, um, but it moves very slowly, and I was bored yeah. <laughs> for two episodes. Um, and I can see it going somewhere, but it's not getting there fast enough. And as you said, like I'm watching all kinds of interesting things right now to where you know, this thing is just going to get lost in the shuffle. Like It's good, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to forget about it. I'm not going to be back every week checking for the next episode. Yeah, I think this. I think the audience for this is out there. I think that if you are into gothic romance, if that is your that's your bag, then this is going to be your show. And if you love Claire Danes, I like her. And if you like Tom Hiddleston, I love him. But it gothic romance is not my favorite genre of television, and. Um, it just didn't have enough to keep me wanting to come back and and watch more of uh, of this series. It is well shot, yeah, and you can definitely tell that Apple put some money into this. But um, yeah, it's just yeah. I don't think I'm going to be coming back. All right, any any final thoughts on SX Serpent, Tristan? Um, it's a show on Apple. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You may, you may want to watch it. Yeah. Let's, let's move into the next thing. Here, I'll just, uh, I'll intro this. Don't you love that fucking sound? Yeah. The, the opening theme is an all time great. <laughs> it's back. Oh my God. My, my favorite part of the opening theme is the final. Let's talk about uh, it's been a long wait. When was the last season? When, how, how long ago did that come out? Three years ago. Three? 2019. 2019. We're getting. It's, we're in 2022, folks, and we're getting Stranger Things 4, Volume 1. That dropped yesterday, Friday. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I have, I want to know how many episodes, before we really get into this one, I want to know how many episodes you guys watched. Dre, you said that you got to watch the first episode. Correct. Okay. Tristan, how many episodes deep are you? Just two. Jake? I watched three. I have watched all seven. This was my mission to finish this going into the review. So that way I could give you like my thoughts on this volume one collectively. And um, so I'll hold on to my thoughts about this one. But um, we've got a we've got a new villain here. In this one, we're not dealing with uh, so far. We haven't been dealing with demigorgons or the mind flayer. We've got uh, a new villain here, Vecna, in this in this uh, first part of the season, and um, we're introduced to new characters. We've got this uh, Chrissy, who's a cheerleader, um, Eddie Munson, who is like the he's the dungeon master for the Hellfire Club D and D group that. Uh, Will and Dustin and Lucas are a part of. Um, I, I don't know how far you guys are into the series. Have you have you guys met Yuri yet? Yuri, Yuri is uh, Yuri. No, you have not met Yuri. So, um, but we have been introduced to some new characters. But like you know, all the other characters that are surviving are back. In this season, of course, you know, Dustin's little long-distance girlfriend, Susie, does make an appearance in this as well. Um, and uh, uh, I, w- I will say that uh, I want – fuck it. My mild spoiler is Robert England is in this season. It was, in, it was announced. We, we knew he was going to be in the season, but he does show up in episode four. So, yeah, cool. Freddy Krueger himself, Robert oh, cool. England, shows up in a season that has a lot of beats from Nightmare on Elm Street. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'll, Dre, I'll start with you. You've seen one episode. Um, are you a big fan of Stranger Things? And so far going into Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I've been a fan of the show from the from the jump. It has that uh, that classic, you know, 80s thriller vibe to it, but still with some, uh, some little modern tinges on it. But yeah, I've always enjoyed it from the very beginning. Um, so watching this first episode, it was nice to catch back up with everybody, see where everybody's at, and how tall they've all gotten and just get back into the, to the groove with all the characters. Um, and then the, uh, the way the first episode ended, uh, definitely, uh, set me back. Cause I was, I was like, wow, there, uh, it, it was definitely a the great hook to get you into the season. I'll put it like that. The way the first episode ended, um, I liked the, the um I liked the 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 set uh sorry, stumble over words. I liked seeing where um the the uh eleven, that's what I'm thinking of, I'm blanking on. I liked her story in the first episode in the sense that she's um gotten better at where she's at or is more comfortable in where she's at, but following her story of being bullied in this in this uh, California high school, she still feels out of place and all that stuff. 
that was engaging and interesting to me. Um, seeing, I don't can't really have much to say after seeing only one episode, but yeah, yeah, it's good to catch up with everybody and seeing where they're all at. And it did a good job of hooking me into the season with the way the first episode ended. That's so right. On, on that, that, I'll give it a. I'll give the first episode at least a Tupperware. There you go. That, that's what. I, that's what I think that the first episode should do. I. I, I you're going to get a lot. Of course, you're going to get a lot more if you've seen more episodes and things mm-hmm. like that. But I think like what you're saying is basically that you got enough out of this first episode that it left you wanting more, so that you're going to give yes. it a Tupperware. So it did its job for the first episode and, and kind of getting you caught up to speed with these characters. I yeah. will say. I have not been the biggest fan of the character of... I love this series, but I've never been a huge fan of the character of Eleven in the first three seasons. And I've made that... I've vocally said that. Like, why are, we, why are people so obsessed with Eleven? All she does is throw her hands out and use this power and eat waffles and have nosebleeds. I'm just like, I've, I've never been blown away by this character. This season changed that for me. They do some really amazing things with her character throughout this season. And she's lost her powers. And, and, and a big chunk of this season is, is can she get them back? And the process that they put her through to hopefully kickstart her powers again is just a very needed character arc that I needed as somebody that wasn't really 100% like invested or sucked into the character of Eleven. I always liked the other kids and like the sleuthing and all that shit that goes on with those other kids. I just thought that she was just kind of like, they threw her in there as like, she's the answer to like the problems when they can't kill the the Demigorgon or something like that. And it's like, I really like how this season took away her powers and then she's going on this journey and I'm learning so much more about her. This is by far the standout season for Eleven for me. I, I'm a fan now. I think she's, she's great. Like there's moments that I'm, I'm rooting for her. I want her to, I want her to come out on top. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with like the the bullying that goes on, not only in the school in California, but like later on in 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 the season, you get to see. You know, this is not the first time she's ever been bullied. And so this is something that she's been dealing with her entire life. Uh, Really deals with a lot of her trauma and overcoming trauma. Loved it. For me, that's what for me, that's what made her an endearing character the whole time was the fact that she did come from such a traumatic experience when we first introduced her that you kind of just want to see her. You want to see her be okay. You want to see her win and just have a sense of a normal life. So when this season starts off, you kind of see that it looks like she has that, so you're kind of happy for her, but then once they introduce the fact that, oh, no, she's actually being bullied in high school and stuff, you know, you, you're re to her. It's like, uh, man, she, okay, so she's she's come up a little bit in this aspect, but she now has this new struggle, at least from what I'm seeing in episode one, that she has to deal with of, you know, real-life, you know, typical teenager you know, being the outcast of high school struggle. So that that helped re-endear me to her character in this 
first episode. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a fair point. I, it, I just think it really for me, it just fleshed her out a lot more to where like I'm kind of caught up with everybody else, and I kind of get what they like about the character now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this new character, Eddie Munson. Uh, love this character. Like at first when he like shows up, um, he's very over the top and, and crazy and shit, you know, um, getting up on top of the table, calling people out. And I was like, Oh my God, he, he just reminds me of Polly Shore. And then going further on throughout the season, his face and the way he talks and his sarcasm, he reminds me of a young Robert Downey Jr. Now. Uh, so yeah. much. He uh, he looks like a young Robert Downey Jr. It just kind of blows my mind. Um, but uh, I and I love this new villain. I love you know these these characters that are being targeted by this new villain. They all see the same thing, and and uh, they're all characters that have been that have had trauma in their lives. They all start off seeing these grandfather clocks, and so I'm trying to like you know these are mysteries throughout the season. So I'm trying to think what does the grandfather clock mean? It has a lot to do with time. It has something to do with time. So I'm trying to figure that out as the season kind of unfolds. What does it have to do with time? And Oh my god, I uh I mm, I I the, I love this season. I love this season. The first season is it, there's nothing like that experience of the first season with the kids and everything like that. I think this is it, I think this is the best season since the first season as far as um what I'm getting so far because in all honesty, all the stories that are going on, cause you have a lot of the characters separated. So you've got like three or four different stories going on at the same time. I'm invested in all of them. I'm invested in Hopper's story. I'm invested in, um, uh, Oh God, what's Winona Ryder's character's name? Joyce. Joyce. I'm invested in what Joyce and Murray are doing. I love Brett Gelman. I love what they're doing on their end. I'm loving seeing what Will and his group are doing. Uh, the group back in Hawkins. I'm everything. I, I'm, I'm invested in every story. There's not like a, like a B story that I'm not into as much. I, I, when, when they cut away from one story, then I'm, and I'm just as excited to see what's going to happen in the next story with the next set of characters. So this is an absolute Tupperware for me. Um, the ending of the first part, it reminded me of like a reveal in like a Harry Potter movie. I, that's all I'm going to say. It really reminded me of like a Harry Potter movie reveal. And that's not a bad thing. So... Um, Tristan, what have you thought so far? Yeah, so I've, I feel like I need to kind of uh, get more into the season to to properly assess how the season's going for me. But the first two episodes, um, it's just sort of for me about a middle of the road to high tasted somewhere in between there. Um, like I kind of see where things are going, but it's a lot of setup so far. Um, not something that I, uh, that's making me fall head over heels for this season so far. But um, I do like the addition of um, some of the new characters. I like um, seeing the groups form and you kind of know where everything's going to kind of lead. It's all going to converge at some point, I'm, I'm guessing. But yeah, like as far as just uh, my comparison to earlier seasons, it's, it's I'm not enjoying it yet to that extent, but I still believe it's kind of early and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. That's fair. That's fair. Jake. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I watched season three for the first time this week, too. I took the whole three years and finally watched it. I fell off the Stranger Things wagon after season two. I I did not enjoy it very much at all. Um, I actually rewatched the whole series, too. I wanted to just kind of refresh myself. It had been a long time. I thought maybe I was in a sour mood when I watched season two, and maybe I would respect it a little bit more when I watched it a second time. And it wasn't really the case. I still thought season two was kind of a real drag compared to what happened in season one. Um, I, I think they just got a little bit in over themselves with season two. Like they knew they had such a monster hit and they weren't a hundred percent quite sure what direction to go with it. Um, I mean, some of the concepts they introduced are very fun. Like Max is introduced there. And I, I think she's a wonderful character, but just overall too much demodogs, like a little goes a long way. And I, I just really liked how subtle and horror the first season was. And the second season just kind of came off as a bit cheesy to me. Um, but I thought season three was much, much, much better. Um, it wasn't quite season one, but it was definitely a big step forward. I, I liked the villain a lot more. I mean, it's kind of the same villain as season two, but I think it was a lot more realized and conceptualized and thought out and executed a lot more. I also thought season three, really made me nostalgic for my childhood like the 80s thing is always there in the first two seasons but season three was a lot of fun between like the fair and the mall and the pool and just like ways of life i hadn't thought about since watching those episodes really just gave me kind of the nostalgia goosebumps you know when someone calls you and you're mom picks up the phone, but she hasn't hung up yet. Like I hadn't even thought about like that kind of shit happening since I was a kid. Like that kind of thing can even happen today with, with cell phones and everyone having one. And, um, I've seen the first three episodes of season four and I'm really loving it so far, far. I think it's my favorite season since the first season as well. Um, it's a very, very high taste it. Um, it's really leaned into the horror aspects the most since season one. And I was kind of shocked at some of the body horror moments that we've seen so far, just in the first three episodes. Um, I also think Eddie is a great character. I thought the, uh, the one scene where it's back and forth between D and D and basketball was such yeah. a brilliant fucking edit. So good. I was like applauding how smart the edit was. Um, it, it was so, so good. And just the um, fact yeah. that it was both of the Sinclair kids that correct. Correct. Uh, I really season three made me fall in love with Erica and I'm really glad she's getting her due diligence in season four. I think she's such a fun character. Um, I cracked up at the end of season three when D and D was blamed for so much of the evil. And I was really excited to see that that really like, wasn't just a throwaway joke at the end of season three, that that's something that's really like continued forward in season four, because I mean, me and Brian are like the same age and we grew up in that era and that's really how it was. Like yeah. if you whispered D and D around your friend's parent, like you were going to get taken aside and given a lecture. Well, in, but, in I mean, house. there was always, I mean, I grew up in, in a Baptist church and there was a lot of like, you know, Oh, kids are committing suicide and there's demon possession. And like, if you look into that stuff, it's all bullshit. It's all just made up bullshit. There's, it's absolutely ridiculous that D&D gets blamed for for that kind of stuff. I think if anything D&D is just it's just a a, a fun storytelling it's it's just it's, it's fun storytelling and it's a good way to 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 connect with other kids. It's just 
it's the most ridiculous thing that it was blamed for. In my yeah, opinion, in, so in my wild. opinion, it's blamed for bad parenting. They're blaming bad parenting on on a fun hobby. I mean, it's a tale as old as time, right? I mean, later on, it becomes Beavis and Butthead. And yes. it's video games. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you're never going to blame the actual parody. But I, I think the writers really like subtly hilariously like pointed how bullshit that is like you have characters like basically saying shit like well we saw it on dateline so it's obviously true right you know? and i i thought that that kind of stuff was just brilliant um i'm i haven't finished this possibly could be a tupperware um i think the villain is so fucking scary and exciting and like the scenes of him taking victims just fucking make my hair stand up and if Brian, you just have me so excited telling me that there's some kind of reveal with that character at the end of this part. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be knocking this out in the next couple of days. Like, I'm just kind of in the Stranger Things, like, chug forward mode right now. Like, I've watched so many episodes in the last three, four days that, like, I have to keep going. Like, I'm almost going to be sad when it's over. I, I'm really glad that I, I came back to it and gave season three a chance because it has been a lot of fun. And I think the nostalgia was so well done in these last two seasons. I'm, I'm at a Tupperware on this one so far, and I can't wait for the next for volume two to come out July 1st. I am raring to go on it. Cause I fucking, I'm loving this so far. Yeah. It's only two episodes, but they're biggies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm ready for it. So I can't wait, but uh, loving stranger things season four. Um, Catch the Fair One. This dropped on AMC Plus. This is a movie that dropped on AMC Plus. It's about a former boxer embarks on the fight of her life when she goes in search of her missing sister and takes on a group of human traffickers. Uh, Catch the Fair One is a taut thriller and second feature for Tribeca's Best Nar- New Narrative Director winner, Joseph Kabuda Wadlakia, and a star-making debut for professional boxer Kali Reese. Kali is the first Native American fighter to win the International Boxing Association middleweight crown. And we've got a cast here of uh, Kali Reese as Kaylee, um, Daniel Henschel as Bobby, Tiffany Chu as Linda, um, Kevin Dunn from the that was he was in the he was the dad in the Transformers movie. He plays like the villain here. He plays Willie. Um, but uh, yeah, I saw that this is a you know I know you know AMC Plus has some other movies that they that they recently dropped. We're going to talk about another one here that I actually had seen in the theater, but I wanted you guys to watch it. Um, but they dropped that Adrian Brody movie Clean, which I haven't seen. Which I know if you want to hear that review, it's on Scenic Cast. But uh, they just dropped Catch the Fair One, and it sounded interesting. I was like, uh, female Native American boxer in search of her missing sister who was taken by human traffickers. Let's check this one out. And um, I'll say I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. It's disturbing in parts. Don't get me wrong. But also those disturbing parts, because yes, human traffickers are the lowest of the low, but seeing them fucking eat it, is very satisfying. So um, I'm giving this a Tupperware. I, I, I want to open it up for discussion but and talk about it, but uh, I, I really, I was surprised at how much I, I loved this movie. Um, Tristan, what did you think about Catch the Fair One? 
Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised too. This was a really good movie. Um, I was struggling with my rating. I, I, I was struggling between a high taste and the Tupperware. Like I really, really liked it. It feels like a concept that I've seen before, but the way that it was executed was very well done. Um, the lead, um, she's fucking phenomenal, given that this is not her her primary profession. And, yeah, and it I makes you that, wonder, like, why the fuck are they giving roles to Ronda Rousey when you've got Callie Reese out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, it has a really great score, and it's very well shot. Um, it's great seeing stories from um, a demographic that you don't really see too much, which is, you know, the Native American demographic. And and I like the lead and how she's, she's basically um, the protagonist, but, you know, she has a lot of gray area. Like, she's going to do some dark stuff to get what she wants and you know, at one point she's freaking waterboarding someone you know and uh she's doing anything she can to to rescue her sister and and i felt like the the underlying um family dynamics that they had you know especially the ones that she had between her and her mother i mean that was really emotional as well seeing how you know her sister gets abducted and and she has this kind of feeling that everyone kind of wishes it was her instead um, you know, cause she's not the, the favorite sister of all of them. You know, she was, she lives a, a much different life than, than the other sister that was abducted. Um, it has a really beautiful, but dark, dark ending. Like the way that ending really fucked me up. Um, but yeah, man, it was, this was, this was good. Like I, I'm, I'm teetering. I, I, I I'm, I'm going to give it a Tupperware just because it's, I, I'm thinking of it now and it's just such, it was such a fucking good movie. It really was. I mean, this movie starts off with, you know, she's, she's a boxer and, and, and in real life, she's a boxer and, and we see her basically training, but not for a fight. She's training, like she's got a fucking, like you got to, this guy's like over 200 pounds. He's got to be over 250. This guy that she's in the ring with, and he is giving her all he's got. And, and she's, she's going after him and she's basically training because she, she's, she's found out that she can, she wants to infiltrate the human traffickers their like organization she wants to she wants them to take her in so she can find out where her sister is and they basically tell her she has to be in this one spot and then she gets in this van with all these other girls it's very it's it's scary because you don't know what's going to come next yeah and she gets in the van there's these other young girls um there is a really disturbing scene when they're first meeting the girls we see them meet her Kaylee and you know the guy is like base uh, Callie he's like telling her to uh I want you to take off your clothes I want you to do this and then he like he drugs her with like heroin or something he like shoots her in the arm with something yeah. it was like a drug and yeah. so, so she's all fucked up and he's making her do these things and it's really disturbing but she's doing all this to get her sister back and um from there it it really turns into like a fight against a fight against these guys it's and it's not as over the top as like a taken movie you know you get the sense that there's danger 
all the time like this character could die you don't you you never know what's going to to happen from scene to scene and um i i i I really like this what dre what did you think about catch the fair one yeah um similar to tristan i kind of did struggle with my rating at first when i when i watched the movie and finished it initially my rating on it wasn't that high because i didn't feel entertained by the movie so then i had to i kind of had to check myself and reevaluate how i was looking at this movie and that in the sense that the movie isn't really meant to like be entertaining in the sense of you know in the sense of like some sort of you know hero tale or anything of that nature this movie's meant to be gritty and real and to a certain level realistic and take you inside of this world of human trafficking and not try to sensationalize it, not try to make the hero or the, the main character, I won't say hero, make the main character more than what she would actually be under, the, under these types of circumstances. So once I kind of re, uh, recalibrated my thinking of the movie, I started to feel much better about it and, and started to appreciate the movie much more for what it actually delivered to me. And on that regard, I'll give the movie a good, strong taste. It um, the movie, the, the storyline on it is fairly straightforward, and it held my interest throughout the whole time. It wasn't like I was ever bored watching it. Um, the one thing I kind of didn't particularly like about it was, to a certain extent, the ending. Just in the sense that it left me confused as to whether uh, don't um, don't spoil it. Yeah, I, I won't. It, say it just left me. It left me confused. Okay. In terms of how, in terms of the main character, I was confused about the ending. So that's my only, that's my biggest gripe about it. But other than that, I appreciated it for its uh, its realism and how gritty it was, and the fact that it didn't try to sensationalize things or go over the top with it. I, and um, I, I'll also co-sign what y'all say as far as uh, Callie Reese and her performance. Yeah. She absolutely killed it in this one. She she came out and really impressed me in terms of how she could be on one in one moment seem a bit vulnerable, but in the next moment be tough as nails and really come off as pretty intimidating. Yeah. She's not soft, dude. She's a believable badass. You know? Exactly. It's like she's not soft. Like, you know, I, I really she really sold me that that you know she could do, she could pull this shit off. This was not like, and this that's what I liked about this that, that it wasn't like a fucking Liam Neeson Taken movie. You know, like where you never had to worry about the main character. Like, I, you know, I fe- I feared for her many times in this movie. I didn't like what I was seeing from the other characters like the you know the the traffickers and stuff like that so when they got it you know when she was able to take you know you know when she was able to take them out some of them out i was just very it was very satisfying for me seeing pieces of shit eat it so oh yeah (laughs) um that's why i liked it because it wasn't a a taken movie and i like the lead man i think i'd like to see her in some more in some more movies um you know if I can't believe Stallone should be on the fucking phone asking, begging her to be in Expendables 4. She's a badass, man. Um, 
So I, I enjoyed Catch the Fair one quite a bit. It's actually one of my favorite movies I've seen this year, to be quite honest with you. I like the, you know, the, you know, training, the, the fact that she, like, uh, had been, she'd been sleeping with that razor blade in her mouth, you know, in order, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it's just all the steps that she took. I mean, it's not like, it's not like Liam Neeson who in taken movies has everything all figured out. Like these are very loose plans that she has, but she, she's going to go through it anyway. And not, and not everything that she planned turns out the way that she thought it was going to turn out. You know, there's some twists and turns and she's got to react. And it's, 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 it's a lot about survival here. And, uh, and I dug it. I dug it quite a bit. And it, Man, that's I'll tell you one thing. I'm not spoiling anything, but man, that fucking shotgun to the face. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did a little research on this and saw that it won like the um, Tribeca Film Festival yes. last year. And I'm just a little baffled as to why I never heard of this film. Right. Until last week. Yeah. I don't know. I, why did, okay. It's, it's, it's like, why did no other streamer pick this up? It was like, it, it, AMC plus was the, they were the ones that, that picked this up. I don't, this, this might've been very limited theatrical release if it even was released in the theaters. Yeah. But it is surprising that it wasn't picked up by another streamer. Like, you know, Netflix didn't go after this Hulu. It just it this is one that AMC Plus got. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, catch the fair one on AMC Plus if you have that service, which if you have AMC Plus, you can also watch all this Shutter stuff. You can watch all the Sundance stuff, IFC. It's all there. Um, Candy on Hulu. This is a five episode biographical crime drama streaming television miniseries. And it uh, stars Jessica Biel as the real-life Candy Montgomery, who is accused of the axe murder of her neighbor, Betty Gore, played by Melanie Linsky, in 1980 in Texas. And uh, I had no idea about the real story of what Candy is based on. So, you know... Same. So when I'm starting this, I had not even read the synopsis, and they're showing Melanie Linsky's character, and next to her, the words pop up, the day she died. So I'm like, what? Okay. So this is a murder? We're dealing with a murder? How does she die? And I'm like, okay, the the, the show's called Candy. Candy, this this church-going woman who's like, you know, the... The mom who's taking the kids to the pool and to, you know, to church events and doing the bacon, the stuff for the preacher. And I'm just like this. She's the murderer. What? I I was just kind of blown away by this story. I've watched all five episodes. I had to I had to finish this one. This is one that my mom had been getting on me about watching. And so I I watched it. So, um uh tristan how many episodes did you watch are you are you digging hand candy yeah i watched the whole thing yeah um for me um i enjoyed it um i didn't love it It, you know i enjoyed it and i thought that uh i thought that um jessica bill totally disappeared in the role i I love the um the late 70s aesthetic of the show um everyone had that kind of quirky dialogue like you know I, i i don't know which one to compared to but like maybe like a 
you know, like that freaking uh, Wes Anderson type quirkiness to everyone. Like it was like everyone was kind of like living in almost like an alternate reality in a sense. Um, and this the town itself was just so small America. Like it was just so like, uh, you know, just a normal freaking town for something like this to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, just maybe really want to get into the uh, the true crime story of it and, and kind of know what's fact and what's fiction. Yeah. Um, I felt that this, the details of this story were not that complex to where I don't think we needed five hours to tell the story. Um, but overall, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought uh, the performances were good. It was so fucking gory in certain parts. Like I didn't I didn't expect it to show some of the stuff that it showed. Um, yeah, for me, candy, I gave it a middle of the road taste it. I'm at a high taste it with it. Um, I just, I thought it was one thing and then it turns into another thing. And then I'm thinking, was, was the murder committed because of why was the murder committed? Could it, could it have been because of that? And then it's, and then that's revealed and I'm like, okay, okay. All right. And then. The ending, I'm just like, what in the fuck is going on here? What? Oh, my God. I'll give it a high yeah. taste. It I, And I thought Jessica Biel was fantastic. This is – I just can't believe that this really happened. And, it, yes, it does make you want to, like, look into, like, what's fact and what's fiction. Um, Jake, did you watch any of Candy? Yeah, I watched the first episode. I, I'm also at a high taste it. I immediately put this on the list of shows to come back to, especially once I saw that there's only five episodes and it's done. Um, yeah, I had no idea about the story as well. And that moment when she's in front of her garage and it says she's going to die, I, w- I was just like, oh, my God, what the fuck? <laughs> and um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought, um, who is it that plays Alan? Uh, Pablo Schreiber. Pablo Schreiber, Pablo Schreiber yeah. Master Chief, and he was in American Gods. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was really good at being sympathetic. Like, I felt so terrible for him. Like, I, I know how it is when you're frustrated and stressed. Like, you all your hunger goes away. You don't want to eat. You're just like tunnel vision focused on trying to figure out the answer to this thing that's fucking really like stressing you out and i thought he really conveyed that really well and i felt so terrible for his character um i was confused by the ending when everyone um seemed to think it was one weapon but kind of the last moment of the first episode they show us a different weapon but i guess that's just one of those things where i need to watch more episodes to to find out what happened exactly yeah um i once you get to episode four (laughs) um uh justin timberlake shows up in the series oh that's cool yeah i was yeah i was not expecting him to make an appearance in this but uh yeah dre what'd you think yeah, um, I'm at a high taste it on this one, too. Um, Jessica Bill absolutely sunk herself all the way into this character. Like, when I'm watching her on screen, I'm not seeing Jessica Bill. I'm seeing the character that she's playing. So that's a testament to her and her performance and the rest of the crew and making her, you know, Jessica Bill, who we see as this typical Hollywood bombshell, just make her completely disappear into this character. Um, the storyline from episode one, started off real strong and had me hooked in. Uh, there was a part in one of the later episodes that kind of sort of lost me, but then it picked me up, picked me right back up and got me right back into it. And again, the cliffhangers are just make you want to just jump right into the next episode. 
from there. So the story played out good and had me interested once a, after that slight dip. So I'm at a high taste still for it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, check out Candy on Hulu. It's five episodes, miniseries. You can you can you can get through this one, and I think it'll. I think you after you watch at least two episodes, you'll you'll be hooked, and you'll want to. You'll have to know how this ends. So yeah, check out Candy on Hulu. Um, the final thing in Good Pop, Bad Pop that I want to talk about is a movie that I actually reviewed after I saw it in the theater, but it dropped on AMC Plus. It's called Duel, and uh, I gave it a high taste it when I watched it. I'm curious to. Hear what you guys thought about it. It's a. It stars Karen Gillan, Aaron Paul. Um, upon receiving a terminal diagnosis, Sarah opts for a cloning procedure to ease her loss on her friends and family. When she makes a sudden and miraculous recovery, her attempts to decommission her clone fail, leading to a court-mandated duel to the death. Now she has one year to train her mind and her body for the fight of her life. And, uh, yeah, I, I reviewed this on episode 421. If you want to hear all my thoughts, you can listen to that episode. But I wanted you guys to check this out. Jake, what did you think about Duel? Uh, I liked this movie quite a lot. Um, for the first 75% of it, I thought I was going to Tupperware this movie. Uh, I found it almost to be kind of a dark comedy. I, I was surprised at how many moments had me laughing just at the absurdity and, you know, kind of real life metaphors that they were throwing out there. Like when she watches the commercial for the company and you see the the double kiss the the new wife and like her like reaction to it. I just thought it was like hilarious. And just some of the, the dark comic nods that the movie had. Um, I was really let down by the ending. I'm not going to say what happens, but I just wasn't ready for my expectations to be subverted as much as they were in this movie. And I I was really let down by the ending. I thought it was a bit of a a cop out. And yeah, I just thought the movie was so brilliant. And then it just kind of doesn't stick the landing. That's that that was if you listen to my review, I told you that my biggest problem with this movie was the ending. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, I'm, I'm usually not that guy either where it's like I don't need that payoff necessarily. But if you're going to subvert and give me something different, then it has to be worth it. And yeah. I, I didn't think this was worth it at all. And uh, it just felt like it was trying to be like shocking just to be shocking. Like the, the plot really didn't justify the narrative. And uh, I kind of wanted to see what was advertised. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dre, what did you think about Duel? Um, I tossed this movie. I didn't like it at all. I thought the movie was dry and slow and honestly kind of boring. The way the acting was and the lines, the way it were delivered just felt just weird. It, it almost felt like it was being read robotically the way people were delivering these, the way, uh, the characters were delivering these lines. Um, Karen Gillan and uh, uh, what's the guy from Breaking Bad? Aaron, Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Yeah, the way they're delivering the lines just felt so wooden. Like I said, it almost felt like it was being delivered by a robot. And then the movie didn't deliver on its premise that I was kind of sticking around for was to, to see well, the duel. Let's, the let's not spoil just... the ending, guys. Come on. Let's, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to tiptoe around that part. We got to <laughs> we, we review stuff, but we can't spoil the endings for people because we're... Yeah. 
that that's my that's my bad. But yeah, the ending I did not like at all, and yeah, nothing about this movie worked for me at all. All right, Tristan, without spoiling the ending, <laughs> God, what did you think about Duel? So at the end of the movie, no, I'm just kidding. Um, like I really enjoyed the film um, until I got to the ending, and so yeah, like similar to you guys. Um, my rating dropped based on the ending. Um, it was at a high taste and it dropped down to like a middle of the road. But there's enough here to enjoy. Um, I just was really let down by the very final 10 minutes of it or five minutes of it. Um, and I feel that, like Jake said, it, it was a bit of a cop out. And um, I thought Karen Gillan was was um, great in the two roles. I, I really enjoyed her interactions with each other. But like with herself, I mean, it really sounded like as if she was having uh, an actual argument or debate with herself and didn't seem like it was just her reading lines to someone off stage. Um, so that was well done. Um, I liked the dark humor. I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. But, yeah, it was a, it was a good film and I love the concept of it. Um, but I wish it was executed in the end a little differently. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was my biggest problem was the ending of this movie. So uh, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back with uh, we've got got a few news stories that we're going to go over and then we're going to wrap this bitch up. Jesus Christ. It's going like Sounds good. Yeah. All right. We are Venom. And if you don't join the Pop Culture Leftovers Patreon, we will eat both of your arms and then both of your legs. And then we will eat your face right off your head. You will be this arbous, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd in the wind. Head over to Patreon.com and join now for only $6 a month. Hey, we are back. It is now time for the Pop Culture Leftovers News. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. Jake, that really is a gangster as fuck bumper to introduce the new segment. I, I love that fucking bumper. I it do never too. gets old. It never gets old. Uh, news from loudersound.com. Uh, there's a Winnie the Pooh horror movie coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, first introduced to the, to the world uh, in English, author A.A. A. Milne's collection of stories published in 1926 officially lapsed into the public domain this year, meaning anyone could pretty much do anything they want with it. And someone has already conjured up something decidedly off-brand. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, a new... <laughs> <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, a new horror slasher written and directed by Reese Waterfield and produced by Jagged Edge Productions is just wrapped filming and is expected to be released later this year. Uh, quote, uh, from, this is a quote from Waterfield. No one is going to mistake this for Disney. When you see the cover for this and you see the trailers and the stills and all that, there's no way anyone is going to think this is a child's version. Uh, with a plot detailing how Pooh and his best pal Piglet have gone feral 
and caused all kinds of mayhem after being abandoned by Christopher Robin. The film still has to tread carefully not to infringe on the versions of the Pooh characters still owned by Disney. And Waterfield has made a point of stressing that, quote, fans shouldn't be expecting this to be a Hollywood level production. Um, it hasn't stopped. <laughs> it hasn't stopped the first images from the film going viral, though, making Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, the most talked about B movie horror of 2022 so far. Uh, filmed over 10 days in the UK, the film is now being finished, quote, as fast as we can, uh, with an official release date yet to be confirmed. Um, I think for me. It's an interesting story to talk about. It's a funny thought, Purr and uh, Pooh and Piglet on a on a uh, murderous rampage. Uh, I saw a still of uh, Pooh and Piglet um, behind a, a woman who looks like she's in a hot tub, probably on her uh, on her way to get murdered here in the hot tub. Probably see yes. a lot of probably see a lot of blood in the hot tub, but. Um, I still think I need to see that first trailer before I can actually give a fuck about actually watching this. It's not enough to make me watch this. The trailer has to grab me. If the trailer looks as fun as like a as like a ghost shark movie or a psycho gorman or something like that, then I'll then I'll watch it. But uh it it feels like to me that that Reese Waterfield and I don't know this director from anything, but it feels like to me that this guy was counting down the days of Winnie, of Winnie the Pooh to go into public domain just so he could make this movie and probably had a good idea that, like, if the story went viral, that it would, you know, that this might sell some fucking uh, rentals on VOD. And, and, and I think it will. I think there's going to be a lot of people that watch it. This guy's going to make some money. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Look, we're, we're talking about this movie. It's a, it's a freaking B movie that, so, that's being made on a shit budget, and everyone's talking about it before it even comes out. Like, it's, like he knew what he was doing. I mean, definitely. When this thing comes out, someone's going to rent it. This was fucking calculated. Yeah. This was definitely calculated. And, like, if you look at the stills, it's not like Pooh and Piglet look like, you know, like like they've been given. Uh, it just looks like people in a costume. And it's uh, looking like Pooh and Piglet. And, and they've, it just look like they look like masks. And it doesn't even look like animatronic masks that are going to move. It just looks like cheap Halloween masks of a pig and a Pooh Bear, and so I don't know. I, I I'm gonna watch that first trailer, and then I'll be like, okay, yeah, that trailer looks fun, or that trailer looks just terrible. This is not gonna be worth my time to watch, and then I'll make up my mind as to whether if I'm gonna, because the idea is crazy, and I love the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the title too, Blood and Honey. But yeah, this uh, is one of those things that's almost in the vein of like a snakes on the plane or sharknado where the premise is so absurd yes you're either like it's so ridiculous i have to see it or it's the stupidest thing i've ever heard and you never think twice about it again yeah and yeah the trailer is going to go a long way towards whether it ramps up interest or kills it yeah because i love velocipaster velocipaster just an insane premise but also a very funny movie very entertaining, Velocipaster. If you've never seen it, highly recommend it. It is very funny. Jake, did you ever watch Velocipaster? 
I've not seen that. You fucking heathen. Watch that movie. It is it is fucking hilarious, dude. Yeah, I'll put it on my list right now. I'm not even kidding you. If you love Psycho Gorman, you're gonna love Velocipaster. It's like Rebecca loved that movie. We raved about that movie. <laughs> Highly recommend it. So I saw a hilarious interview yesterday where they were talking to the to the director of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and uh, he revealed that right before Pooh and Piglet go on their murderous rampage, that we will see the two characters in Eeyore. <laughs> Damn. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> As if Eeyore yeah. ain't had it bad enough throughout the past. I know. I mean, that's, that's really going to get Eeyore down. That alone is why I'm probably going to check this out because I just want to see how they tie in um, a lot of the poo lore. Like, I wonder um, how much they're going to borrow from. Well, I know it has to come directly from the novels or the books um, and not the Disney iterations, but I wonder if they're even going to try to get away with the, the Disney version of the poo voice or anything like that. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear, like, what they talk like. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have thought about this way more than I have. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm with Tristan. I, I think I'm already ready to see this movie, even without a trailer. Like it's the concept is so ridiculous that I, I just have to see how this plays out. If they you told me that, that, like Christopher Robin's going to play like a key figure somewhere. Well, they oh, said yeah. he's been abandoned. They've been abandoned by Christopher Robin. So are they? Is he going to show up in this movie? Yeah, he. The director said he stopped feeding them, and that's what's made their lives terrible. <laughs> and um, they've had to fend for themselves for food so much that they've essentially become feral and okay. gone back to their animal roots. Man, oh, so Christopher Robin's the first to die. Then he oh. definitely is going to die. I bet. Now, if if instead of them just eating Eeyore if they like if they were eating Eeyore's ass I would be watching this movie <laughs> like if that was if that was a scene I, Eeyore's yeah. got that tail that just comes right off that makes it real easy to eat his ass you know it's like probably we, what they, they probably, what, that's probably what they usually kill them if you know we've seen Pooh Bear's head stuck in the honey jar before but I want to <laughs> I want to see his head buried in that Eeyore's ass man <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> we will wait for Pooh, Blood, and Honey. I'll be waiting on a trailer. I don't know if I'm going to fucking shell out money to watch this day one of release or not. I'll I'll wait for a trailer. Um, let's jump in. That's all I got for news this week, guys. Let's jump into Marvel news. news um i have possible plot details for werewolf by night and ms marvel and i got these off of 4chan if you're interested in seeing those send me an email to brian at popcultureleftovers.com title it which one you want details for if you want both just title it both and i will send you the uh possible plot details that i got for both werewolf by night or uh ms marvel so, yes, I'm not going to go over them here 
But, uh, yeah, I'll send you an email. Uh, a French reviewer who saw the first two episodes of Ms. Marvel claims the first episode includes a post-credit scene linked to Spider-Man No Way Home. And, uh, yeah, uh, you can come to the conclusion that it's going to be the introduction um, of Agent Cleary into Ms. Marvel, because we know that that actor, played by Arian Moyad, is cast in Ms. Marvel. That actor played uh, the agent in um, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home that arrested Peter Parker. You know, um, he was the agent from the Department of Damage Control. He's going to be in the series. So that's all I think it is. I, I think that's the only link here is we're going to get to see Agent Cleary introduced in the post credit scene of uh, the first episode of Miss Marvel, if that is true. So, um, Scooper Casey Walsh posted a comic panel. Uh, no, it was a cover of a Secret Wars comic. It's, it's of uh, Doctor Doom, uh, you know, taking on Reed Richards. And he said... This is not the secret wars that you all are getting. I implore people to watch Loki again. So he's talking about, you know, I mean, how secret wars uh, went down in the comics, how it was Dr. Doom. And he's talking, he's saying, this is not the secret wars you're getting when it comes to the film version. When we finally do get to secret wars, it's not going to be Dr. Doom. He's talking about Kang here. So... I fully believe that. I, I feel like they're setting up Kang. You said, you said that before. I know. That's what you believe, yeah. Well, I don't... I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, it still could be Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom could defeat Kang or something. I, Doctor, I think Kang is the big bad of this next phase. That's what I think. And who knows, I could be wrong, but I think he's the big bad of this next phase. And I think, you know, they're not going to want to switch horses midstream like this. And they're going to wait to reveal Doctor Doom as the next big bad for possibly the the next phase of movies after after this is completed i just don't think that they're going to swap out just because of the comics that they're going to swap out kang here for dr doom and i happen to believe casey walsh knows what he's talking about here so yeah yeah i agree i think that's a oh go ahead oh yeah i was just gonna say that um i could also see a version of Secret Wars where Kang is the big baddie and somehow like Doctor Doom joins him or tries to foil him and become the baddie at some point. Like I can see a world where Doctor Doom does play a role in Secret Wars, but maybe not the main baddie. Yeah, I, I think like Doctor Doom, if anything, is probably gonna help out the heroes here and then after that, then he's going to turn on him. Yeah, leading into the next phase, you know? So, yeah, yeah he's going to do what yeah. he... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Dre. I was going to say, yeah, I think it's a, a way too much of a rush to try to introduce Doctor Doom and then suddenly elevate him to the top of the MCU villainy ladder and Secret Wars above Kang, who's already being primed to be the big bad. I think that's just people who are just really trying to hold on to the comic story and really wanting to see it on screen, even though what the MCU is showing us clearly points in the other direction. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, 
we're definitely we're definitely headed towards Secret Wars, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect Doctor Doom at this point, and I wouldn't, I would that would, that shouldn't upset you guys. I, I think that I think that they're going to be holding on to Doctor Doom for you know what's coming after Kang, and um, I think that's exciting. Uh, Do you think there's a possibility that Doom is not even the baddie of Fantastic Four? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I very mean, that's what they've done two times in a row. Two so. times, and I think it's a little early to introduce him here. Now, um, he's I'm pretty a, sure Victor Von Doom is going to be in it, but not necessarily Doctor Doom. Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the Fantastic Four movie. I mean, are they going to go with the classic origin story or? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. You know, now we got to find a new director. So, uh, rumor here from a Twitter account at uh, Great Phase Fifteen, who's put out some other rumors that that might be legitimate. Um, this one's not so mind blowing, but um, yeah, I don't. It, it, it basically it's it's it, it goes along. It's another rumor saying that we are going to see Daredevil in the Echo series before we see him in his own series. And I, I firmly believe that. My Time to Shine Hello has also said that, and that we can expect to see that the that we'll see what happens, the events of Daredevil's own series will take place after the events of the Echo series. So it'll just be going through that timeline. So it's not going to be a prequel to the Echo series. It'll just be where Devil, where Daredevil is after the Echo series is where we're going to see him in his own series. And I think that makes sense. So, Yeah, I could totally see that. I, I, I truly believe Daredevil's going to show up in Echo as well. Makes perfect sense. Uh, Namor will have a new origin in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, Marvel's new prince will have links to Mexican culture. And this was on... Uh, where did I get this? Chipu? I don't even know what the fuck that is, but that's where I got it. Um, I believe this 100%. They're saying that he's going to have links to Mexican culture. Um, and the reason I believe... I tried to send you guys the pictures to this, but it didn't go through on chat on Skype, so I apologize. Um, anyway... I'll get to why I believe it. But the, it says the character will not originate in, in Atlantis as in the comics, but in the Central American region and will come from a historical city submerged in Mexican culture. In addition, he will be the son of a human with a queen of the submerged people. Uh, actor Tina Cuerta will play the character who will also be accompanied by a royal guard. The change must occur so that the public does not confuse Namor so much with Aquaman, a character who has almost identical comics origin. He is half human, half Atlantean, and governs Atlantis. Having two characters with equal origins would complicate the understanding of the audience. Um, uh, Chipu, yeah, as confirmed by Chipu a few months ago. What's so funny there, Jake? Just how stupid audiences are that we have to fucking dance around all this namor aquaman shit yeah <laughs> is, is that really going to be that much of a problem i i think jason momoa is pretty fucking known by everyone so i don't think there's going to be that much confusion i just think that this that maybe story-wise it's too similar to where it's like why are they even making 
why are they even doing this in Marvel since it's already kind of been done in the DC? Because, like, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost to the point where, like, DC did it first this time. Like, I believe that Namor was a, I believe that Namor was created before Aquaman, honestly, in, in comics. Am I right? I think you're right. Yeah, Namor, was, Namor was one of the first ones. It was like before. He was one of the first. It was before it was even Marvel. Yeah, he was like a timely. It was when it was like right? timely. Yeah, it was timely comics. So, yeah, Namor has been around for a long time. But like it, cinematically, like Aquaman has done it first. So it's like, why not do something a little different here? But um. As confirmed by Chipu a few months ago, Namor will be an important part of the film and will ask Wakanda for help to keep his people hidden from humans as they began to find the place from a new technology created by Riri Williams, the future Ironheart. Namor's uniform, also confirmed by Chipu, will be inspired by the traditional look and will focus on simple shorts and a few adornments, as in most modern versions. Finally, Chipu confirmed that a great battle between Wakanda and the people of Namor, and from that, new people of Wakanda will be presented, including local Navy. So we're going to get to see the, the, the Wakanda Navy, which is kind of exciting. Um, that is fucking cool. That, that is cool. Um, Let's see here. I, I, this is all backed up. I, I recently there were rap gifts given to people that worked on Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and those rap gifts. I tried to send you guys pictures of these. It's a there's a like a polo shirt and a hat, and on the hat there is um, the symbol. It's the Aztec Jaguar God, which is I not. Probably not going to be pronouncing this correctly, but Tepeyolotl, 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 Aztec Jaguar God is featured on the hat. And then um, there is kind of like Aztec written language on a, it's like a purple, it was a hoodie or a polo. And uh, it said Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Marvel Studios. So that that Aztec culture is on the Black Panther 2 rap gifts. So, yes, expect Namor and expect a new origin story for Namor by the time we, we are watching uh, Black Panther 2 when it comes out in November, if it comes out in November, which they're really wanting to hit that date. So, um, yeah, that'll be... That'll be cool. Winston Duke, I still think that he's going to be our Black Panther going forward for a while. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. I think the rumors are definitely true there. We'll see. I believe we're going to see Shuri in the Black Panther suit in this movie, but I think by the end of this thing, they're going to be passing it on to Winston Duke for a while. And then I really do feel like we're going to find out that Nakia and T'Challa had a child together, and we're going to see like a you know, six, seven-year-old son, and who knows what they're going to... I mean, Jake, it's... From the sounds of it, Kevin Feige is not planning on stopping Marvel Studios' MCU, and it's just going to keep pressing forward. It's not like they're going to reboot this stuff for, you know, anytime soon. It's not like we're going to start from square one again and, 
you know, have a have a new Iron Man and blah, blah, blah. They're just going forward with this stuff. So, I, you know, if they're going to do more time jumps and things like that, like what they did with the five year blip. I mean, it could we could get to a point where we have a teenage um, Black Panther who's the son of Nakia and T'Challa. It could definitely happen. We could have a new Black Panther um, sooner rather than later. I'd say within the next decade. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was less than five years that we got a new Black Panther. I, I think that that's something they want to establish and get going as soon as possible. Well, I would say like the first time, like if they're really wanting to like you know get a new Black Panther kind of going. I mean, we've got possibly a young Avengers team forming now. I mean, he might not be part of the first young Avengers team, but we could definitely see him maybe as a, you know, the second iteration of a young Avengers team. So, and then who knows, like the next thing, they could age him up a little bit and we could, we could have another Black Panther sooner rather than later. I think what, I think what they're going to do is they're going to wait until Black Panther 2 comes out and gauge how people respond to whatever decision they make about the mantle of Black Panther in this movie before they decide what <clears throat> where to go forward with the movie. Because from what I've seen, the debate about the Black Panther's future is very much divided between uh, recasting T'Challa, which I know, they, I know Kevin Feige said that they're not going to do, but... I'm, I'm not personally, I'm not fully convinced that that is a set in stone ironclad decision just because of how much the, how divided that uh, debate is about it. Cause there are a lot, a lot of people who say recast it and there are a lot of people who say don't. So as far as where they go with the, the black Panther character in the future, I'm kind of just playing a wait and see with it to see what they do in terms of black Panther two and how audiences react to whatever they do with that. And then from there, I think we'll have probably a little bit more insight in terms of what direction they may go with the character and the mantle of Black Panther going forward. Because honestly, I, I, you've mentioned the idea in, in episodes past about mm-hmm. having the secret son and or not secret son, but finding out that they had a son and yeah. him possibly ascending to the mantle. And I'm not personally, I'm not entirely on board with that idea, especially if they try to do it. Uh, in in a quick fashion, like within like the next five to ten years or something like that, maybe further further down the road, I could be on board with stuff like that. But it's not something that I necessarily want to see in the near future, personally. Let me. Okay, uh, we're we're approaching the second year of you know August twenty eighth, guys is going to be you know two years since we lost Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what your opinions are now that we are almost, you know, two years to that to the day. Because when it first happened, it was for me, it was just so. First off, it was shocking for everyone. Like, I couldn't believe that this was really happening. And and. um for me, it was like at first I was like, no, I don't want to see anyone else take on that role. He was iconic. You know, that's my Black Panther. I love Chadwick Boseman. I want to know, and, and I don't know how you, I don't know how any of you guys felt except for Jake mm-hmm. about somebody else stepping into that role. Do you think like it's like, you know, no, because, you know, now that we're two years removed, you know, do we, 
I do I still feel the same way? Um, Jake, do you still feel the same way? I mean, Tristan, where are you? Dre, where are you? I want to know, like, yeah. yeah, Tristan, let's start with you. Where where yeah, are you? When with it this? first happened, I was like you, Brian. I was thinking, no, we can't recast him. Um, figure it out. Um, pass the mantle on to someone else because just the emotions um, associated with that event, I think, were driving that decision. And it was really hard to see anybody just step in there and replace Chadwick Boseman, but. After a couple years, I mean, for me, even just after some months, I also just kind of thought about how important the T'Challa character is in general to Marvel. And to have that character just end and say we can never touch it, I think, was a, a missed opportunity to explore more with that character rather than just building with the ancillary character. So as much as it would have sucked, I wish they would have just kept T'Challa going. It's like you I mean it from every from all the reports that we're hearing though is like this movie is going to be uh, very respectful to the character and you know like it sounds like we're going to get we're definitely getting a like a funeral scene in this movie. And so I I think we're past recasting, you know. Oh, yeah. At this point. I mean, I Yeah. If, if that turns out to be true, then yeah, that could very much be the case. That's why I've kind of, I've been back and forth about the decision for so much in terms of, just like everybody else. When it first happened, I was like, no, nobody else can step into that role. And yeah, after having been removed from it for some t- for like you said, going on two years now, I can realize that recognize that yeah, that was very much a, an emotional reaction that mm. I was having in the moment. That yeah, of you know just how good. Chadwick Boseman was in the role and not being able to envision somebody else doing what he did. But now that we're further removed from it, I'm not as opposed to it as I was initially. But at the same time, it's also it's an important character that's not going to be in the right. universe the, the anymore. That, yeah, and, and that's what it is. Like the character of T'Challa matters within Marvel, and. Knowing what he that character meant to so many people when it came out, not just not just Chadwick Boseman playing the character, but literally the character of T'Challa himself and what it meant to so many people and the mantle of Black Panther and what it meant to somebody to so many people. And sure, you could put uh, uh, M'Baku in the role. And that might get you by. I don't know if it will still mean as much or be as impactful as T'Challa being in the role and letting M'Baku be his character on his own. So I, I'm still of the mindset now that I'm just going to still just sit back and wait to see what Marvel does in Black Panther 2 before I try to form a, a hard position on the recasting of T'Challa. But I will say I'm not as opposed to it as I was originally. And I'm probably much more open to possibly somebody else stepping into that role. Maybe yeah. they and maybe they should have just hit pause on this one for a while before making a decision, you know? Like I'm sure Yeah, I agree. Uh, maybe uh, I mean cuz we're I'm we're 2 years out and at the time I, it was a very reactionary kind of statement and decision that I that I that I made too cuz I had my opinion. I was like, "No, nobody can fill those shoes and that you just it's like, you know, it's like it's like 
a beloved basketball player and retiring that jersey and, and no one else gets to wear that number. That number can nobody, no other player on this team gets to wear that number. There's a, like a level of respect when you see that jersey hanging from the rafters. And I kind of felt like that's, yeah, that's what they need to do here. But then on the flip side, two years out now, and it has no disrespect, what I'm about to say has no disrespect to Chadwick Bozeman. It has everything to do with the respect of the character of T'Challa and what that character means to comic book fans. And to not have that character in the Marvel Universe is... It's upsetting now that, they, they, that we can't have that character. But I also, I also think to myself, like, what actor wants to try to come in and fill those shoes? Sure, not want to be that guy, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> no matter who he would have been, he would have been shitty T'Challa, right? You know, yes. No matter who he was, yes. Um, and um, one thing I have to add to it is, I'm a little concerned about this film, and the reason being is because Ryan Coogler had a script that was ready to go, mm. and he had to rewrite that entire script. And I saw an interview where he said rewriting this movie was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do in his professional career. And yeah. so it concerns me that because of the decision not to recast that you're kind of fucking with the story in a sense or giving us something that's not the best version of a sequel simply because you lost the main character. Mm-hmm. And I also think that like, this is the last Ryan Coogler directed Black Panther, anything we're ever going to get because yeah. I can't, I, I see what he's doing here. This is his cast. He's worked with these actors and I think he's doing this for the memory of Chadwick and yeah. he wants to be a part. I mean, I, I really feel like this production, there's a lot of, a lot of grieving and things that happened during the making of this movie. And he wanted to be he wanted to be a part of that out of respect, but I think after this is over with, I don't I don't think he's going to come back and do a third one. I think we're looking at a new director. It I, I don't I don't think that there's a I don't think there's a perfect answer for any of this because it's like no. I, I would love to see I would love to see T'Challa still be a part of the MCU and everything going forward. But on the flip side, it's like. What actor wants to take on this role now after the after the mark that Chadwick left? You know, that's those are big shoes to fill. Arguments can be made. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the other aspect that a lot of people don't talk about is from the actors side. Like, who would want to? Like you brought up, who would want to step into that role and take on that pressure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I can sit here and I can fan cast some people that I think would <coughs> excuse me uh, that would potentially be good in the role like I think um, um, Elon Noel um, from Insecure or um, The First Purge I believe it was the movie he was in I think he could be pretty oh, yeah. good in the role yeah I like that guy too yeah I liked him he was honestly my fan cast for Blade before they uh, put Mahershala Ali in the role but I think somebody like him could step into it um, oh dude I, I think I think I said I, I if I think I might have mentioned him as Blade Two on an episode. I really feel like I did that. Yeah, he, I liked him. I liked him quite a bit in The Purge. 
Yeah, after I saw that first purge, I immediately thought, damn, he'd be good yeah. to play. But I could see him doing the role, but, you know, would he want to take on that challenge? He might be open. They might be open to it because, like, man, hell yeah, join the MCU, be Black Panther, sure. You know, there's a lot yeah, of people I, talking I about know. there's a lot of people talking about John David Washington there for a while. Yeah, and yeah. For as much as I like him, too. I just don't think that I still don't think he can hold a candle to Chadwick, though. Yeah. Well, if they do pull it off, I mean, kudos to them because yeah. this is a this is definitely a task ahead of them, and and I would not envy rewriting the script or or, or being behind this movie. Mm-mm. You have to completely. Get rid of your your original idea and build around the main character not being there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as hard this as is it a is, tough position that they're in. I mean, it's just so brutal. Like it, two years away, I still don't know what the right answer is either. Like, man, it's just so hard to have such an impactful character have an off screen death, and we have to you know see this funeral. Like, man, it, it's so tough. And it's, I, I Jake, it's this is, it's on the same level as if like. What if Robert Downey Jr. would have died after, like, Iron Man 2 or something? You know, like... Oh, I agree. It's completely on that mm-hmm. level. Like, it's just... Oh, it's so crazy. And I... I part of me thinks, man, I, I really wish we could still have that character. But, yeah, the other part is... I agree that it's like a therapy session for Coogler and, and the cast. And I don't know that the, they could have got the therapy they needed with just having someone come in and be the new T'Challa. I, I just don't know if that would have worked for for their emotions and the healing that they need don't you think yeah from coming from them it's just like okay oh chadwick's gone like don't you feel like they feel like it's just almost disrespectful to just like slide somebody else in there and be like well there's our there's our new black panther and you to to have done it immediately yes i believe it would have been disrespectful that's why i almost even though I'm almost certain that they won't, I almost wish they would have they would have left the T'Challa question hanging just put through him. this movie and not mm-hmm. give us. A, I hope they don't give us a definitive answer about T'Challa's status in this movie, just so people can get through this movie, see where the story is at, and then from there possibly be more open minded to uh, alternative solutions or any other solution other than just. Nobody ever be in the role again. I mean, here's, they, here's the thing. It's okay. I think I, I do think that they should have hit maybe hit the pause button on everything and, and waited. But I don't I do think that we're going to be I think there's going to be a lot of tears when people see this movie. Because we're going to be we are going to see the funeral for T'Challa. I, I, I don't think we're going to get out of this movie with without that answer. And the <clears throat> If if I gave you any other answers to how we could get another T'Challa in the MCU, you're not going to like them because all I can say is, oh, we're going to get a multiversal version of T'Challa brought over from Earth, you know, 838. We're going to get 838's T'Challa, you know, the same Earth that we visited in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. We're going to get their version of the Black Panther in our universe, and it's going to be played by, you know, so-and-so. And it's like, you know... Do we love that answer? No, that's not our, that's not our T'Challa. Just like the, just like the versions of those characters weren't the versions of the characters that we loved in Endgame. So, yeah, yeah. and you know, there's also a, a big portion of uh, the, the Black Panther moviegoers 
that only watched Black Panther and didn't watch the other movies. And yeah, oh, so yeah. to bring in this multiversal variant thing is just going to really confuse the shit out of people. Right? Yeah, there's no good an- there's no perfect answer here guys. Like I I think like, you know, Coogler and the rest of the cast and Feige, they kind of kind of had their hands tied on this one and I think they tried to make the best decision that they made whether but you know we're 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 losing a great character now you know it was easy to fucking get a new war machine yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there were only one movie in it was, i mean i guess black panther technically was only one movie in but we'd seen the character one other time before that movie yeah, yeah well and, and then he shows up in in uh, infinity war and then again yeah, in yeah. end game so and in the case of War Machine, he was a supporting character in the first movie. He wasn't the he wasn't the name on the on the marquee. Well, we replaced Edward Norton, and nobody seems to care anymore. Except, and also nobody loves Terrence Howard. <laughs> Cold blooded man. Look <laughs> here, man. Guys, uh, for DC news, all I have this week is: Did you guys see the pictures of the Blue Beetle costume? Yes. Yeah. Looks fucking awesome. Nice. It looked way better than I ever expected it could. Oh, it looks yeah, so think, fucking good. I think it's going to be enhanced with some CGI too, which is going to look pretty cool. Yeah, that's all I got, man. Tupperware that fucking blue beetle suit. I thought it looks really good. Um, and then Star Wars news. What is it? Uh, John Watts is uh, making a Star Wars show starring Jude Law. So Spider-Man director John Watts, not making Fantastic Four, but is going to be director for a Star Wars show starring Jude Law. Um, Skeleton Crew, uh, Star Wars Skeleton Crew, a new series set after Return of the Jedi. The show will not be about the typical Star Wars crew, but instead will follow four kids who get lost in the Star Wars universe. The show will start none other than Jude Law, who we assume is not one of the kids, but maybe he could be a voice of one of the many alien characters. Uh, but this is, but this will not be a children's show, they say. Quote, you say Clone Wars is a kid's show, but we cut people's heads off on that show, said Filoni during the panel. Um, it sounds like this will be the first Star Wars in recent memory to stay away from the Skywalker saga. The kids will move throughout the galaxy, but hopefully steer clear from the main saga because it's time that we had some new Star Wars. Watts said that the show would begin shooting soon and will be on Disney Plus in the next few years. So, I don't know. Not a lot there to get me too excited. Maybe it's like, it sounds like Goonies in the Star Wars universe or something. I don't know. Go ahead, Tristan. Yeah. it sounds promising, though. I like the fact that they're attempting to to kind of build in new corners of the galaxy yeah. and and stay away from legacy characters. But we all know they're going to pop up. I think if they're, <laughs> if, they're, if they're putting this in after Return of the Jedi, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a lot of, you know, Mandalorian crossovers and stuff like that as well. One of the kids will be an aged up Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then we've got, uh, no, I respect that. Yeah, they do need to, they do need to explore new corners of the Star Wars universe. I feel like now 
they are getting so comfortable with the Mandalorian that everything is just it's all coming up Mandalorians, man. Yeah, so it's, it's all tied to the Mandalorian. Yeah, they're like, oh, people really like that thing. So every series is now tied to the Mandalorian. I'm not complaining. I'm still loving the Mandalorian, but fucking uh, some series just straight up become the Mandalorian. Boba Fett. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> just like. Fuck it, man. We're we're fucking four episodes deep in this shit. Let's bring in some Mandalorian. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, has Disney had a more popular character than Grogu in the last 20 years? I mean, like, what's the closest thing, like Elsa? Oh, man, they tried with Jar Jar. Yeah. And I know it worked with Jake, but it didn't work for everybody else. <laughs> I really want to see some Jar Jar redemption. Me too. Why? Why do you want to see redemption for that fucking thing? Because it's like you introduce this important character in the first episode one, and then all of a sudden the guys just disappear. I want Dar- like- I, I want Jar Jar to die on the vine. <laughs> ouch! Ouch! The way they used him in episode three was quite hilarious, or, or episode two. I mean, two. he's like solely responsible for the emperor <laughs> getting his power over the senate. I I thought that was a hilarious touch. Uh, we got uh, more details about uh, the Star Wars series, The Acolytes. Uh, following more information about the upcoming Andor series arriving yesterday, Vanity Fair has also posted some new details about another Star Wars series on the way, The Acolyte. The mystery thriller project is one of the most anticipated of the upcoming series because it firmly moves the action outside the time periods around or between the three film trilogies. Instead, the series unfolds around the tail end of the High Republic era between one to two, three centuries, between one to three centuries before the original trilogy. This offers a potential break from the heavy legacy character inclusion of much of modern Star Wars to uh, give us new faces and new storylines not seen in the franchise to date. Uh, Showrunner Leslie Headland from uh, Russian Doll and Smilf spoke with the outlet and explained the motivation for telling stories set in the glory days of the Jedi. Quote, the truth is that I, as a major mega fan, came to them with this idea, and I said, I think the best place to put this is an era you guys have not quite explored yet. They were very enthusiastic. It wasn't that they didn't want to explore that world, but I think that they already were because The Mandalorian and a lot of the other television projects were really relying on legacy characters. Uh, I think if you want to explore Star Wars from the perspective of the bad guys, the best time to do it is when the bad guys are wildly outnumbered, when they actually are essentially the underdogs, for lack of a better term. My question is, my question in watching The Phantom Menace was always like, well, how did things get to this point? Do you know what I mean? How did we get to where a Sith Lord can infiltrate the Senate and none of the Jedis picks up on it? What went wrong? What are the scenarios that led us to this moment? So that's what I would say. That's how I would describe the High Republic to my friends, especially my non-Star Wars friends. Uh, Headland also confirms that the classic Wuxia films, martial arts stories in ancient and fantastical settings, are a big influence for the new series in the way samurai films and sci-fi serials were on Lucas films. Quote, I actually went more toward martial arts films and storylines that are a little bit more personal and less global and galactic. 
Those warriors were on missions that were deeply personal, with people feeling wronged and having to make it right. Wuxia films and martial arts films from King Hu and the Shaw Brothers, like Come Drink With Me and Touch of Zen, they're monks that are also martial arts heroes. Aesthetically, the series will follow the template Lucas set down with the prequels, namely that the further back in time you go, the more advanced, futuristic, new, and sleek the technology looks. Uh, Amanda Stenberg stars in the new series, which isn't expected to be in production until this fall. Oh, man. I, what gets me really excited here is the uh, they're incorporating uh, Wuxia um, uh, into this series. That could be like – it's very uh, much like a, a crouching tiger hidden dragon type of uh, martial arts um, style. If you're familiar with that movie, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that has me excited. Add, add lightsabers to that; it could be pretty fucking cool, dude, dude, dude. Yeah. Yes, take yeah. my money, Disney Plus. I want that shit. Yeah, that sounds like it could be a real spectacle. Yes. Any attempts to expand the universe beyond the Skywalker name, I'm all for. Or beyond that saga, if you want to expand it and touch on other things. Shoot your shot. Never know what could next be the next the next hit. What could be the next Mandalorian for him? So I'm here for it, dude. I got so much respect for Leslie Headland dropping names like the Shaw Brothers, and I mean legends in martial arts films and. I to incorporate Wuxia style into Star Wars. Jake, you said it, man. Add some lightsabers, man, dude. That's that's gonna be fun. Yeah, that that's cool. That's like something we've never seen before, like on a whole new level. And uh-huh. like, you know, the I, I it doesn't bother me that we see completely different like lightsaber fights like back in that era. Like I know a lot of people seem to be really troubled by like how they look in the prequels compared to how they look in the originals compared to how they look in the sequels. And I'm really not bothered by any of that. Like the science of star Wars doesn't have to be perfect for me to enjoy it. I just want it to be fucking cool. I just, I, I was kind of like uh it's it's so much the the, the fighting style that that Obi-Wan has in the original trilogy compared to him fl- flipping around in in Phantom Menace was just like okay I don't know man his he must have got severely geriatric in those later years cuz <laughs> kicked his ass when he got older <laughs> that's that's tattooing son yeah, that tattooing son. Jesus Christ. His skin was like leather. The man could barely move. Um, but uh, yeah, the tattooing sons, it's not just one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, this acolyte sounds like it'd be, it could be interesting. I got a lot of respect for the, the quotes here from uh, Leslie Headland, man. She's got me excited for this series now, Jake. And before it was just a, it was just a, it was just a title card that we saw, you know, from a, a celebration pass where they talked about the acolyte. Really didn't know much about that except that it was, you know, taking place thousands of years before. But man, she. She dropped some. She dropped some fucking nuggets here that got me excited. Got me excited for the acolyte, man. 
yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they do with this. Hopefully we see this is going to be next year, late next year. Hmm. Uh, it's not spectacular expected to begin production until this fall so yeah we'll probably get it next year if not early 2024 yeah i'm excited to see some footage of this i hope we get to see some of that crazy lights and lightsaber battle stuff in the first trailer i agree yeah that'll sell me man that'll sell me yeah i believe also when you get away from legacy characters and you stay away from the skywalker saga i think fans are going to be more forgiving when you're changing the style up a bit and and the feel of Star Wars because, you know, Star Wars has that certain feel that everyone expects. And I feel that when you deal with characters that are just removed from the original saga, you can then have different tones that mm-hmm. people don't normally accept in these movies. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. We, yeah, we do need a different aesthetic and a different feel for Star Wars if we're going to branch out, and especially if we're going to go into the past. I don't know. I Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Like... What is it like the fucking the the kids on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers bikes that we saw in Boba Fett <laughs> is still oh yeah. my god yeah <laughs> still some of the worst shit I've seen so but uh, guys that's all I got this week uh, we're taking next week off Jake but we'll be back the following week and we've got a big movie to cover that week with Jurassic World Dominion yeah. What a title. Oh, man. I don't care what it's titled. It could be called Jurassic World Dino Shit, and I'm there. (laughs) I don't give a fuck, Jake. I don't give a fuck, man. Give me big dinosaurs. Give me Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, the original fucking trio of Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum, and take my fucking money. I've got my IMAX ticket ready to go. I cannot wait for this movie. Oh yeah, I'm excited too. I I can't wait to see how they incorporate the uh, the old cast with the new cast. I just the title's so bad that they don't even tell you what it is in the trailer and the poster. So I, why did they name it that? Don't care. I'm still there. I don't give a fuck about the title. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna nitpick the title. I fuck. I don't care what they call it. <laughs> it doesn't. I don't fuck. It's just big dinosaurs chasing Chris just, Pratt. Velociraptors chasing Chris Pat on a motorcycle. That's what they could have titled it that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I just in general, not just with Jurassic Park, I miss numbers when it comes to sequels. I I'm glad (laughs) Stranger Things just straight up like numbers their shit. Like that's Mm -hmm. no one does that shit anymore. I people aren't gonna know what the fuck to watch when at some point. Nobody does numbers, nobody tries to really come up with creative full titles for movies anymore. It's just like here's the franchise, here's the subtitle. Like yeah, like it's so nonsensical for some movies that they don't even fucking tell you what the title is. Jake gave Jake was just like you know what if they would have called it Top Gun two, might have got a Tupperware. (laughs) (laughs) Might have got a Tupperware. Just throwing it out there. Big fan of numbers over here. My math teacher would be proud. But yeah, I don't know. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, I think Top Gun Maverick is a stupid title too. (laughs) <laughs> God, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jake! You're in, you're you're exhausting as a human. <laughs> I can't believe you don't you don't agree with this. These are <laughs> these are bad titles. It has no bearing on whether or not the movie's good. They're just lazy fucking titles. Oh yeah, he's a he's a maverick, Jake. 
He's a maverick. <laughs> it's it's all there in the title. Top Gun Maverick. Okay. It's all there in the title. Jake, it's all about Dominion. It's all there in the title. We're going to learn about the Dominion. And once yeah, you I've leave- seen Star Trek. I don't know. I don't <laughs> care. I don't care about numbers and titles and shit like that. Just make a goddamn good movie. Sometimes titles are stupid. I don't like the really long ones, like the Birds of Prey, the Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. That was ridiculous, but... I'm keep it, you keep it sweet and simple. I'm fine with it. I don't give a fuck. Captain America: Winter Soldier. I'm good with that. I appreciate a little bit of effort sometimes. So if they just just try a little bit, like do something. Like if like for example, if I was to title the next Eternals movie, don't know why I'm jumping back to that one. It just happened to pop into my head. But <laughs> <laughs> Eternals. Rather they call it, rather they call it Eternals Two. Get creative with it. They got snatched up at the end of the first one. They're going to be judged or whatever. I would call it Eternal 2. I would call it Trial of the Eternals. Boom. It's different. It's not just 2. It's not Eternals Judgment or something like that. Something. Throw some shit at the wall. See if it sticks. I think they really underestimate the intelligence of the the audience sometimes. Um, Sure. Yeah, they they really think people are just going to be so fucking lost if if they don't like make the title as simplistic as possible. Mm. The uh, Eternals too. Why <laughs> <laughs> not? Where do you think that'll come out, Brian? I, I'm say, I'm just I was about to say. <laughs> might not even get a title. Um, <laughs> who knows if we'll. Yeah. Who knows if that movie will see the light of day? To be quite honest with you, like I feel like those post-credit scenes, like in the, uh, it's just like, can we see anything happening with those? Does anybody care? I don't know, man. Probably yeah, not. like the fucking Amazing Spider-Man two of post-credit scenes for the MCU, probably. Oh boy. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe some other studio will have a multiverse and they can finish that story off. I don't know. I don't know. You guys how... watching the offer? Yeah, I'm loving the offer. Yeah, I love it too. I gotta watch this week's. Yeah, I gotta watch this week's too. Oh yeah, since we're taking the next week off, I'm just gonna get caught up on a bunch of shit. It's gonna be nice. I should start watching Better Call Saul. That should be like my next big project that I start watching. Better Call Saul. I love Breaking Bad so much, and I hear so many people say that Better Call Saul is actually better than Breaking Bad. So I hear so. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I haven't started it either, because I love Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And it's like that quiet show. Everyone says it's amazing, but no one talks about it. Isn't that weird? It's like, I don't know any spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any spoilers for it, man. All I know is that uh, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul are showing up in this final season sometime. Because that's been all over the fucking media outlets, but that's all I really know about. But, yeah, I need to watch that, man. I fucking... Breaking, Breaking uh, Bad was like 100% completed, and uh, I think I killed that in like three weeks. And, uh, man, I had such a good time watching that one. And I was like, ah, that's how I'll watch Better Call Saul. So I'll definitely have to jump on it because I love Bob Odenkirk. So, all right, that's all I got. I want to thank our guests. Tristan, thank you as always, sir. 
Yeah, thanks for inviting me. And it was great uh, watching all this content and discussing it with you guys. Yeah, I hope next time you're on that a bunch of other fucking shit, random shit drops on the same week and it just throws a, <laughs> throws a monkey wrench into my whole fucking show to the point. To, <laughs> I think my face broke out, Jake. I feel like a teenager over here. <laughs> Jesus. You have to get some Stridex. I got stress bumps all over my fucking face. It's insane. Yeah, I got to get some Oxy. Jesus Christ, it's terrible. Anyway... Yeah, I love it when fucking pop culture makes me break out in hives. Thank you. Um, <laughs> God damn. It was, guys, I'm not kidding. Jake, I told you, like, it was like, what was it? Was it Friday? I was like, dude, uh, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I, I, I knew all that stuff was dropping. I'm just like, oh, my God, this week. And, yeah, it, it seemed like a very manageable good pop, bad pop list, like, when it was saturday and i was looking at it but then by by friday i'm like oh my god yeah oh boy uh dre thank you for joining us on your first regular episode how did it feel for you man be honest with me don't bullshit me how did it feel was it was it was it fucking nerve-wracking were you like oh my god brian's brian's telling me not to spoil shit oh my god or like, yeah, how no, to, no, I own that mistake of spoiling <laughs> things because as many episodes as I've listened to, I should have known better than to slip up on that. So anybody that I did spoil things to, I apologize for that. But again, thank you for having me on. I am truly honored to have been on this, uh, to be, finally been invited to be on the show. As a longtime listener, I know that I'm probably living a small dream of plenty of other listeners who sit back and have listened and wanted to be on. So to be one of the chosen few to actually be on this is truly an honor. And I thank you for having me on to be a part of this. Oh, my gosh. Dre, have you accepted me as your personal savior, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Korg's going to sit you down and tell you the story about the space podcaster, Brian, from PCL. <laughs> no, dude, I really appreciate you jumping on the episode. I wanted to get you on, and you know, I enjoyed talking to you on the Patreon episode. So seriously, um, you know, it, it, it's... I think you did a very commendable job. And also, I mean, it's no joke. When I send people the list sometimes for these episodes, I'm amazed that people put in the time to watch all the content that they do. I do it. I do it personally every week, but I'm a freak of fucking nature. But uh, for anybody even to join on one episode and put a lot of things off to the side to to fucking work their way through that goddamn list i sent you guys this week it, it means a lot so guys we won't be back next week but i'll be back in two weeks we'll be talking about that horribly titled movie jurassic world dominion and uh <laughs> i'm glad you finally agree yeah. oh man the sarcasm needle is just going off the chart jake um, oh, yeah. that's disappointing. Yeah. Uh, it's just jumping all around in it. Anyway, we'll be back in two weeks. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. And until two weeks later, we're putting a... Come on, Jake. Join me Put here. Put a lid on. I, seriously, I feel like... <laughs> Every week, I try to like say it real slow for you so you'll jump in. 
And I thought I always do jump in. I never hear you. I never hear you. I, I feel like I feel like uh, the guy who jumps into bed and he's got his dick out and he's ready to go. And she just fucking turns the light off and fucking pulls the covers <laughs> over and goes to sleep. And it's like, yo, I got my junk out. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Ah. Put a lid on that junk. No, no. no you... All right, guys. See you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Gonna toss it, gonna taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace it. Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carryover. Counterculture push over. Pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. Have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft. And we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's race it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover. Counterculture pushover, pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover, counterculture pushover, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.